Monday, June the 28th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone had a nice weekend. We're uh, getting an episode out a little early this week as we've got episode three of Loki. To recap, we are the midway point of uh, that season, only six episodes in Loki. So Tim Kelly joins like always. Anything there's going, Anytime there's anything going on in the, the world of Marvel, TK will join us. We'll bounce around to start with some uh, news, uh, a couple thoughts on uh, Wimbledon starting up. Uh, we'll go through uh, some things that have happened in baseball and what to look for in the next couple days. Quick hits on some NBA playoff stuff, and then we'll get into racing. We've got Tuesday and Wednesday racing for you. Some uh, Indiana Grand plays for Tuesday, a couple for Canterbury. Over on Wednesday, we've got Tampa, Indy, and then a couple over at Canterbury. And then we close things out with the old wrestling rewatch. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali join for Survivor Series 1996 WWF Survivor Series. This was a really good show. It was the return of Bret Hart. Remember, he left after WrestleMania. He was back. He he had an all-time classic with Austin. And then they had that really great match uh, But six months later at WrestleMania, which was excellent. This may have been the best Psycho Sid match that we've ever seen where he wins the, the title from Shawn Michaels. That was really good. Uh, a fun Survivor Series match. Uh, also on the card, uh, Undertaker Mankind was good. It was a really fun show. So uh, we'll bounce around. We've got all everything going on in sports. We'll hit Tuesday, Wednesday racing. We'll get you low-key episode three. And then some old wrestling rewatch Survivor Series 96. Our sponsor of this episode is Better Than Vegas. BTV, better than dot Vegas. That's the website, better than dot Vegas. Give them a follow on Twitter, at BTV Bets. Because if you follow them on Twitter... Every single day, they're going to post some polls to vote on games that are happening throughout the night in all different sports. And then once those polls are voted on, they put together a parlay of all the winning results. And all you have to do is just follow, retweet, um, share some of the polls there. And every night they pick one person. And if that parlay wins, you get the money. I mean, every night's a couple hundred bucks or so just for following. So if you're someone who plays a lot of sports, you have a lot of fun, um, you know, watching games and, and you're getting some action, follow. You can uh, get involved some nights. You'll probably be one of the selected uh, participants for the parlay or you can root other people on. I post videos five, six days of the week with baseball, basketball plays. We'll be getting into some uh NFL plays soon. Ooh, yeah, it's already starting that to be that time where we're going to start thinking about the NFL. That's going to be fun. So at better than dot Vegas, everything is free. There are videos from a bunch of different handicappers all over the world, gamblers that are giving you the games they like, the sports they like, the props they're playing, and the reasons why each and every day. It's free for you to listen, so you can check out a bunch of different people's thoughts before you make your wagers every day. Maybe... Learn from some that you're playing, others that you're going to maybe fade. They have free contests. There's been basketball playoff contests and hockey playoff contests where all you have to do is post a video and register with some of your picks. It's super easy. And then the weekly showdown, free to enter. Totally free. Every week there's cash prizes for the winner. I was second last week. Ugh, couldn't, couldn't get the W. But a very solid week. Up plus over seven units last week for me and all you have to do is post a couple of videos throughout the week with your plays and then you they take care of everything for you they tabulate and formulate all of the standings you'll see where you are on the list you can look at everyone else's bets it's it's a ton of fun free action every single week and you can share some of your selections with everyone else 
Better than dot Vegas. Check them out. BTV bets on Twitter. So while we're talking some sports, it's a big week with Wimbledon kicking off uh, Monday and Tuesday. A lot of the first round matchups for uh, for Wimbledon on the men's side. Uh, Djokovic is your heavy heavy favorite at around four to five or so. Um. Uh, Medvedev is the second betting choice. He's in like the seven to one ish range or so. And uh, Sitsipis, the number three seeded player in this tournament, went down already on Monday in a massive, massive upset. That is really cool because uh, I mean Sitsipis. Keep in mind he was in the final in the French Open just a few weeks back, and he lost to Djokovic, and that was one of his best ever matches. And he ends up losing. Uh, so Sitsipas, I guess, was 3-4, depending on where you were looking. He's like the number 4 ranked player in the world. Uh, so he lost to Tiafo, 23 years old. He'd never beaten a top 5 player. Youngest American man defeat a top 5 player at a major since uh, 2004 Wimbledon. 57th ranked Tiafo, first American man to knock off a top three seed at a major. So yeah, it was th- the third seed here, uh, Sitsipis, fourth overall in the world. Uh, and he did it in straight sets, first time since Aunt Andy Roddick in the final of the 2003 U.S. Open. So Tiafo hadn't never, has never been past the third round of singles at, the, at Wimbledon. This was a huge, huge spot for him. So congratulations to the young man, 23 years old. Biggest victory of his career. Shout out for a big win uh, in the men's tournament so far. And then over on the women's side, uh, Serena, the heavy favorite, and uh, Ashley Barty um, are uh, going to be you know, taking a lot of money as some of your top betting choices in there. So we'll see uh, a couple weeks of... I love uh, when there are the uh, the big tennis tournaments with the late night, because I'm a late night guy. I'm up all night doing work, just getting stuff done. I, I enjoy, that's when I can, get, like, I enjoy when there are, having live things to watch really early or really late, something I get a kick out of, and I, I'm always, uh, I get get a good energy to watch, so you get some great, great matches, and uh, we'll have a, a fun couple weeks checking out what's going to happen, uh, Serena, Djokovic, and uh, we'll see if uh, maybe we can get a, a, a big cool story on the U.S. side from a young up-and-comer like uh, the man who just upset Sitsipas with Tiafo. So we will see. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Wimbledon over the next couple episodes here on That's What G Said. In basketball, so remember, I'm recording this on Monday afternoon, so a few hours before the Clippers and the Suns play, and this could be the final night of the season for the Clipper or for the Clippers as... The Suns took a 3-1 lead recently against them, and it was one of the uglier games that you will ever see. Nobody could score late. Phoenix ends up winning on Saturday night 84-80 to go up three games to one. Booker and Paul have not been very good. The Clippers just look tired. They've had to play so many games in such a short period of time with a couple bodies. I mean, no Kawhi, Serge Ibaka would have been nice to have around. And they've done... And a real admirable job, admirable job, to be honest. And just feels like Phoenix is a little deeper at this moment. They're maybe a little bit healthier. They just may have a few more bodies to throw out them. 
Uh, now Phoenix is heading home Monday night. They get a chance to seal the deal in front of their home fans and try to put the Clippers away, get Chris Paul to the finals for the first time ever. Will they do it Monday night? We will find out. And then uh, the Bucks went up uh, two games to one. Trey Young, obviously the uh, the major factor in that series is what is his ankle going to be like and the injury and how that changed the complexion of the game. But the Bucks did take a two one lead and they can go get a three run a uh, three one stranglehold on Tuesday night. So we'll see. Uh, right now the Bucks in great shape with a chance to go up three games to one on Tuesday and and then try to head back home to close it out, just like the Clippers are hoping to do. On Monday night, up already three games to one, trying to close it. Uh, just like the uh, the Suns are trying to do to the Clippers on Monday night, they're up three to one on the Clips. They're trying to close things out. So we will uh, discuss everything that happened. We could possibly have. So let's see. Yeah, by the time uh, we record the next episode, of that's what G said. There could be two series. Both of these series could be done uh, by Thursday night. We could have. You know, uh, Milwaukee wins a couple games in a row, and the and Phoenix wins uh, wins tonight, or just one of the next two. Both of those could be done, and we could be heading to the NBA Finals. And Eric will join us to talk about everything that's happened. Or do the Clippers come back? Do they have another comeback in them? Already down 2-0 in two different series, they come back to win both of those. Can they do it again here now? Down three one. Do they have enough firepower left? Do they have enough legs in them? Enough bounce left in their legs after playing heavy minutes and. Uh, all of these guys, from Paul George to Reggie Jackson, Zubots has had good games. You've had Kennard with some really big moments. Obviously, Mann has stepped up. Morris, they've all taken turns really playing and, and hitting big shots, playing big moments when needed. So, uh, the Clippers could very easily be up in the series three games to one. That's what's probably frustrating as a Clipper fan or uh, someone on the team just thinking, wow, if we did have Kawhi or maybe even one more healthy body, even like a surge playing well right now how much would this have helped this team um but you know everyone around the, the NBA you look around and they're, they're all in pretty similar s- situations as far as uh, being banged up big uh, big week coming up in baseball as the uh, for for a couple different teams and really in the National League now remember we're about a week in from having foreign substance suspensions we had our first suspension or from having the the new foreign substance rule check where we've all seen the major league umpires checking all the the players their gloves the inside of their wrist their belts their hats they check everything um a couple times a game and we've seen teams already get into it Girardi was calling out Scherzer and then then they were joking about calling out Harper for having some so it's been quite a week uh, and in quite a few weeks since they decided that they were going to um, really start to crack down on the foreign substance used by the pitchers in baseball. Trevor Bauer had a very candid interview on Sunday Night Baseball when the Dodgers played the Cubs. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go check it out. Um, it's a few minutes, and he will give you the best explanation that you will ever hear from any, like anyone as far as why pitchers have been using this stuff, what the different levels of usage are, like where you know what what what's a good idea what's something that might be fair that people on all sides can agree to because they do want to be able to get a good enough grip on the ball that they're not throwing the ball 100 miles an hour slipping out of their hand hitting people in the head but they don't want it to be so much that these spin rates are out of hand trevor was really phenomenal and very well spoken well thought out i think he obviously had um, done a lot of homework and he had a, a great response ready when asked so a big week coming up for the Dodgers. They ended up taking three or four from the Cubs, but those damn Giants keep winning. The Giants have been 
awesome this year. They are 50 and 27, the first team to 50 wins in baseball. In fact, nobody else even has more than 48 wins. The Giants are at 50 and 27. They have a three and a half game lead over the Dodgers, and they play a couple games coming up this week, starting on Monday. So big. A big series for the Dodgers to try to gain a, a little ground on these Giants. Dodgers, uh, after struggling to the Padres last week, and were able uh, early in the week, were able to, to bounce back and, and right the ship a little bit against the Cubs. Padres are uh, a game behind the Dodgers, so Padres are four and a half behind those Giants. And then in the Central, we get the Brewers and the Cubs. Um, they're going to be hooking up for a few games this weekend. And uh, the Brewers are now three games ahead of the Cubs in the Central after the Cubs lost three straight to the Dodgers um, after no hitting the Dodgers in the uh, the opening game of the series. So a couple big series in the National League. We'll have a much more in-depth, focused full baseball segment coming up on Thursday. We just wanted to check in and give a little look. Uh, Boston, kind of quietly just staying afloat over there in the American League East uh, towards the top. Their pitching just kind of continues to do what they need to, and they can just outscore you. There's no problem with that. Um, the White Sox have been managing, uh, even with all the, the injuries that they've had, uh, but the Indians, somehow, with their injuries, continue to pitch really well. And then the Astros are starting to play like one of the best teams in baseball. They're hitting the hell out of the ball. Um, Their pitching is solid. Better than you would think. Solid. If they can sure up the end of that bullpen a little bit more, um, this team is going to be one of the tougher outs in baseball uh, come playoff time. And then uh, over in the National League... uh, East, the only division we really didn't uh, mention a lot, uh, the Mets with a four-game lead right now. We'll delve more into the National League East and see um, who has a legitimate shot to try to catch those Mets, and uh, maybe in, uh, in just a couple days we'll see what that margin is still like. Just a quick look over at everything happening in baseball, and before we get into the horse racing portion of this episode, I want to talk a little bit about our friends over at Sarah candles.com c-e-r-a candles.com we're talking about all natural soy wax candles free from toxins that are found in paraffin wax so paraffin wax is the type of wax that's used by a lot of other leading candle brands what sarah candles use are all natural soy wax and not only is it you know healthier for you you're not going to get those toxins carcinogens pollutants none of that stuff but this is actually going to Hold your scent better and burn up to 50% longer than the traditional paraffin wax candles. That means you're not going to go through these candles as quick. They're better for you. You're going to save more money. Hmm. Better for you. Uh, Saving some money. Healthier for everyone. Check out sarahcandles.com. C-E-R-A candles.com. The promo code G-I-N-O. That's going to save you some money too. You'll get 10% off your purchase. They, uh, for them, the key is... Healthy, natural, clean-burning candles, high quality, that everyone can enjoy. 100% lead-free, cotton wicks, those natural scents, hand-poured to ensure the highest quality. Uh, Tons of different scents at three different sizes. Um, All sorts of seasonal scents, um, stronger scents, lighter Uh, Any kind of mood, you name it, they've got it. Fragrance oils infused with natural essential oils. Uh, These are created by people who love candles. Started out experimenting, trying to create the perfect candle, and now they've blossomed into Sarah Candle Company. Promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase. Okay, let's talk a a little horse racing right now. First, we got to hear about 
how we play the races. Whenever I'm handicapping, anytime I'm looking at the races, for me, it's always DRF.com, and it's always DRF for those past performances. And now they have changed their features. They've upgraded everything. So as far as your mobile device, your phone, your uh, your iPad, your tablets, it's going to be much easier to use. Uh, take a look at past performances and to really use all of the cool features they have at DRF.com. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current day's odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf past performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com stars and stripes week over at stable duel and starting on tuesday through sunday big games all over the place many options for you many different tracks different contests uh, different levels uh, of, uh, of entry fees for the games remember stable duel these are daily horse racing games it's an app it's totally free to download the app and then you create your stable you create your entry and you Play the entry fee for any contest that you want to enter. Contests start as low as nothing, free. They have free contests where you can actually win cash prizes. Dollar, two dollar, five dollar, ten dollar, twenty-five, fifty, hundred, two fifty, all the way up to five hundred dollar entries in some of their bigger contests. And it's a format where you build your lineup based on a salary cap. So you have to pick ten horses for a certain racing date, days card. And you have to pick horses and fill a salary cap that's based on 50000 Horses are priced off their morning line. So 
you can't just be picking the favorite every single race. It's not some contest where you can do a chalk, chalk, chalk. There's real strategy to it. You got to kind of pick and choose. You got to find some horses that you think, oh, that's a bad morning line. That horse might get bet down a little bit. Uh, that's a great horse because you know why? I'm going to be paying for like a 10 to 1 shot, but they're going to actually go off at 3 to 1. So I'm really getting a 3 to 1 shot. Boom. Value right there. If you have any questions about how to build a lineup, some of the uh, strategery, the strategery around Stable Duel, just let me know. Always happy to help you. Uh, shoot me a message or uh, give me a give, give me a tweet at it's me Gino B on Twitter. Here's what the uh, the Stable Duel schedule looks like coming up for this week. On Tuesday, June the 29th, we've got Parks with a couple different games. Thistledown, Penn with a couple different options. So you've got Parks, Thistledown, and Penn. On Wednesday, we've got Delaware, Gulfstream, Parks, Tampa, Penn, and Emerald. Thursday, Ellis, Delaware, Gulfstream, Tampa, Woodbine, and the BTV Pot of Gold at Emerald Downs. Friday, we've got Ellis Park, Pimlico, Woodbine, Monmouth has the free ride, Lone Star, Penn, Charlestown. On Saturday, Monmouth Park, Gulfstream, Woodbine, Delaware, Ellis, Lone Star, Charlestown. Those are all the different tracks each day where you can play different contests. And then on Sunday, Gulfstream, Pimlico, Monmouth, Woodbine, Lone Star, Ellis. Every track will have a, a particular entry fee, how much it costs to get into that contest. They'll tell you what the cash prizes will look like. You can always see what the payout format and the structure will be like for each contest. Some of them are double-ups where you have to finish in the top 40%. Some of them are triple-ups where you have to finish in the top uh, you know, 25% and you triple your money up. Um, so check out the rules, check out the different formats, Stable Duel, download that app, get those entries in, and play, race, win. Let me know if you have any questions at all. Let's get to some Tuesday racing. I'm looking at Indy and then I'm looking at Canterbury. So over at Indiana Grand, I'm always going to focus in on those late pick five sequences. The low takeout pick fives is really where a lot of my money goes. So let me give you a couple horses throughout the sequence that I think will be uh, good ones to include in your tickets or maybe play the horses to win. Whatever exotics that you're playing for me, it'll be more of a like wins and focusing in on the pick five. So the fifth race on June the 29th, get the past performances out. we got a non-two allowance, mile and a 16th on the turf course. I'm looking at the nine majestic row as the one to catch in here. There is not that much other speed. I think he's drawn well towards the outside. The other other horses who may be able to press him, they just don't look as quick as him. They they feel like more pressers. Whereas majestic row, I, I think, is legitimate speed here. And he comes over from Churchill Downs, where that thirty non two is probably very comparable, if not even like tougher than this particular spot. So you're coming out of a race that's, you know, just as solid, if not better than this race. And you have a tactical advantage on the field. Let's use the nine majestic row in all exotics. If he's around four to one, we'll make a win wager there. That's my value line. He's eight to one on the morning line. I thought he was more like a, uh, you know, five to one is shot. Four to one's my value line. That's my bottom, my bottom line there. As we move along to race number six, we've got a, Non-two allowance, six furlongs on the main track here. The, th- you know, the three air show is okay. You know, he wouldn't shock. Um, the five B trouble, sure, you know, wouldn't shock. The the one 
kind of intrigues American Unity. The horse I like the most in here is the seven highest mandate. I think he's drawn really well to sit off the pace a little bit. You, you can see he's got some speed. He won going gate to wire, but he has shown that he can sit a little and pass some horses. I think because he's drawn to the outside and he's probably not quite as fast as a couple others in here, he could end up falling into a really nice spot, maybe sitting third. Um, he's going to be going you know, second time for this barn. He's going to be making his third start off the long, long layoff. I feel like highest mandate is set for a real good one. I had him as a four to one. He's six to one in the morning line. Same, so we'd need around four to one or so to make a win wager on him. Throw him into your late exotics. Let's move to the seventh race. We've got a maiden special weight, five furlongs on the turf course, fillies and mares, three year olds and up. The three Jim's bronze star is a little interesting to me. So he he didn't really run all that well. Uh, she didn't really run all that well on May the twenty third. She, you know. She started the tire and she got bumped around. I mean, it was a fine start. She was three deep. She was third and she ended up sitting just off. What I like is that we know that she's got some tactical speed and she doesn't have to be too far out of it, but she has shown that she can sit sort of mid-pack and, and pass some horses if need be. And that group was just a group that was too tough. Like That's a maiden special weight race over at Churchill where she's 14-1 to 1 and she's coming off of um, you know some questionable recent races. Now she's heading back back to Indy so this spot is just going to be a lot softer for her and and we look back at some of the races that she has run on the turf and that she's capable of running she has some big efforts in her you know those colonial even the race at Churchill against the the maiden specials that's probably why you know they decided to give her an, an opportunity again against that caliber against that company that's just probably a little too tough for her right now and Jim's bronze star she's got she's capable is that still in her? Does she still have a race like that in her? If she does, she can sit in a nice spot here. I have her pegged. Uh, I had her at like 5-1 to one here. She's 12-1 to one on the morning line, so anything over that 5 or so feels like really fair value to me on Jim's Bronze Star. Moving along to the 8th race is going to be our final play for Indy for Tuesday. Ooh, Barracuda, the 4. So... This gal has some legitimate excuses for her poor performances in, in 2021. So you, you go back and, and notice, okay, way back in when she debuted, poor performance, but then she comes back in 2020 with two really nice back-to-back efforts, including second right here at Indy going five furlongs against Maiden Special Weights, and she was only beaten a neck at 44-1. to one. She sat really nicely just a couple lengths off the pace and moved to the lead. She came right back in December at Fairgrounds, and she won against Maiden Special Weights. Then she returned in March, and she took a shot on the synthetic. Okay, took a shot there, didn't really fire. Comes back at Keeneland on a yielding turf course against uh, in a stakes race, a $100,000 stakes race on April the 10th. The fifth place finisher came back to win at this level right here at Indiana Grand from that uh, March 10th, or from that April 10th race. The winner that day, Change of Control, is a grade three winner into Mystic, who was second, came right back to win $150,000 stakes race. That was so much tougher of a group. Then on May the 7th, comes back in another really loaded first level allowance at Churchill and has some trouble that day. Again, most recently, May the 29th, at Churchill going long in a much tougher first level allowance race. Actually shows some speed that day. Going long, now cuts back. 
I can see her sitting third or fourth, have a little more punch. Her form is muddied up, but she's got some legitimate excuses in here. I had her pegged at like eight to one. You know, anything anything over six is fair. I wouldn't want to take lower than that, but she felt more like a yeah, she should be like an eight to one shot or so. And and I think she's twenty on the morning line. The number four, Ooh Barracuda. So here's some some horses that uh. You know, decent price horses to use in your pick fives or throw some of them in, maybe bet them to win or throw them under your tries, exactas, however you're playing in uh, India, at Indiana Grand on Tuesday. In the fifth, the number nine, Majestic Row. Uh, anything around four to one or so, that's our that's our uh, value line we'd need. In the sixth, the number seven, Highest Mandate. Same thing, we'd need around four to one on that one. In the seventh, the number three, Jim's Bronze Star. Anything over five to one feels fair. And in the eighth race, the number four, Ooh, Barracuda. Anything, uh, anything over six would be uh, would be fine by me. That's Tuesday over at Indiana Grand. We're gonna head on over and talk a, a couple races at uh, Canterbury for Tuesday for you. Remember, low takeout pick fives there. Make sure to uh, get involved in those low takeout wagers. Any opportunity you get, get the past performances out. We're looking June the 29th, we're looking Canterbury, and we're looking race number 5, and I'm looking at old shoeless Joe Jackson here, who is probably just one of the more consistent and fits very well in here. So you get the win 3 back, he he fits the conditions nicely, he's going to cut back from 6.5 where he's involved, and then the 6.5 just... A bit too much for him, just a little farther than where he's at his best right now. It's going to be a better trip for him, enough speed to stay involved throughout, so make sure you're using him in your pick fives there. That is the number four, Joe Jackson. He's 9-2 to two morning line. Anything around 3-1 to one or so would be uh, okay for me to make a win wager. In the seventh race, uh, we're going to go towards the outside, and we're going to look at the number 11, Jewel Azul, who... Uh, recently was going a mile, was going seven furlongs, and I think with the outside draw, it the the concern obviously with her is yeah you don't want to get hooked wide, but I I believe she will be able to sit off a little bit in this spot. She's shown that she has no problem coming from off the pace a little bit. She got caught up on the lead, but they were just kind of crawling last time out, and that race has actually come back live with the uh, the two next out winners so far from that June second race. I feel like Jewel Azul will sit maybe second or third. Let's just hope she's not caught really, really wide. But anything around 7-2 to two is is fair for Jewel Azul, the number 11 there at Canterbury uh, in the 8th race on Tuesday. In the 7th race on Tuesday. We're going to go to the 8th right now. Um, a couple in here that I like. I might single the 8, Midnight Current, who's going to go third off the bench. I thought she ran really well. She was just kind of why she was right in it. She just kept grinding and grinding and grinding last time out, and she could get a really similar trip where she just falls into a good, good spot because the three style and profiling is quick, but the five Hattie up is also pretty quick, and I think she might be the the quickest or the quicker of those. So I'm I'm gonna use the eight kind of over the five and probably single the eight midnight current in that pick five there at Canterbury. That's on Tuesday in the fifth. The number four, Joe Jackson. Uh, we need around three to one or so there. In the seventh, the number eleven, Jewel Azul. We need around seven to two. And in the eighth, the number eight, Midnight Current. I'd need five to two. I'm probably going to single this horse in the pick five and probably come back and use it and play another pick five with the five Hattie up. So that is Canterbury for 
Tuesday there. Make sure to uh, get involved. Low, low takeout wagers. Good racing there on Tuesday at Canterbury and over at Indiana Grands. You can find good racing products, high-quality products, quality clothing and merchandise that horse racing fans and those who love the atmosphere and lifestyle of racing will be able to enjoy at OldSmokeClothing.com. When you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you free shipping on your order at OldSmokeClothing.com. They have products that are rooted in the iconic symbols of racing and the racetrack experience. Uh, We're talking t-shirts, hats, hoodies, polos, long sleeves, zip-ups, you name it, they've got it there. And if you're a horse racing fan, this is the perfect opportunity for you. You'll have a a blast. I'm sure you're going to spend a couple hours at OldSmokeClothing.com looking up all the different stuff that you're not going to find when you go to your local store. There aren't a bunch of horse racing themed shops around at the mall when you walk over there. This is the place for you, created by uh, a couple people who just love horse racing and they want to share their love of the game, their love of this sport with you. OldSmokeClothing.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. Let's get on over to Wednesday. And first up, let's start with Wednesday at Tampa. So what they uh, they have, it's I believe it's the end of the fiscal year and uh, as far as like their gambling books and the numbers are concerned in Florida so they have a couple days in the middle of the week here like the end of the the season that begins and they're going to be mandatory payouts in all the pools on uh, Wednesday over at Tampa I think there's similar um, uh, similar cases at Gulfstream Park but because Tampa's having kind of a special uh, couple days we decided to talk a little bit about Wednesday and give you a couple plays for Wednesday there over at Tampa so get those past performances out for Wednesday, June the 30th, in race number three. Um, I looked at the eight here, Cooey, who's just been really good. And and I think they kind of figured out what this guy wants to do. It's these short turf sprints. You can tell with a lot of horses that end up at, at a, a distance like this that become turf sprint turf sprinters sort of takes them a while to figure it out you know they try some things they go a little longer they go short and then they they have to kind of figure okay where's their best with a horse like this it feels like he gives you a nice late punch but it's not like a sustained rally but he he's got to be well timed he's got to get the right kind of trip but at the price he is if he's anything over five to one I think that's really fair he's eight to one on the morning line and I look to the inside and see what looks to be enough speed with a couple towards down towards the inside um that should be forwardly placed in here to set up for him so let's give uh, the eight a look anything around five to one or so in race number three at tampa and this is on wednesday let's get to race number six we got maiden 12 fives here six furlongs the distance i thought rioja palace the number six was interesting so in her debut she actually ran she went pretty well, um, a little bit better than it looks on paper. So she moved right into it. She was right up into contention um, after a slow start, and then she tired. That was back in December. She returned to the races in May, so she had not run since December. She's making her second career start, and she just took a couple bad steps right at the start, and she never got into it. She's going to go second off the bench now. She'll put two together. There is not much in this field, and she's got a little more... Than, than what it looks like. Uh, Rioja Palace, the number six, 
in race number six. Anything over four to one or so feels fair uh, on that one. We move to race number eight, our final of uh, three plays on the Wednesday card over at Tampa. I'm looking at the five exec- executive decree. Just excuse his last start at Gulfstream Park when in just a, a bit too tough. Uh, the, the second place finisher that day, fast loaded, came back to win for 62.50. Next down at Gulfstream, that was an open race. Executive de- decree was, you know, facing some of the time restricted claimers prior to that, and this group of 5,000 claimers. Does not feel nearly as tough as the 62.50 he was facing last time out. He was a step slow. He was bumped on both sides, and then he just never got into it. Put a line right through that. If you're playing him off of his April and March races, he's right there. He's proven at Tampa. He's consistent. Executive decree. Make sure to throw him into your late exotics there. Anything over 5-1 to one makes sense. So on Wednesday over at Tampa in the third race, the number 8, we need around 4-1 to one or so. In the sixth, the number 6, we also need around 4-1. to one. And in the eighth race, the number 5, uh, executive decree, anything around 5-1 to one feels fair there. So those are your three plays over at Tampa for Wednesday. Let's bounce over to Indiana Grand. The Wednesday card at Indy is Excellent. Let's take a look at races uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8. There's a couple stakes races on the car, too. Another one that's just as good as the stakes. In the fifth race, let's get the 9. Uh, Deuteronomy Strong. So, toss the slop race. Then what's wrong with his form? He was a runner-up at the level two starts back. He was third at this level three starts back. He looked like he was taking steps forward and improving. And then he just ran into a sloppy racetrack. He's come back and worked really well since. I'm giving the 9 a big shot in here. Anything around 6-1 uh, to one feels fair in race number 5 on the 9. Make sure to throw him into your pick 5s. They start in this 5th race. The 6th race is a really strong optional claimer. 2nd uh, level allowance here. I'm looking at the number 1 Hemp Hemp Hooray. Who last time out was in the Prairie Bayou. And, and that was a really tough race. You can just put a line right through it. Look at the grass form prior to that for Hemp Hemp Hooray, including some good races right here at Indy. This guy should be able to save all the ground from the inside. Hemp Hemp Hooray, if he is anything around 4-1 to one or so, that is worth a win wager. He's 8-1 to one in the morning line. The race he comes out of, Set Peace, who won that, the Prairie Bayou, Set Peace has won three in a row. Three stakes races in a row. He just won the grade two wise Dan. The horse who was third that day, Visitant, came back to win the Kentucky Cup Classic, and then he finished second in the grade two Ali Sheba. That was a really strong group Hemp Hemp Parade faced that day in the Prairie Bayou. Completely excuse that race. Look at the form prior to that, and let's hope he's ready to rock and he can sit nicely from the inside. I'm going to use the one Hemp Hemp Parade on top in exotics. I'll play... Uh, to win anything over four to one, and I'll use the one over eight, nine, and ten in exactas and tries and uh, and some other rolling exotics. Let's move to the seventh race. We've got the seventy-five thousand dollar checkered flag, and I'm gonna go to the ten here. Um, this is Serena Beck, Philly, who went long last time out in the slop, and will now cut back to six furlongs I mean some of some of these horses are you know I think you have legitimate excuses to, to just put a line right through and and what's wrong with her effort on April the 26th off the bench where she wins by six in her first start as a four-year-old 
What's wrong with her final start as a three-year-old where she sat a couple lengths off the pace and showed us she's not any just a need-the-lead type filly. She's drawn really well to the outside with those options, knowing that she can sit off a little bit. The only two races in her entire career where she ran poorly, she was going long. They were both going a mile. One of them was in the slop. And now she's back to what she's done best is sprint. She's got speed, she can sit, and if she is anything over 7-2, to two, I'm going to make a win wager on the number 10 Serena Book in race 7 there at Indiana Grand on Wednesday. And then in the 8th race at Indy on Wednesday, I thought the 2 Jova, one that's interesting. I'll, I'll probably use the 1 Double Tough in a lot of exotics, but look at who Jova, who was your beaten favorite last time out, behind Mr. Manning. And so look at who he's been defeated by recently. Okay, lost to Mr. Manning, who's a, a speed horse. He lost to Chip off the old block, who is a speed horse. You can look at Jova's races and understand when he loses, why he loses. Oh, well, because Jova's more of a horse who can come from off the pace, and if he's in fields where there's not a lot of speed, those speed horses are always going to have the advantage over him. Now, in a race like this, if this field stays intact... You've got Chip off the old block, who's really quick. You've got Mr. Manning, who's really quick. You've got Rockin' Junebug, who's really quick. Those are the horses that are just drawn to the outside. You've got Matters and Taters, who's really quick. Then down to the inside, that'll put Double Tough, who's pretty fast but can can sit a little bit that'll put him in a bad spot he could get shuffled he could end up having a bad trip if Job is able to just sort of take back settle and make that late rally I think it's a great great spot for the way this pace shapes up for Jova the number two in race number eight he is 10 to one on the morning line anything over five to one feels very fair on Jova who's going to get a, a, a you know if that field stays Close to intact, he'll get a much better opportunity to have the kind of pace he needs. So that's in race number eight, the two Jova at 10 to 1. Uh, a couple other reminders earlier on the card. In the fifth race, the number nine, uh, Deuter- uh, Deuteronomy Strong, anything around 6 to 1 is fair. In the sixth, the one Hemp Hemp Hooray, we'd need around 4 to 1. I'd use the one over 8, 9, 10 there. And in the seventh, the 10 Serena Beck, anything around 4 to 1 or so feels fair there. That is Wednesday. Over at Indy, we move to uh, the final track that we'll be talking about on this episode. Uh, we got some Canterbury for Wednesday, so get your past performances out for Canterbury. I've got three plays for you in that late pick five sequence, a couple horses to throw in on your tickets. And in the fifth race for June the 30th, we've got Maiden Special Weights going five furlongs on the turf course. I think the one, a man of my stature, is worthy of a single here. I like the inside draw for him because... There really is not all that much speed in this race, and I think they're just going to try to take advantage of the speed that he has and send really hard. If you look at his two, uh, his, he's got three turf races. Two of them are really good. The other one, he finished behind Rock Your World um, at Santa Anita back in January, and he actually was battling and showing speed, sub-22 speed that day. He was a good runner-up at Woodbine in October of 2020. He was again a good runner-up at Sam Houston off of the bench, off of a few months. Just send him from the inside, kind of treat him like you think he's the best horse in this race, the one of man, a man of my stature I will use as a pick five single and an exotic single there. 
Let's flip to race number seven. The number five is going to be the play for me. I'm a Harley too. He's eight to one on the morning line. He's going to go third start off the bench, and he's he's in really nice form right now. He's versatile with some options. So let's just excuse the May 18th race on the dirt. Put a line through the race on, that was taken off the turf back in September that ended uh, 2020 for him. His last two turf races were victories. The other two races uh, on the grass back in uh, July and August were not bad against the 25, you know, straight bred Minnesota bred claimers. I'm a Harley too. Has a little bit of, little bit of like tactical speed, but he's more of like a sitter kind of stalker and presser, and that's probably what he will be in this spot. If this nobody wants to go though, they can use you can use some speed as a weapon here. I'm a Harley too, versatile with options. Third start off the long layoff. He looks ready for his absolute best in here. Anything around nine to two feels fair on I'm a Harley too. We get to the eighth race at Canterbury. And I'm looking at the four Temujin Lady. I played this Philly uh, first time out of the box last year, and I've, I've always been a fan of her since. She's nice. She's won four of her seven starts. Um, a couple of the races that she didn't run well, she just seemed a little overmatched. One of them, she was in stakes company. And what she's shown us recently, and as she's gotten a little bit older um, and, and a little more mature, that she can sit, which is so great in a spot like this. She can... Use a little bit of speed as a weapon But then she can stalk and she can pass some horses late Which is exactly what she did In her second start off of the bench Last time out Now she's going to go third start off the bench And she's going to try the grass Her dam won twice on the turf Should be fine for her Should be a really good spot For Temujin Lady Who has been facing you know, First level allowance Minnesota breads This is, you know, she'll get some Open company in here but softer level As far as that open company So this isn't going to be like a huge step up Or anything for her This is kind of like a comparable move From the race that she won last time out I I like the placing of this It's a good spot for Temujin Lady The number 4 in race number 8 There at Canterbury 5-1 to on the morning line Anything around 3-1 to or so feels fair there So the 3 to uh, take a look at For Wednesday at Canterbury In the 5th, the number 1, a man of my stature I'll single in the pick 5 In the 7th, the number 5, I'm a Harley 2 Anything around 9-2 to feels fair And in the 8th, the number 4, Temujin Lady uh, Anything around 3-1 to or so Feels fair on Temujin Lady So that's Canterbury for Wednesday Best of luck on Tuesday At Indy and at Canterbury Best of luck on Wednesday At Canterbury, Indy and at Tampa As we bounce all around here On That's What G Said Uh, Before we get into Loki And episode 3 with Tim Kelly We have to talk a little bit about uh, The longtime sponsor Of That's What G Said podcast Cindy Carava Full service realtor Cindy Carava Her website C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com CindyCarava.com You can find all of her information All of her listings Everything going on there She's a full service realtor So that means she can help you With selling, purchasing, and leasing She can help you find a vendor Like a handyman, a painter, a landscaper A gardener that she's personally used in her own home Maybe you need help getting pre-approved For a home loan She can connect you with a lender That she works closely with and can highly recommend and she covers and focuses on all parts of the San Gabriel Valley and parts of North San Diego County like Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. But maybe you're somewhere else around the country. You don't have a lot of help 
and you don't really know a lot of people in real estate from where you are, you want some questions about what your uh, your local uh, housing market looks like, or heck, maybe you just want to know how much your home is worth, please contact Cindy. She will put you in touch with someone in your area that she knows, that she trusts, that she's worked with. Heck, she'll even do a free market analysis of your home's value. You can find her on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, reviews about her and her work on Yelp or Zillow. But that easiest way, cindycarava.com. You'll find all that contact information there. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Up next, we are halfway through Loki. Season 1, Episode 3 already. Tim Kelly joins me to discuss Loki. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. We go over everything that happened in Episode 3. We're going to go scene by scene, all the major points of the episode. We talk about you know how it relates to what happened in Episodes 1 and 2. We also get into bigger pictures, how it relates to things that happened in all of the other MCU, future MCU projects, previous Thor, Ragnarok. Um, so anything MCU related is in this discussion with Tim Kelly. I think we go for about an hour and a half or so talking everything. Episode 3, Loki with TK. Enjoy. Crazy how quickly these uh, Marvel TV shows are rolling along We are already halfway home Episode 3 of Loki, the midway point of the season Tim Kelly joining me like he always does here on That's What G Said For uh, another recap and review And TK, um, this one was uh, a little bit shorter than some of the others And this one Mm -hmm. I think got from some of the stuff that I read um, Maybe got a little bit more like negative publicity and I, I don't want to say yeah. necessarily but just um it's some maybe some more mixed reactions for people that were uh thought it was a little slow or maybe just got so used to the dynamic between uh Loki mm-hmm. and Mobius that they were missing freaking Mobius here 100 percent. that was one of the first things I kind of thought was where's my Mobius I need my own Wilson fix uh and that was the one thing I think this episode was was really lacking um, I thought it was strong overall, but I'm definitely in, ag- in agreement with, you know, people that say that this was a little bit of a dip compared to the first two mm-hmm. episodes. For me, at least, there were some things that I thought were really, really strong about it, really well done. But a few things stood out to me that uh, kind of held it back. Uh, that being said, we moved forward the plot pretty interestingly. Yeah. We got some answers. And uh, yeah, they're they're not holding back with with the storytelling here. We're 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 moving forward. We're progressing, mm-hmm. and we're not just kind of stalling for time to fill out episodes like we see on so many other TV shows. For example, uh, basically all the DC shows on uh, the CW kind of suffer from this. You know, twenty two episode inflated seasons with kind of soapy storylines that yeah. kind of go nowhere. Yeah, we're not getting that here. We're getting some good stuff. This was um, one that. I felt um, exactly like you said uh, when I watched it initially, and I think I when I watched it back, I liked it a little bit more. And and it wasn't that Same. I didn't it, it wasn't that I didn't like it to begin. I just felt a little mm-hmm. missing. You know, it was it was like you know what what do you say? Uh, what do the guys say after a, a girl? What was that like? Was was it better? Or, I mean, it wasn't. It was different. Oh no, you don't <laughs> say that, right? But that's kind of how this was. You know, like uh, sure, you, you feel like it wasn't. It was just you. You did feel like you were missing a little something, but I think mm-hmm. you know. Again, if and, and and maybe it was also because it was a combination of 
not the show that we kind of got introduced to the first two episodes, and then yeah. there was uh, it was a little bit shorter too. You know, just put those two together, yeah. um, there was just a little bit less. But there, there's a lot of um, in the in the similar um, uh, sense of both of the first two episodes. Like it's just very rich in dialogue, and it's it's just oh, yeah. mainly it, an interaction between two characters, which. In the first couple episodes were Loki and Mobius And this time it's Loki and Sylvie And so we learn a lot here about Sylvie This per- character yeah. who was just introduced to us in the last episode But we really didn't find it out much about her um, we, we find out a, a hell of a lot more about her here, TK And so between that and the one major point I'm going to be hammering throughout this episode Is one that we've hammered throughout the first two Visuals Just amazing look of this place Lamentus 1 I mean I get You get just like I'm watching it and I'm like I just I feel Thanos I feel Star Wars You know Like I feel Madripoor (laughs) Like all Mm -hmm. these different places And things from These different universes It's got this like gritty Almost DC Comics-ish Vibe to some parts of it too Like The visuals here Throughout the planet and the meteor showers are just incredible. Yeah, I thought the CG work was was absolutely phenomenal. I will say I I was taken out of it a little bit on the um, the visual effects side. Whenever we were looking at compositing, like we're seeing the characters on screen amidst all that, I felt mm-hmm. like it was a little bit. Awesome. It, it reminded me of. Of um, if you ever see, saw Peter Jackson's King Kong, there's mm-hmm. amazing visual movie. I love the movie actually, but there's sequences in it where the the characters feel separate from the 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 background and the the CG characters that are going in there. That's and I think it's the it. lighting. Oh, sorry, what's that? No, I said that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank. You. Yeah, and it's 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 the compositing, it's the, it's the lighting, it's that CG on a soundstage green screen kind of look. Uh, to it that kind of took me out of it, and I noticed it um, kind of heavy at a few different uh, spots here. I don't know if it's the color grading or just them able to match the colors and the light values on on the characters compared to the background, but that did stand out to me as something that I thought uh, was missing, especially compared to um, the tech that's going on with the Mandalorian shooting in front of the volume. I could yeah. definitely tell that they weren't using that type of technology, which really gives you that immersive feeling that you you know the characters are in there because you have you have the reflections of the 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 very subtle reflections of the light in the background you know uh, bouncing off of the the character's uh features and that just creates this very immersive unified look that you're not getting here um in a lot of cases and it reminded me you you said the dc movies i feel like Zack snyder's justice League, for example which i really enjoyed it has that look a little bit too where you you can kind of tell that everything is shot on green screen. And, you know, that's how a lot of movies are, are, are done. And so it's not really that big of a knock against the, the show, but it was something I felt kind of held this episode back. Um, but to be fair, what you said, the, the CG and the visual effects were incredibly stunning. And there were some really cool camera work and, uh, and blocking that was done with creating um what seemed to to look like like all one take shots i know they're stitched together to look like one take but it was very a la children of men at one time uh 
I got really some cool even stuff. like uh, outworld mm-hmm. early Mortal Kombat vibes of some yeah. of these places too. You know, um, yeah, if, yeah, it, it was. And I'm, I'm, I love when you can point out stuff like that from uh, a lot of the experience that you have on on the side of like things that you've done. Um, as far as like working and, and on films and movies and TV and stuff like that Like you just have an eye for things that oh. a lot of other people do But then a lot of other people don't And the way that you kind of explained some of the things right there was just was, was perfect too um, Thank you This um, this was something that I, I, I heard I think on um, the uh, They used to be binge mode Now Mallory does uh, the ringerverse with uh, a couple different And I had to steal this and, and I wanted to give her credit for it But she said that we're that through three episodes, she she thinks now that this show uh, Loki, it's about characters becoming aware of who they are, um, oh, which you know, and and then absolutely. what happens once they have, and that it's such a like a simple thought, but it's like oh wow, that's that's really the entire theme of everyone like figuring out who are we, all of these memories that that they have that seemingly. Go away more like we find out from Sylvie she doesn't remember things from Long ago because she bounces around through all These timelines it's almost like it it Like every time you do it like Takes some of your memory away Um we're finding out that these TVA Agents hey Bombshell bombshell They're all variants and They're basically now brainwashed Or like men in Black memory removed type thing Where they don't even know like What they're doing um there were some huge things dropped here uh, throughout this episode. Uh, you know, we get Macbeth, love is a dagger. That's some Shakespeare <laughs> right there. Uh, and they have this like incredibly profound conversation um, on the this train where yeah. they're talking about love and philosophy, and they're talking about their childhood and Loki in like a really fleet. Fleeting moment confirms bisexuality too, which has been a huge yeah. topic that's been discussed in for years about this character. Yeah, canon in the comics. Um, from what I understand, uh, Kid Loki in the comics is openly pansexual. Uh, so that this is this is a big uh, this is a big thing uh, for it to, it to actually be explicitly stated within the context of the show. It's canon now in the MCU, and it was something I saw uh, Kate Heron the. The director is, um, you know, openly bisexual, and this is something that was very important to her that was included uh, in the telling of, of this uh, story with Loki here. So very cool. Um, up until this point, the only openly uh, gay uh, or LGBT character in the MCU was, I believe, basically a cameo from one of the Russo brothers in in um, I want to say Endgame when they're in uh, they're in some type of a group therapy session. And he just kind of mentions that he lost his his partner uh there so that's that's basically it for the entire mcu of any mention of you know lgbt characters so this is pretty uh revolutionary for sure the third episode of loki is uh yeah it is one where we're basically just going to be spending it with the uh these two characters for the uh, the bulk of this episode but what we're seeing, um, and I don't know if it if I just noticed it more in this, uh, maybe than I than I had in in others, but this felt very uh, WandaVision to me in like some of the, I guess the cinematography and like the music and the score. If you listen to some of the songs and like look up the lyrics of them, they are like telling the story 
of what's what's mm. happening. Even the, the yes, the, the song right off the bat is a song called Demons, and it right. and it's ta- and it, if you look up like the lyrics of that song, and it's right when the uh like the Marvel intro is playing. Um, y- if you look the ly- the lyrics up, it's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm in inside, trapped inside your head. I'm enchanting you. Yeah. You know, basically like telling exactly what's happening. It's just like, oh my gosh, that's. This is kind of stuff that they have a lot of fun doing You can tell And we open yeah. up the episode actually TK after the uh, the recap for last week And we see Sylvie And Hunter C20 Having drinks And they just look like they're At a normal place A couple normal girls out at a bar And they're You know sitting there like two friends would And talking about margaritas And talking about a brain freeze And we can quickly find out that Sylvie is enchanting Hunter C20 and trying to put her back and go through some of her old memories to try to gain any information that she can about the timekeepers, where they are. She wants to try to get uh, anything that she can. So she's created this like illusion for her of an old memory. And so there are a lot of things throughout this episode right off the bat that feel very like WandaVision with. The enchanting, the illusions you get. I, I got a feel of this throughout, kind of explaining to you a lot more than Wandavision did, as far as like what enchanting is and how to do it. But um, right. there were a lot of questions asked about this that I saw other people asking, like throughout, are Loki and and Sylvie actually enchanting each other later on in the episode or trying to? So this is something that they hit right. us with right away. And what was cool was. There was a moment where it looked like Hunter C20 started to figure out like something yeah. wasn't right. And just like those moments in WandaVision when like Vision right. or somebody would realize like, hey, what's like what's going on? And then Wanda would just kind of snap and fast forward things. Yeah. Um, and Sylvie did that. It moved from day to night. And you could see Hunter C20 kind of looking around like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. It was like she was uh just resetting the the illusion. You know, it was very uh, black mirror, very inception to me. The whole concept of that was just like inception going into the mind and trying to find some information like heist this information. Uh, And it was it was creepy. That moment that you're talking about had a very sinister kind of vibe to it. And I thought that was highlighted in Sylvie's character throughout the episode that she is a darker version of Loki. She's this single minded Uh, focused, goal-driven version of Loki, but she's also at a stage where she's very um, amoral, I would say. Uh, You know, and that's something that we've seen Loki be in the past, but he's kind of had this transformation over time and developed a sense of morality. And I think that the conversation that they have on the train later kind of speaks to it. Uh, But this um, lady Loki, or Sylvie, I should say, is is a much darker, more sinister version of Loki at, at this point. Yeah, and, and we're gonna find out in a little bit, like you said, why she didn't have like Loki, who who he even says himself in earlier episodes, it is not always bad or always good. He's you know right. a little bit of both. Um, she and and some of the things that make him good are the things that humanize him, like his family. Um, right. And she didn't really get those kind of experiences that Loki had. So she didn't exactly. really get humanized a lot like him, you know, didn't have the mother experience, didn't have, you know, the 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 seemingly like the brother who was your best friend, but you hate him kind of guy you're arguing with, mm-hmm. you know. Um, 
So yeah, that that's uh, and and he's kind of even trying to figure out later in the episode, like, oh, okay, so you ha- you didn't experience that. It, that it's kind of fascinating to hear them yeah. talking to each other, like, okay, wait, so what? Where did I break off? You know, like where where exactly. did things go? It, it was uh, yeah, and th- th- those were the two main differences. It was it was that um that uh L- Loki knew that he was or didn't know that he was adopted, whereas Sylvie did know she was adopted. So that was like kind of to what you were saying before about characters like discovering who they are. And that that was a big branch point right there. The yes. fact that he didn't know and she did know that kind of changed their whole identity. And then the other thing which you kind of alluded to before was the mother influence. I think that morality that I spoke of earlier, that that's mm-hmm. he got that from his mother. Yep. Uh, and that that became apparent in that conversation they have on, on the train later. So those two key factors, I think, are, you know, kind of where they diverged on their timelines. So they talk uh, in this opening scene about potato skins, buffalo fingers, margaritas, and then the brain freeze <laughs> is great. She says, um, as Sylvie's trying to literally pull memories from uh, C20's head. She says brain freeze is associated with coldness uh, It permeates the roof of your mouth And it freezes the synapses in your brain So your memories are literally frozen in place she says try it Whatever you're thinking about will get frozen in place So she's like trying to set her up here yeah. uh, I'm going to ask you a question You won't be able to answer until the synapses have melted And the uh, Hunter C20 says Challenge accepted And takes a big sip <laughs> of the margarita Ask how many people are guarding the timekeepers? So she's trying to get this information here, and then this was this is the moment when Hunter C twenty looks around and like realizes something, and then boom, changes from day to night. Music flips, and uh, it's just exactly I wrote down like the the illusion changes just like Wandavision. Uh, uh, Sylvie says, "You know, you could tell me anything, right? Just trying to get information." Finally. She uh, she's able to get that the you got to go through the elevators, these gold elevators, and that's all she needs. Once she hears the gold elevators, boom, Sylvie is headed to the TVA. So she we see her show up through a portal of a door and boom, she is right there um, in uh, back in the TVA and she is in a brawl and, and the the. The room that she's in right here, the little like hallway corridor was very Star Wars like feel to it, you know, when she comes around the oh, corner yeah. and she starts fighting. And and the one thing we noticed throughout the episode, um, her fighting style is a little more aggressive, but a lot of similarities to Loki. Uh, she's much more badass, but you see things that she does that are very much like him. And she, Sofia DiMartino, have to, I have to say, this is not an easy thing to do. Um, to play a character that's gotta also be kind of like as much like Loki as possible, but then not like Loki. Um, it's not yeah. easy. Um, and and she does a really good job of like making you think that oh yeah that that could be Loki. So I I thought she did yeah. a really good job throughout the episode in that. Yeah, their affectations are are, are very similar. They they speak in kind of a, a similar way, uh, but. It, it's not like a, a copy. Uh, it's no. not like um, an impression or anything no. like that. It's, no. Yeah, it feels it feels authentic and its own thing. But you you definitely the the um you see the similarities. They're very apparent. So 
um, after this uh, this fight where she just blasts a couple of these Minutemen and just uh, goodbye sends them back. Yeah. She she almost at, the, at a moment though she like will it, she kind of enchants one of them and then it, it looks like later in the episode there's a moment where she she kind of takes the spell off of someone and and it, it oh, was almost like one of the Minutemen had a like was being enchanted. And she was able to remove that And they kind of like Had that moment like in WandaVision where they're like Where am I? Who am I? Kind of a oh, wow. thing so I didn't that's, something, that. that's wild Yeah that's something to keep an eye on too um, if, if like you know, And obviously we're getting, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here But the, with the big idea of Wow the, these TVA agents Are all variants That have mm-hmm. been brainwashed Or whatever The 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 little things that are mentioned from these characters, um, for example, Owen Wilson with the jet ski. You know, now we right. wonder: is it because he was some guy in the '90s that was like a jet ski scales salesman or loved jet skis, and that and that for was sure who he was right? You know, or yeah. how about um, <laughs> the uh, the clerk at the beginning that didn't know what a fish was? Like that guy's got to be like a bass yeah. master. I read that somewhere or something, right? <laughs> like he didn't know what a right. what's a fish, or he's like a. He, I'm gonna gut you like a fish. What's a fish? You know. So, yeah. um, these are really fun things to just kind of look into uh, even more, as Sylvie, and uh, so we we saw at the very beginning too of the episode of like Sylvie watching Loki and the TVA and the security cameras when she was setting them right. all up. That was when she was getting that information from Hunter C20, and then so this was a little bit of like a flashback. Um, uh, because mem- we remember we saw Hunter C20 sitting in the office Mobius approached and she was kind of enchant- Entranced just like that And that 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 was what was happening there um, So Now we get to Sylvie back in the uh, the TVA she laid out a couple of these Minutemen and Loki has followed her And oh, uh, I should I should say Before we move on please do. that That uh, hallway action sequence Was probably the standout like Fight scene in in this episode um, there was some good stuff la- later on, but I thought that this one re- hit pretty hard, especially the way she disintegrated a few of the guys and just the, uh, the court, the fight choreography here was, was really on point. It reminded me of some of the Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, um, hallway fight sequences for my Iron Man two. It was very, it had this, a similar kind of style to the, to the fighting and it was brutal. It was right to the point. It was almost like the raid. Uh, just uh, I thought that that stood out to me as like, oh, they 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 really put a little su- extra special sauce on that scene. So um, Loki and uh, and Sylvie talk a little bit, and Loki takes out his dagger. She's looking for the timekeepers, yes. um, and uh, they are starting to kind of battle and argue a little bit. As Ravona Renslayer makes her way out, um, but the, the the back and forth between them is pretty great. He says, "Are you sure you're yeah. a Loki?" And uh, she, he, she says, uh, you know, you're, you're in my way. He says, you are my way. And, and he, uh, he says, I thought perhaps we could work together, but now I see you lack vision, which is <laughs> great. This is the great, like, you know, made me smile. Oh my gosh, where's vision when we need him? Where's he flying around right now? You know, um, so uh, um, this is what was. The dynamic between these two characters is what makes it very interesting because we don't know. I mean, we assume they're not going to kill each other, but they're not 
they don't just immediately become buddy buddies. It's it's a very like no. gradual sort of like one step forward, two steps back as like they'll have these moments and these connections and then there's these like a really electric energetic interactions and then like somebody screws up or the other person will try to kill each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have really great chemistry. It's it almost makes up for the lack of Owen Wilson. It's hard to, it's hard to match that chemistry really, but um uh there's there's good interactions between them throughout the episode. That's kind of what carries this whole episode. You mentioned yeah. before, it's 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 almost like a bottle episode with just these two characters. Even though they go to some, you know, different locales. I mean, it's really just these two characters the, the whole time carrying the whole thing. And one of the things that makes that work is that Sylvie is just constantly trying to get one over on Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, just n- almost unrelenting through it up from the beginning to, to the end. She's constantly trying to trick him, trying to uh, convince him to get hand over this temp pad. Uh, and, uh, and she's, she's basically, she's not on his side the entire time. She's only working with him because he has something that she, uh, she wants. He basically screwed up her plan. That he that right. she's been working on forever, and she knows that, like she has to sort of play the game a little bit to get to yeah to get what he 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 has. Um, it, it's so funny because they're both used to just having the upper hand in in every situation right. that they're in. They're so smart; they can manipulate, they can use their magic, their powers, but they can't do that to each other. Um, exactly, and, and so they're like stuck having to like. Walk around like normal people How he complains which is funny And like just like you know uh, Try to use Like actual wit And not and like a normal person would To to try to right. uh, You know uh, get thumb on the other Or, or whatever they say so right. It is uh, a Really great job from both of these characters Throughout the uh, throughout the episode As uh, uh, Ravonna Renslayer Shows up And this is when Loki says or uh, when she uh, she says to uh, to Sylvie, I- I'm gonna kill, uh, you know. Okay, excuse me. Ravonna Vent Renslayer shows up as uh, Sylvie kind of grabs Loki like a hostage, and she, she yeah. says, "I'll I'll kill him." And, and Renslayer's like, "I don't care. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't I don't care about either moment. of you two. And she's Sylvie's like, "Oh crap!" You know, like realizes. <laughs> um, and Loki actually saves the day because uh, behind uh, Renslayer are a couple Minutemen. And a couple hunters They're just getting ready to Probably just do away with both Loki and Sylvie But Loki presses the button On the temp pad And he transports them We don't know to where quite yet But he gets them out of this situation Where they would have been In uh, in death in just, in just seconds So um, for all the mistakes That he does have th- later throughout the episode This moment he He does save them yeah, he saves him a couple times actually. Mm-hmm. There's a really yes. cool moment later in the episode where we really get to see the extent of of Loki's power like I don't think we've really seen quite yet. So this moment now is where Sylvie is pissed. Um she she's pissed but she shouldn't be that mad quite yet. She's just mad because she's not used to having a partner. She does everything on her own. She had a plan. She's been working on this plan for years. She's been setting things up, bouncing around from timeline to timeline. She had the TVA set up just where she wanted. There were very few people around. She was going to try to get in there and manipulate. And because of like Loki kind of 
you know, trying to fight with her and causing a little bit of a distraction. They, you know, Renslayer was able to find her. She couldn't get her plan executed. Now they're in this place. They don't know where the hell they are. But as Sylvie and Loki battle over the device, we see that it has low battery. And when she tries to use this thing, it will not work. Give it to me. You don't know how to recharge it. Loki says, of course I do. You're not the only tech savvy Loki. (laughs) And she says don't call me that He says tech savvy And she says no a Loki She said no So that that was uh, interesting She just does not want anything to do with that name With that uh, With uh, the uh, the moniker Loki And as they She doesn't want to be She doesn't want to be dead named Uh, I I just want to point that out It's like it's a, yes. that, that thing about dead naming um, a trans person. Like it's one of the it's a kind of a taboo. It's a thing you don't want to do. Uh, it can be very offensive uh, to, to trans people to, you know, call them by their their previous name. Uh, and it, yeah, there's a name for that. It's dead naming. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was a really interesting, uh, important little touch that they had. there, just kind of reinforcing these LGBT uh, LGBTQ themes throughout the, the series, especially in this episode where we, we find out that Loki's bi. So the background now, we start to hear explosions all over. And she says, where did you send us? And she looks, you idiot. This is Lamentis One. She says, I don't know what that means. And she says, the moon... That the the moon that planet is about to crash into and destroy, of all of the apocalypses saved on that tempad, this is the worst. No one makes it off here. He says, "I'm sorry, madam. I didn't have time to scan the brochure." Uh, <laughs> and now he says, "I thought you wanted me dead, but this is where she tells us I didn't know where you hid the tempad. But if you blow up, it blows up, and I blow up." So whether or not they want to be They're sort of like tethered together here Because Loki can pretend like He's smart and tech savvy He doesn't know anything about this Stuff, the TVA stuff The equipment, nothing about The future, how to get around from here He he worked with the Tesseract You know, this isn't his This is not his equipment here So he needs her, she literally needs him Because if she doesn't get that equipment That chem pad from him, they're both stuck So they're uh, they're pretty much SOL and they're pretty screwed right here, TK. Yeah, and so they'll just have to work together. Uh, Loki's kind of forcing her hand on this one because uh, just just by merit of the fact that he's got the 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 temp pad, he's hiding it. What did he say? It's in his heart or something? I, I don't really quite understand exactly where he was where he was keeping it. Um, but uh, yeah, if she can't get it from him, she can't travel through time. They're all gonna die on this planet. Uh, the worst apocalypse is is a is a funny thing. I think it's uh, right. Just uh, the, the idea of that, like, oh, there's an apocalypse. Well, this is the worst apocalypse. Of the apocalypse. Yeah, the yeah. Po- it is funny. It's like uh, he's so wet. Well, I mean, if you're wet, you're wet, right? It's like one of those things where it's just like <laughs> right, you know, right, it's, right. <laughs> it's like there aren't versions of you know you're either wet or you're not wet. You know, but exactly, it's exactly. It's, like, it's what it kind of an apocalypse. That's a, that's a funny. This is right. like a Jerry Seinfeld like stand up thing. You know, what do you mean worst apocalypse? You know, it's just exactly. Uh, um, so and and as soon as we get the like we see the look of this place. So they say that moon that planet is about to crash into and destroy. 
So they're on This was what people were getting a little tricky Is this a planet or is this a moon Because we see a moon and a planet About to crash into each other But I do think they say planet And the name of it is kind of interesting Lamentis Which you know you think of the, the word lament and right. Which is basically what they're doing This entire episode You know like point, They're just yeah. talking about their gripes Their life like going through everything um, Kind of like Frustrated about the situation that they're in um, So This is cool As they're running Across the outside of Lamentus 1 It's almost like a video game That they're like dodging these meteor showers They're running out yeah. of the way of them And they've got to like hide and take cover In different spots here and there um, And They are th- There's a moment where They Find like a little shed And they, they catch cover And they go inside And she, Sylvie kind of Looks over at Loki And she puts her hands right up on his temples Like she yeah. would enchant someone And they have this moment for Where it looks almost like they're gonna kiss um, Yeah, yeah. He, he looks at her And he says What are you doing <laughs> and, and she looks back at him and says What are you doing <laughs> and and uh, says you trying to he says to her you trying to enchant me it won't work and she gets frustrated why because you're a magician no because my mind is too strong <laughs> this was funny and you like you yeah. almost got this the um the feeling that Loki was trying to enchant her back right. uh, but he doesn't really know how to do it he you know he he tells us in a minute he, he doesn't know but it she just was like. Looking, she was so uh, surprised that she couldn't get in his head, and that almost like th- there was something else there too. Like it was, it was like, what the hell are you? It was great. This little back and forth, I just yeah. loved. It was really funny. It was another example of you know just her continuously trying to get one over on him throughout, and just coming up short because it's it's like trying to fight your re- reflection. It's this. It, it, there's no. It's not happening. You know, they're, they're so equal that she, she just keeps coming up against that and, and finding out that it's just not going to work. So um, one by one, it's just uh, one after another. It just it just keeps going down like that. And uh, eventually she has to get to the point of like where they just have to agree to work together and, and figure this thing out. So they are in uh, Lamentus 1, 2077. And this is like real futuristic looking uh, all over. And they... They are, you know, gonna start to argue again, but they're realizing they're in pretty bad shape. And he says, I don't know, you know, are we really gonna do this again here? A truce. Neither of us is getting off this rock if we can't turn that tempad on. And he says, uh, she says, where do you have it hidden? He says, in my heart. Well, then I'll cut it out. It's nice, <laughs> very droll, lovely. Um, yeah, I do have the tempad, but I'm not gonna get very far if you keep trying to kill me. So this is when she realizes that, you know, you're full of it because you need me to get me that recharge. That's the only reason you saved me out there. So both of them, like, they, uh, they're the way they manipulate people, um, isn't going to work because their opponent right now yeah. knows what they what they need. They they know what they want. Exactly. You know, uh, yep. they're kind of <laughs> the mind games won't work as well. It's it's why the the TVA went to Loki in the first place to to go after Sylvie, 
because they're they're reflections of one another. They yep. think so alike that that's how you know they're going to get one over uh, on Sylvia. That, that was the that was the attempt at least. They were trying to pull the old Hannibal Lecter uh, Silence of the Lambs technique, and uh, it was working all right for him for a minute. But you know, once you have two Hannibal Lecters going up against each other, there's they're just going to even each other out. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, he he says uh, Loki says maybe. Um, or he said, I mean, that too. He said, or we could slaughter each other in this abandoned mining shack. <laughs> what do you say? Right. And she says, good for me. Uh, she's mad. So the plan you interrupted was years in the making. And as soon as I turn that temp hat on, I'm going straight back to the TVA to finish what I started. She said, I'll kill you then. And Loki says, or I'll kill you. And they decide, okay, they have to try to find a power source here. And she said, there's power somewhere on this moon. We just need enough to travel through interdimensional time and space. <laughs> so they decide to leave the shed to go back out to find power. The explosions have subsided a little bit. Um, they're they're sort of able to they're, – they're in the background, you can still see some of these meteor showers. And you can still see um, big explosions in the back, but not quite as much. And mm-hmm. this is really where for from this moment, I think until like through and then through like the train scene that we're going to see, they kind of let their guard down with each other for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. They they really actually do seem to to be honest, at least and not trying to play games, because I think they're both like, why play anymore? Like, let, why waste the energy when it's not going to really work in this situation? So that uh, is what's the plan? Uh, there's a town near here uh, So they, they go to look for A way they can find power mm-hmm. And he calls her Variant She says I'm sorry uh, Don't call me Variant And he, Loki says I'm not calling some faded Photocopy of me Loki She says good That's not who I am anymore I'm Sylvie now So she says it's an alias And mm-hmm. he says to her It's not very Loki like so this is like the third time he said that in this episode, and that's when she uh-huh. finally kind of bites on it, where she sort of says, um, you know, what makes a Loki a Loki? He says, independence, authority, and style. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she doesn't want to be referred to as Loki. She And I think a lot of that has to do with, like you said, that's a, it's a dead name. And, and right. she, she doesn't even have the memories of Loki. She's a different, like a, like a completely new person. True. Yeah, yeah. She's had a different history. I mean, that's what kind of makes her a variant, and it's it goes to that, you know, old question of nature versus nurture, you know, um, and that's tied very much to the idea of free will, which is a major theme of this, you know, this whole series here. So it's just, you know, if your experiences are different, how does that change your identity? How does that change, you know, the the idea of who you are? Uh, and like you said earlier, this show is about people discovering uh, who they are. So it's just uh, it's layered in that kind of way that uh, it keeps it very, very interesting. So uh, Loki says your years in the making plan was to tear the place down, create the ultimate power vacuum and then just walk away. I'd never <laughs> have done that. <laughs> she, she says, well, I'm not you. And so they continue 
uh, conversation and they find an abandoned city and it looked like everyone had already fled you get some real like western vibes here with this like yeah. city like ghost town city like a back to the future 3 i'm thinking or like real old it's uh um just a cool look to it and they figure out here sylvie says they have 12 hours or so Things are going to get worse, more meteors, gravity quakes, and the collapse of society in the face of annihilation. Uh, so just they got to find a way to charge the, the temp pad. And yeah. there's a big lit up sign that Loki asks, could that charge the temp pad? And uh, Sylvie kind of goes up to see, even though she knows that it couldn't. Right. She's trying to play Loki so that way he'll give it to her so that way she can just take it and kill him and just be on her way. Yeah. But they both are still a little too smart for one another. But this is another moment when she really, really knows that you don't know what you're doing here because you would right. know that that cannot charge this. Yeah, and she she wields that information very condescendingly. It's like, yes. Well, how how would Loki know this stuff? Like, why yeah. do you think you're so smart just for like lording this information over? It was it kind of reminded me of earlier in the series when some specifics would get brought up about like, is this how you know such and such works? And they would be like, yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, it's oh, very yeah, similar. Yeah. Like they. They allude to like it being more complicated than it is, but they're not going to like explain it to us because we're, you know, that would bog us down as, as, you know, as the viewers here. So we just, we just get this vague idea of like it's way more powerful and, and more complicated than we could really understand. And, you know, just accept that and we'll move on. So they uh, arrive at a, a home and uh, this home, this place looked like a Star Wars house. Like a, a a a house on like a Tatooine somewhere, like you know you'd find this. Uh, Big time. Um, yeah. And this scene reminded me a lot. I think it was Kill Bill Volume Two, uh, where mm. Sylvie and Loki know that this house may be a place where they can you know get a little bit of help. So before they go in the door, before they enter, uh, you know you kind of see the different in approach from the two of them. Yeah. Sylvie just wants to blast right in So she opens the door starts to walk in And she gets just Like blasted back And thrown you know 50 feet back As Loki kind of snickers And he Says I'm sorry madam To uh you know the woman who's inside (laughs) He says before He says brute force is no substitute For diplomacy and guile (laughs) Um So he tries to reason with the woman and in the home, you know, he sees a picture through the window of what he thinks is her husband. So he uses his magic to change into what her husband looks like. And he comes around the corner and he says, uh, hello, dear. It's been a long time. You're as beautiful as and <laughs> she blasts him, Loki. And she, she's not buying it. She says, yeah. He never said a nice thing in 30 years. You're no travelers. You're devils. So <laughs> her husband apparently was not the nicest guy in the world. But uh, yeah. this is a funny little scene where uh, Sylvie comes over and mocks Loki and says, what was that? Diplomacy? So she enjoyed <laughs> seeing him get blasted away as they both kind of take turns trying to get uh, trying to use their guile um, 
to in their powers and their magic to get some information from this woman who I mean all they had to do was ask right right <laughs> she, she, she says what do you devils want with me which is funny that she <laughs> refers to them as devils and yeah they just want to ask you a question where is everyone the ark the evacuation vessel the ark how about that huh Noah's ark here um yeah. something and so they realize okay that might be a place that would be able to repower the tempad. They ask, how do they get there? She says, the train station's at the edge of the town, but you'll never get a ticket. So they head for the train um, that will take them to the Ark here. So uh, this woman is going to just ride it out. Looks like she's, uh, you know, by herself and she's not even trying to uh, to get a ticket for the Ark. She's just going to, uh, she's just going to go, go uh, in peace at her own home. Yeah, and it seems, um, you know, judging by what we see in the in the next scene, it, it, she made the right choice because right? it doesn't seem like they were letting, you know, the the huddled masses onto the train to get onto that arc. It was very much um, the lifeboats on the Titanic kind I, of. Vibe. I was just gonna say, right yeah. when you when yeah. they walk up right now and everyone's standing in line and they're like, "We need to get in, we need to get in," and like, "Come on, we've been waiting for forty minutes." You, it feels like the Titanic. It, yeah. it does so much And it's like um, I don't know where I wrote it somewhere too, But there was another part where it's like You get this like steerage Feel too mm-hmm. um, the, Yeah that, the, the influences for a lot of things they do Are really obvious and it's, and, and it's fun When, when we can uh, pick them out like that So yeah. we, we see This massive line everyone waiting To board this vessel thousands of people And Loki asks what the plan is um, And Sylvie starts to mention What the plan's going to be And he says no Not not this time He says we're doing this one my way So he turns into a guard With Sylvie uh, As sort of like his prisoner And they get on the train And a little small scare Where one of the other uh, officers Kind of comes over and says what's going on Where are your tickets They're able to yeah. use their magic to enchant them and then a little Jedi uh, mind trick. Yeah, know, yeah, moment. exactly. Very stormtrooper. Uh, this was vibe just like Obi Wan telling, "So you're yeah. fine, you know?" Or Qui Gon, <laughs> "No, nothing to see here, you know." Um, yeah, it was a, you know, you could tell that there was a little something to it, right? They're not supposed to be there, so they were noticed, but they got away with it. So, so they're just right. in a situation where, okay. We just got to be really quiet and we'll we'll get out of this fine, but we can't make a scene. We can't, you know, draw any attention to ourselves. Yep. <laughs> and that is uh, not quite what happens next with Loki. Um, I mean, there's even a moment right before this where uh, they say things like, uh, let us in women and children. They're only giving mm-hmm. tickets out to the wealthy. You know, the crowd is yeah. shouting stuff like that. And that's where you get that Titanic. Big time to yeah. it, you know. Um, so as they walk on to the train, when they get in this bar, this place was like this is where you get the oh wow, this is like Madripoor, like a Star Wars underworld ish type place, but it's like a little more, it's like upscale, you know, it's not like yeah. the cantina. That's why you think a little more like Madripoor because it's got a like a a good sort of fancy look to it. Um, yeah. in, it's it's like the elite are up yes. there, you know, the, yes. the wealthy, the elite. 
And uh, yeah, there's there's a I don't know I don't know how to describe it, but uh, I'll say sinister again, a little bit of a dark yes. sinister vibe. Like you could tell it's, like a, mob, it's a mafia place where mob bosses were right now. You know, sure, sure. Yeah. It's corrupt. There's yeah, you get the absolutely. sense that, that it's a corrupt society and that these people are. It, it, it's not fair. The, the the contrast to see the way that they're they're kind of celebrating almost the the vibe that they have up there. It uh, contrasted against there's a literal apocalypse right outside and there's people who can't get on the 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 train, but everybody's just kind of drinking and and having a good time. It's very Gatsby esque. Uh, yes. it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Yes. it doesn't make sense that they would be doing that amidst no. you know such horror annihilation so, yeah yeah coming up so you you kind of don't feel bad for the, these people who are just so callously like it's almost like they don't enjoying themselves they're like mm-hmm. so naive they're like not living in the real world that they don't even realize right. what's coming remember think about titanic remember right. some of the rich people how they were like still direct oh hey go get this like we're gonna have a drink and they don't even realize they're about to die because they think that's not gonna happen to me I'm yeah, rich. They're so sheltered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Loki and Sylvie kind of argue about where to sit. He says, I, I can't go backwards on a train. I never sit with my back to the door. And he says, there are doors on both sides. And just, <laughs> they end up sitting down. And you can see that Sylvie is tired. She yawns. Um, he Loki tells her, you know, go ahead, you know, rest. And she, I can't sleep in a place like this. He says, uh, you can't sleep on a train? She says, no, around untrustworthy people. Oh, right, that's me. Um, So just some funny little quips back and forth before things really get deep. And he, Mm -hmm. she actually says, she, which I'm sure Loki loves hearing this. She says, I'm not going to waste my time rooting around for the tempad when somebody taught you fairly decent magic. So, you know, she, she's realized like, okay. It's not even worth it to try to go after this guy because he can actually fight back pretty well, uh, which, you know, for someone with Loki's ego, just just hearing that you kind of see him like perk up and smile a little bit. Yeah, she realizes that she's met her match and has kind of come to to grips with that. There's things she doesn't like about him at this point and that uh, she still thinks she's better, but she realizes that, you know, there's a little of uh, herself in in Loki. So uh she she realizes that he's a he's a kind of a foe to be reckoned with. It's not worth going up against him. They're too evenly matched. So he says that it was his mother, in fact, who taught him magic. She yeah. she was uh, queen of Asgard. She was good, purely decent. And Sylvie says, "Are you sure she was your mother?" <laughs> that was a good line. And he says, "No, she's actually not. I was adopted." Is that a bit of a spoiler for you? Sorry about that. <laughs> and she says, mm-hmm. no, I knew I was adopted. So this was a cool moment where he said, what? They told you? She said, yeah, didn't mm-hmm. they tell you? And he says, no. I mean, they did eventually. Hang on a second. Tell me about your mother. So now he's trying to figure out where were you? Where was I? What do you know? How much of our lives are similar or were similar? And so now they're getting they're getting behind some of these walls and these barriers um, and, and this yeah. is a moment where he's actually getting let in probably for one of the first times with Sylvie, uh, as she had yeah. said, like she wanted to keep her guard up because, uh, it gives her the upper hand in battle. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, Loki is a little bit jealous. I think when he, when he hears that 
you know, they told you like he, he was yes. like, wow, what would, what would my life be like if I, if I was not burdened with, with that, you know, that revelation at that point in my life, if I, if I could have just been, would I be more well-adjusted or something, you know, going through. And, um, it, I think it's, uh, it's interesting how, uh, you know, he says stuff like he's burdened with, with glorious purpose. And in this conversation, we kind of find out a little bit more about just how burdened with purpose uh, you know, Sylvie is here. So she starts talking about her mother. She says, you know, I, yeah. I barely remember her just blips of a dream. Uh, you know, when I was young, or, oh, excuse me. Okay. He says, she says, I barely remember her just blips of a dream at this point. Mm. Um, and Loki goes on about his mother and he says, you know, when I was young, she'd do these little bits of magic for me, like turn a flower into a frog or cast fireworks over the water. It all seemed Impossible and she told me that I'd be able to do it too because I could do anything you want to see And so he kind of holds out the palm of his hand and there's really cool little like fireworks show Um, It's like something you would see it's almost like a like a live snow globe, you know, like in his hand, you know, just and um, Sylvie is kind of smiling she kind of lights up a little bit and they seem to have this very genuine connection and moment right here where Sylvie for the in this conversation, she's actually complimented Loki a few different times, and she does again right here. Um, yeah. Where Loki says she was the kind of person you'd want to believe in you, and Sylvie says, "Sounds like she does." Loki said, "Well, she did," um, and that's when he. It's like they're getting really deep, and he kind of says, "Okay, so we're, uh, you know, I, I gave you more here. I let you in. I, I like." Gave you the sad mom story that you would tell someone on a first date, or you know, like you know, so something like right. that to 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 win their uh, win their affection. Now it's your turn. You know, you know, how do you do the? Where did you learn to do the? He's asking her about the the uh, enchanting and the illusions. She taught herself, which yeah. just is like impressive as hell to Loki, um, as he continues to ask. So she tells him. You just go into their minds and uh, or she says, um, uh, she actually she starts to and say because uh, Loki asks her, so you know you just go into their minds and project some sort of illusion. She said it'd be easier if I just. He says, "Oh, <laughs> enchant me and take the temp pad and leap out of the train." No, thank you. <laughs> she's so, still trying. She's, she's still trying. trying, even at this moment. Any and opportunity she, to get in there. And she'll let him know in a little bit, but it wasn't yet where she she finally let the rabbit out of the uh out of the hat. She didn't let it the cat out of the bag quite yet. Um, mm-hmm. still wants to have the upper hand here. She says, "Well, don't then don't ask." And he says, "Okay." As the uh, waiter comes by and asks if anyone wants some champagne, of course Loki does. Uh, she mm-hmm. does not, so he takes hers, and he says, "Cheers to the end of the <laughs> world." <laughs> Drinking for two. And he just makes me laugh with stuff like that You know like when he's dancing yeah. around When they were in Pompeii Like cheers mm-hmm. oh my god everyone's gonna die It's just funny <laughs> right, like, right. Literally dancing on people's graves um, And I thought that moment was great too Because you see the The dichotomy there You know you see Loki who's just about Chaos and mischief and he's You know down to drink for two in this moment And you've got Sylvie Who like I kind of mentioned before She's got this purpose she's single-minded and focused so she's not gonna drink she's gonna stay sober because she has a mission 
Uh, that's not the case for Loki. He's going to get right. drunk. He's going to get full. <laughs> um, so yeah. the, the conversation they have next is about love, which is really interesting. So he says, it's a pity the old woman chose to die, don't you think? She says, Sylvie says she was in love. And Loki says she hated him. And Sylvia says, maybe love is hate. Loki <laughs> takes out like a, a scroll, like he's going to yeah. you know, write down and says, oh, I should probably remember that. What was that? Love is, oh, love is oh, hate. Yeah. You know, she says, oh, piss off. And <laughs> uh, this was great. So on the subject of love, is there a lucky bow waiting for you at the end of this crusade? Now, this is a. This is so funny you know this is like When you're flirty and you start to get To the point where you're like okay now I can ask him If they're dating <laughs> you know and so he asks, he asks her And uh, she says Yeah there is actually I managed to maintain quite a serious Long distance relationship with A postman whilst running Across <laughs> time from one Apocalypse to another So this is something that has Gotten a lot of uh, fun conversation About um, so I guess before we get into here, this is the the, mm-hmm. the beginning of when they talk about love, which is a conversation that Loki will continue in a moment. But the uh, the love is hate line is funny. Um, yeah. And then you wonder with her, OK, is she telling the truth or is this something like in any you, know, you meet someone? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm dating someone. I've got this guy or gal back home, you know, and uh, right. it, it's a postman, you know, and she's just making right. a joke. Yeah, so. I have a girlfriend. She she lives in the town of, uh, across from ours. She's, in, she's from Canada. Yeah, and then two day two days later, all of a sudden you br- you're not with her anymore. When you start dating <laughs> the other, and, you know, um, this these made me laugh. Like um, this is a type of episode where for it, I could see it being really boring and really bad if these two characters weren't really good. These two actors weren't really good. The writing yeah. wasn't still really funny and rich. You know, like we talked about, mm-hmm. they have to give some exposition, but while they're doing it, there's a lot of funny and very real moments. I thought this might have been one of my favorite parts of the entire episode, even though it's probably only like two two minutes of them like sitting down together at this this part of the bar. But you mm-hmm. you feel you, you feel stuff, you know, when you're watching them yeah. right here. I think uh, I think it works really well because it. It reveals things about the characters and it's uh, it they act in ways that are true to the characters. Just for example, the way that uh, Loki takes the drink and 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 Sylvie doesn't that informs us just about, you know, their goals, their state of mind right now, their their differences. But then they also get into like you mentioned, there's some exposition there, but it's it's rich exposition. It's informative exposition about the context of these characters and why they're doing what they're doing and where they are. And like, this is the, the scene where, you know, we mentioned it before, but it becomes explicit that Loki is uh, uh, bisexual. Both these characters are are bisexual. Uh, And that's, that's interesting. That's something to chew on right there for sure. And uh, I love the postman line. Uh, I just thought of this now, but if there's a post-apocalyptic postman that she's kind of infatuated with, it's gotta be Kevin Costner. Hands down, oh, right. it's Kevin Costner, oh, post-apocalyptic, right. postman, dreamboat oh. Costner right here. It's got to right? be him. That's all I'm that, saying. <laughs> that's funny. A lot of people were, were making the joke of how um, uh, 
the one the one division postman the one division postman yeah. and i also uh stan lee played the postman in that's in, right right and so they were maybe it was just a joke of like getting him into another uh project you know just mentioning yeah. him so and this is just one of those things that we've done with wanda and with with falcon and the winter soldier like some of these things could be small and nothing, and even just like parts of dialogue. But because they've left us Easter eggs and clues, we're always trying to find more. So um, I thought this was really funny and and well done because now you and I are having this conversation about who is, who the hell is the postman, and and, and it's great. Um, and uh, yeah, so she asks him, "How about you? You're a prince. Must have been would be princesses, or perhaps another prince." And he says a bit of both. I suspect the same as you, but nothing ever. And she finishes his thought. She says real. So they both same thing, very um, on the surface type relationships. She mentions hedonistic later on, you know, like those mm-hmm. type of things. So now she says love is mischief then. And Nogi uh, says no Love is uh, so- Something I might have to have another drink To think about it <laughs> And yeah. um, So he starts pounding And she says You know you realize we're about to try to Hijack the power source to a civilization's Civilization's only hope Gotta be a Star Wars joke right Only right. hope you know Help me Obi-Wan you're my only hope um, So we should rest And he says okay you relax your way And I'll relax mine mm. And then we get a look At the outside of the train a- Again a look at the planet And as the train Is moving along these tracks here Very you know uh, ap- Apocalyptic A very uh, the end is coming Death star kind of feel And then all of a sudden You get this like this is where it was like, oh my gosh, this is in steerage of the Titanic. They're they're right. they're partying and drinking, and the music sounds exactly like the music that they would be that they were playing, and it's Loki singing in Asgardian, and yeah. she sings, she sings, come home, you know, she sings when she sings, she sings, come home, and and he's partying with all these people in the bar, and you know, remember, they're not supposed to be there. They were playing an officer and a prisoner that he was, yeah. you know, using to transport. And now all of a sudden, Loki's drunk. And when he's drunk and partying with these people, it's like he forgot he's not even in his uniform anymore. Yeah. He's, he's just, back to his variant uh, uniform. Yeah. It says variant on his back. Right off the back. And he is, he is canned. I mean, he's so canned yeah. here. He's singing to Sylvie and he's yeah. like he's looking right at her like just mm-hmm. I effing her, you know, with the song. <laughs> and then and then he starts to bounce around and smile and he is just playing the drunk really well to, to be honest. Like he he it, yeah. you know, when a lot of people try to play Drunk or high or on drugs I mean not when I, I would know yeah. Tim no, I've never done any of those things <laughs> But sometimes it's way over the top And like yeah. as someone who has been in California And may have smoked a, a blunt Or two in my day <laughs> I'll look and say that's not how it is Come on But you know yeah. I thought he did a pretty good job of like He's drunk but he's not Completely over the top like 
Oh my God, laying it on thick, drunk. Yeah, he was doing it pretty subtle. Uh, Tom Hiddleston's a great actor, and he, he could definitely pull that off. That's something that uh, I think it comes up a lot. Um, you know, people judging actors for how well they do drunk. You know, there's like crying on screen. There's can you play drunk? Those are kind of like um, the, the classics where people can kind of trip up, or you can tell if they're you know a, a solid actor or not. And he he did it very 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 well. And I thought he did it funny like it was an yeah. affable funny mm-hmm. drunk that he was he pe- he played the drunk in a way that like all his inhibitions were gone mm-hmm. and his and he was just that guy uh who was like his inner thoughts and feelings were just kind of coming out there was no filter there anymore and that that i think is the the right way to play it he slams down the glass and breaks it and to sylvie everybody the, the <laughs> best i i love how he says Another, another, like a, a direct uh, callback to <laughs> Thor. My favorite joke from Thor. Whenever I think of Thor, I feel like it's an underrated MCU film, uh, and it's funny. I think it's super funny with Kat Dennings and and Thor being kind of this um, man uh, out of time and uh, place. He, he's just a fish out of water kind of yes. story, and that's I think embodies. Um, the humor of, you know, of that story so much that just that one moment, that recurring joke of when he smashes the, uh, the, the coffee, uh, the coffee mug and just says another, like it's an Asgardian <laughs> tradition, I suppose. So Sylvie says, you're drunk. He says, no, I'm just full, but bear in <laughs> mind, I'm very full. Now <laughs> I need you to try this. And he pulls out like a, it looks like sort of like a candy, kind of like a dessert, maybe like an eclair kind of thing. Um, I thought it was a cheese. Was it not cheese? cheese? Okay, <laughs> maybe it was a cheese. Okay, here we go. That, there you go. Okay, so he, and he says, bear in mind, uh, I'm, uh, he says, it pairs very nicely with the figgy port. <laughs> he right. starts looking around. Who's got the figgy port? <laughs> You're going to have to take my word on the figgy port. <laughs> He's so just funny. stumbling. And she's yeah. getting concerned because – she can tell that while he's singing and then he breaks the glass, there were a couple people in the bar that were like, what the hell is going on? And and they went back to go tell – basically like telling him. You, it was like if you were drunk at a bar and making a scene, someone's going to go tell the manager or tell him, and they're going right. to get security to come get you. And, uh, yeah. and that's, that's what's about to happen here as – Loki's doing is nobody cares. It's the end of the world. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna die. You know, but yeah. she says, I think something's happening. He says, Don't be an ass. I saw some people looking at you weirdly. And she, he says, When did you get so paranoid? Her line right here after was great. Must have started when I spent my entire life running from the omniscient fascist fascist you work for. <laughs> he <laughs> He says that's a shame to go to waste A change of subject I thought of an answer To what Your question Love is a dagger It's a weapon to be yielded or To be wielded far away or up close You can see yourself in it It's beautiful Until it makes you bleed But ultimately when you reach for it It isn't real And she goes Yeah And she she goes Love is an imaginary dagger? <laughs> he goes, it doesn't make sense, does it? <laughs> like a totally drunk person who thought they, this is the greatest thing in the world. Oh my God, this yeah. is going to be so great. And like you say something that makes no sense whatsoever. It's, it's so profound, bro. 
I'm thinking of Stewie, right, from Family Guy. Oh, my God, like, you got to hear this, man. You got to hear this. Like, you got to hear this. (laughs) Oh, man, I love you, man. It's so good. Um, (laughs) So they get approached and um, and they get asked uh, about tickets by some officers. Uh, Before Loki says, damn, I thought I had something there. She goes, terrible metaphor. (laughs) So um, pretty quickly. You know, they get into it with these with these officers because they, they obviously don't have any uh, any tickets. And as they start to battle, Loki, uh, it's a fun action scene where they there are a couple moments where they do very similar um, offense. Uh, Loki yeah. punches someone off the train, and and he tries to yeah. throw a dagger to like to save Sylvie, <laughs> but he completely misses. He actually almost hits her in the head. And she's yeah. like, "What the hell, man! Like, nice freaking throw." Um, yeah. so I think the the, um, the stormtrooper soldier guy is like, uh, his head is like on one side of Sylvie, and the dagger hits on the complete opposite side <laughs> against the wall. So it's just a complete and total miss there. I actually, um, I thought that this fight sequence what had its moments. Like that one was really strong, and the moment when Loki punches the guard out of the window. That, I thought, was just uh, a very, very cool moment. Um, but I also felt that this was where maybe they didn't put a whole lot into the choreography and that yeah. this was a, one of the weaker action sequences. It, at, my first thought kind of watching it was like, this feels a little generic like a TV show. Um, just going back to that reference I made about like the CW level um, DC TV shows, it, it reminded me of the action in, in those shows, which can be quite good at times. Uh, but it, this felt a, a little bit weak, th- except for those two moments. Um, th- yeah, those two moments there uh, kind of saved it. But overall, I, I felt it was a little generic. And I kind of thought that the Stormtrooper characters with these like teardrop helmets, they also looked a little bit generic, especially having already seen the TVA agents, they were a little too close to like the look and feel of the TVA. I would agree um, with that. Agents, the Minutemen. And it just yeah. felt a little bit like generic TV stormtrooper costume. Guy you know, that guy. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. Um, so, so Sylvie, uh, at Loki punches one of them through the window mm-hmm. off the train. Right. And then he gets thrown off by a couple officers. So Sylvie has to follow. Uh, yeah. She needs that temp pad So she yeah. jumps out the window And follows after him But she is just furious Because now another one of their plans That, that seemed like was going fine Has been screwed up because of Loki Getting drunk So she's furious with him She demands the temp pad And uh, as Loki pulls it out He, he says well that's not ideal She says, Give me the temp pad <laughs> He says okay okay And he pulls it out and it's completely broken. It's just smashed up. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're screwed now. And he says, well, I, I did take quite the tumble. She calls <laughs> him an asshole. You asshole, you killed us. <laughs> and, um, she says, you're not a serious man. You're a clown. You got drunk on the train. She says, I'm hedonistic. That's what I do. And she says, I'm hedonistic a lot more than you, I assure you, but never at the expense of the mission. So this is where she says, hey, I have as much fun as anyone. There's something Mm -hmm. we need to do here, and you just effed it up. 
Yeah, they're both Loki, right? At their at their core, they're both Loki. They both kind of think and feel the same way. So yeah, they're going to be both hedonists to the max. But it's that that differential here. It's it, it's that she has this singular purpose and focus, and Loki didn't really find that. I mean, he had his his glorious purpose, but as we found out, you know, in previous episodes, he didn't really even think that through. Like, what was he going to do when he got to power? Like, he didn't. That wasn't like a fully formed goal. Uh, it was just this kind of vague idea that he needed to be in power and, and should be, you know, dominant over other other people. But Sylvie's got this very specific goal: like take out the timekeepers, uh, find them, and, and and take them out. So it's it's uh that's that's really what's separating the two. And also, uh, I thought it was really great. I saw this on on a recap. I I wish I I knew which one it was. I think it might have been the IGN recap for this episode, uh, but. Uh, Loki does a signature hair flip every time he falls to the ground. Like whenever there's a shot of Loki landing, <laughs> he'll land like like facing frame, like his head right in the frame, and he'll head will be down, and he'll do this like head whip to like reveal his face to the camera. And he's done it like at least three times on various, you know, whether it's this series or in previous movies. It's great. He does it exactly the same every time. You could probably find it online if you look it up. So uh, he he says back to her, "Oh, the mission, the mission. What your glorious purpose? Give me a break. You can't beat them." And she she screams, you know, like one of those screams where when you just need to release and like just yeah. ah, like get it all out. And then there's probably like thirty seconds of silence mm-hmm. where nothing is said, and. Loki kind of walks over and sits down next to her and just says, "Did uh, the scream make you feel better?" <laughs> she actually says, "Yeah, it it did. You should try it sometime." <laughs> so I think, I think that's why he asked because they're yeah. the same person. So he knows he when he asks, he knows that that probably did make her feel better because it would yeah. make him feel better too. And and then he says, "Uh, what now?" Which is funny because it it's totally like in um you could you could. Hear it in two ways. He was he was asking what now in in like where what are we gonna do now? But but it was almost like I heard it the first time, and when I saw it, I thought he was asking, should I scream now? Like <laughs> you want me to just scream right now? It's gonna make me feel better. So it was uh it was, <laughs> oh, was yeah. kind of funny uh, uh a funny line to come right after that. But she just doesn't know. She said you broke the temp pad, and that planet is about to crash into us. But Loki. Uh, has a plan. He he says, you know, the she tells him the entire moon is destroyed and everyone on it is killed. But what about the ark? She says the ark never leaves because it's destroyed. He said it never had us on it. He kind of smirks as he says it. She, so she she kind of thinks and the wheels are kind of moving in her head. She asks, so we hijack the ark and make sure it gets off this moon. <laughs> Loki says, sounds like a good idea to me. So boom, they're up and they head to the ark. <laughs> and as they're walking there through the uh, the desolate, lamentous one, he says, you know, I, I don't think I've ever walked this much in my life. <laughs> she says, that's a pretty good life. It's just like little things like that. Like, what a dick he is, you know, like I've never walked this much. Like the world is about to end. There's meteors all over. They just blew like their chance to get out of there. They they ended everything, and he's pissed off about walking. 
you know, it's like such yeah. a minuscule thing in this moment. But um, I love that. And he, he asks her to uh, to enchant him so that he doesn't have to, like, basically be conscious for the walking. Yeah. I, I love that moment. Yeah, that's right. That was right here. She's just. Um, so yeah, I, I take a nap in my subconscious and then you can just kind of wake me up when I arrive yeah. or you enchant me and then you could walk for the both of the both of us. Yeah. <laughs> she said, that's not how it works. Uh, but this is when she does uh, tell him in a minute, he says, you know, I've told you so much about me. And then she, yeah. she reveals, well, yeah, thanks. It gives me the tactical advantage, which is a term I use in horse racing quite a bit. I love, I like that term. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh. He said, so you're going to use that advantage to kill me when the TVA shows up. And now this next thing is also interesting because this one line is basically like this reveals a lot about Loki because it sort of goes hand in hand with that uh, that initial theme I was talking about that I, I you know I, I picked from from Mallory Rubin who said you know characters being aware of who they are. This is about trust. And trust mm. is such a major thing for Loki. Who can he trust? Why can he trust them? Think about his entire life and how he feels like he was wronged, or the, you know, then he realizes that oh, these are the people I can trust. Trust is a major thing for him, and it's yeah. pretty crazy for him to just put it out there. I just need to know if I can trust you. Yeah, and... yeah, trust would be a major thing for him, especially that. Kind of, we mentioned it earlier, but the idea that his his parents weren't honest about you know where he came from, mm-hmm. so he 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 has trust issues because he feels like he can't even trust you know his parents. He can't even trust that his parents are his parents. You know that that's a that's a crazy mindfuck right there. Yeah, uh, for someone to go through. So yeah, that would probably echo with trust issues for for the rest of a, a person's life if if they dealt with something like that. You know, whether they even realize it or not. So she starts to explain, okay, we want to know how enchantment works. I have to make physical contact and then grab hold of their mind. And it depends on the mind. Most are easy and I can overtake them instantly. Others, the stronger ones, it gets tricky. I'm in control, but they're there too. In order to preserve the connection, I have to create a fantasy from their memories. This is like right up Wanda. I mean, I'm just getting like yeah. WandaVision feels as she's explaining this. Yeah, it's I wonder if it's essentially the same mechanism that Wanda uses. I mean, when when they show Wanda doing an enchantment, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that that's what Wanda did to the whole town. Uh, they they show her basically doing the same thing, except she's got the red magic versus, you know, Sylvie has this green uh, magic. But it seems like it's the same process that's happening. So. The conversation continues on. Uh, Loki says, "You call me a magic, a magician." Mm-hmm. So uh, Sylvie lets him know the young soldier from the TVA. Her mind was messed up. I had to pull a memory from hundreds of years prior before she even fought for them. This is like eyebrow raising for Loki. Major. What? Yeah. What? What did you just say? Before she joined the TVA. Yeah, Sylvia's like, yeah, she was just a regular person on Earth. A regular person? Loved margaritas. (laughs) I was told that everyone who works for the TVA was created by the timekeepers. Sylvie says, that's ridiculous. They're all variants just like us. Loki says, they don't know that. This is 
huge for and first of all huge. loki in, in like a moment was like i knew it you know when it, you think back to the conversation where he was telling mobius like right. you, you know you'll say something smart and then you say something stupid like that you know there's no way um yeah and and uh loki to his credit has been convinced that the tva was all this huge elaborate illusion from the beginning that's in his nature to assume like he's obviously cynical about that he um that's his trade. Yeah, that's his bread and butter is illusions and, and uh, this deceit. So he would, of course, just immediately assume that's what's going on there when faced with this, you know, immense power that the TVA is presenting. Uh, so, yeah, now now it's it's all confirmed. And it also, you know, speaks to what you were saying before about that central theme of characters not knowing who they are or discovering who yeah. they are, that all these TVA agents don't know who they are quite literally so yeah, that'll be an interesting turn and i could see ultimately you know a lot of these tva agents maybe you know awakening and fighting uh, alongside loki against you know whoever you know the puppet master behind all these things so they get to the city now um where they are going to try to board this arc and uh, this city, I mean, neon everything. I'm really getting the Madripoor feel looking at this. You know, like everything is so futuristic looking. Yeah. And we hear an announcer over like a, a PA. Uh, All ticketed passengers, 10 minutes until launch, final boarding call. Sylvie asks Loki, do we trust each other? And Loki says, we do and you can. Good, because mm-hmm. this is going to suck. Mm-hmm. And then one of the guards says... Remain calm We are now at capacity Please return To your homes Stand back And so The Ark is full They're getting ready to go But all these people who are waiting and trying to get in Are pissed off now You get the angry mob going And man This couple moments of uh, Like shots all over the place Fire, smoke Chaos everywhere people running Trying to get on this arc Explosions uh, One kind of knocks Sylvie back a little bit and, and comes Close yeah. to like, killing her Loki's Kind of got to like grab her And, and take her uh, run undercover uh, There's another yeah. moment when they're Running around where like a building is Literally about to fall onto Her and he uses his yeah. power To save her and to Hold this building up like Superman Style um, yeah that was crazy. Yeah. So, what did you think about entering here, and then all the the chaos that ensued? So, I thought this was a, a major standout uh, scene for this episode. I kind of uh, alluded to it before, but yeah, that that uh, telekinesis moment where where Loki catches that building, I thought that that was a major moment for the character as a whole. I don't think we've ever seen his power shown on that scale like that this the physical aspect of his power we've seen him you know teleport do some telekinesis things uh but that was you know a massive building collapsing on top of them and it seemed like the way tom hiddleston you know played it that he had to put a lot of a lot of effort into it it was it was a, a major uh thing it wasn't just something that he could you yeah. know snap his fingers and do but it was he like yoda a lot of energy yeah 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 like very much force. so he was using right. the force there yeah and um Love, love, love the style um, of filmmaking, the, the choice when you want to do something immersive. And Alfonso Cuaron certainly pioneered this this technique in movies like Children of Men. Uh, and he's done it in you know, other movies like Gravity. 
uh, but these long takes that are kind of stitched together to seem like um, to seem like it was all one shot. And the movie um, 1917 did it for the entire film uh, very well, very impressively. Uh, so it's been done before, but I, I do enjoy when it when it when it's done well. Uh, Daredevil, another great example. The Netflix series Daredevil did this uh, on a few occasions uh, to very impressive effect. This uh, stands out though for having an immense amount of visual effects, CG elements uh, happening uh, throughout. I do think it suffered a little bit from you know that green screen look uh, that I spoke about earlier, but there's a lot working. Um, to help out the, the the situation and kind of counteract that. There's a lot of extras on screen. There's a lot of depth. You can tell that there's actual physical sets uh, being merged with the, the the CG background in some places. So uh, it it looks uh, and feels very intense. The, the fighting is pretty cool throughout. There's definitely the CG work is is um, top notch, and the camera work and blocking also works really really well. There's an awesome, yes. very immersive uh, scene, I think you mentioned before, where there's an explosion that kind of knocks the characters back. And we have the camera kind of move in unison all the way to the ground with the characters as they're blown back. And it just feels very forceful uh, and just uh, very inspired. They're, they're, they're not just, you know, pointing and shooting. There's a lot of thought that goes into the blocking and pacing and the, the way that they put the, that sequence together. In fact, it, to do a sequence like that, it, it's very it's very much a requirement that they have to look at it meticulously shot for shot, how they're going to um, create the, the illusion that, uh, that, that it's all one shot, how they're going to end one shot and go into the next shot with, with certain, you know, wipes across the screen that they can use to kind of make it all seem, uh, seem like it's one thing stitched together. Uh, It was done just, just very, very well. I thought Uh, uh, with that one caveat of, feels a little bit green screen at times the it's fun there's the the way this episode ends too is you know loki mm-hmm. goes from saving her from that falling big big huge building falling on on her saving her multiple times like throughout like she gets knocked down she's yeah. kind of like you know you you can see it like everything slows down for a moment like we're in her head and she's kind right. of like getting like concussed almost you know um mm. for a minute and it's kind of like that brain freeze where she can't use her powers and she kind of just Loki just kind of grabs her and 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 helps yeah. get her like you know into cover and kind of a microcosm for the relationship that they've had so far since Loki has met Sylvie he will continue to help and like save her but then immediately f it up like mm-hmm. right right off the bat like you know he he kind of is able to help get her away in the TVA from Ravona Renslayer, but then they're they're in Lamentis and the, right. he ends up, you know, getting them on to the train, but then he gets drunk and he's the reason why they get thrown off. And then and, the, and then it's right. broken. He's able to kind of save her life a couple times here, but then by because it took them a little too long to get there, we see this moon and the planet run right into each other. Collide. I mean, this does really look like the Death Star. Um, yeah. and explosions start coming all over, and you know, their small window, their chance is now gone. Yeah. It's it's Sylvie walks off furious and Loki's kind of like realizing, oh shit. Like <laughs> you're yeah. 
we're screwed. We have we we're in a place where there's going to be a complete apocalypse momentarily. People are dying all around us, and we have no way to get out to get off of here. It really does feel like a checkmate kind of cliffhanger at that very moment, uh, and uh, it, it, it's a beautiful shot too. I lo- I love that. Uh, the, the CG and, and the, the visual effects there that when it, when it shows, you know, the planet exploding and the arc when it, you know, finally is destroyed right in front of them at the last minute, you get the impression like, man, if they had just, you know, gotten there a little bit sooner, mm-hmm. I mean, they just barely missed it here, but it's uh yeah, it really feels like uh, a cliffhanger that's checkmate for the guys. And I can only think that, um, maybe this is a de- Deus Ex Machina kind of moment that they're they're setting up here for for Mobius to kind of yes. come in and uh, and save the day. That's that's what I'm expecting Gotta be. to happen here. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, he's been a- away for long enough that we're really missing him now. So I can I can assume that maybe that's probably the next step is that the uh, the timekeepers maybe find them, capture them, uh, and things might look. You know, even even worse at that point. But hopefully, you know, hopefully Mobius uh, comes around uh, to the to the jet ski side, and we get to see him uh, riding riding out into the sunset at the end of the uh, the series. That's one, we, one thing I'd like to see. We have to get that moment, and um, yeah. yeah, we uh, we end on with a big cliffhanger now on an yeah. episode that was different, quite different than the first couple, um, but yeah. one that. You see, um, there was a lot of things I read and saw. Uh, Doctor Who, you know, you mentioned Inception. Mm. Like, you get so yeah. many of these like time travel, like, um, like, um, like take over the mind of of someone. You you know, feels throughout this particular episode, um, and 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 so a, a few of the things that were sort of big picture uh, topics around this episode that people were kind of. Curious going in because we talked about it at the end of last week that I think there was some sort of a uh, information release that the name Sylvie popped up. So people were asking, mm-hmm. Sylvie, is this lady Loki or is this Sylvie who is a, a different person in the comics? Sylvie was more like right. the Enchantress uh, character. Mm-hmm. So this is one thing that we've seen now that they've done with WandaVision. They did it with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Kind of like an amalgamation of things. Yeah. It feels like you know they're they're kind of combining ideas and characters into one. Mainly, I mm-hmm. think to 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 so there's no template, right? It makes it if we all know right. the story, we don't know where the hell they're going with this, and it makes it a lot more fun that way. I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think if they're just gonna adapt the comics directly, that's gonna lead to a lot of. Problems that, that, that mm-hmm. would be just a bad idea. There's yep. there's too many iterations to do uh, accurately like that. And it's like, which one do you pick? It gives you more options if you can take a bit from here and there, mix them up, like make this amalgam character like like you mentioned. And, yeah, it does serve that purpose of like, OK, we can have the familiar, but then we can keep it fresh. We can take it in whatever direction suits the story that we want to tell. Um, and the, the MCU is good at doing that. I think they they're for the most part, I think kind of hit the nail on the head with finding the right tone, what's going to work in their world that they kind of created and taking the best bits um, that fit the characters. Um, And they can, they can always add to that and almost like retroactively 
um, you know, add things to the character as they as they tell the story. But whatever's kind of important to the story that they want to tell in the, in the moment, that's kind of what they they draw from. And uh, it's it's to their credit that they're able to do that so coherently and consistently across so many different features and pro- projects. And I mean, they're, they're taking these stories back into the comics and, you know, on TV now, obviously. And um, there's just uh, 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 almost endless possibilities with how that could work. And uh, that's that's one of the beautiful things about this type of IP where there's such a rich backstory that they do, they do have kind of a treasure trove of already set things that they can pull from, but they're not beholden to it necessarily. So it's the best of both worlds. They get to have their cake and eat it too as storytellers. We found out a lot of uh, important pieces of information as far as it pertains to this show, this world now, um, and the MCU universe as, you know, as a whole, that the – Everyone at the TVA is a variant Now we're finding more and more That there is no way that the TVA And these timekeepers could be good Right Right. They're not a good people here If they're manipulating, brainwashing these people Holding them hostage They're doing what what Sylvie does What Wanda did to people Mm -hmm. They're completely got them under an illusion Um, We got the The confirmation Of Loki as a bisexual character which yeah. is huge. Um, you know, we've got the discussion around love and bringing, you know, Shakespeare into the mix was really, really yeah. interesting. We we find out about Sylvie, adopted child, no real vivid memories of mother. She's a hedonist. She taught herself to do enchanting magic. Um, yeah. it, it, we learned a lot in this episode. Yeah, and that's uh, I think to. To the show's credit that they're they're keeping things moving they're keeping things interesting they're giving us answers they're not just teasing new um new mysteries without really paying off you know questions that they're raising and i think um they're it's a it's a cohesive coherent story here that uh that's just playing pretty enjoyably um we kind of spoke Earlier that maybe this wasn't our favorite episode. I'm not sure if you you confirmed that. Yeah, that's no, how I, you felt about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, if I was ranking them, I'd probably rank this one third of the three. I, I don't dislike Same. it, but I just felt yeah. like, um, yeah, like overall it wasn't as long. Like I said, there wasn't as much. They, there weren't as many characters. We weren't. Um, but we did learn a lot. Some very very important stuff. I just, in my mm-hmm. personal preference, I would have probably ranked them like two, one, three. I think. Yeah, I'm probably with you on that one. I, I am probably with you on that one. I, I really enjoyed the first two pro- about equally. Uh, and this one I, I liked a lot, but there were more glaring uh, complaints, I guess you could say, that I, that I had about them. I was willing to look past them, uh, as I am with a lot of different shows. You know, like very rarely are we going to watch or experience uh, you know, a piece of content that we're going to see as perfect. Uh, that's that's maybe j- doesn't even exist. Yeah, but but uh, yeah, this was, I thought, a little bit of a step down, but it maintained the overall integrity of the show. It, it's it's going to the place where I, I think that um, we kind of saw all along. And it, it continued the Wizard of Oz kind of uh, elements. I, I think it planted a few more seeds there. There was mm-hmm. a really nice uh, moment. Uh, I, I definitely wanted to mention this, but as they're walking toward the city at the end, it, it just reminded me so much of that point in in Wizard of Oz where the group 
uh, Dorothy and her crew, they're, they're approaching Emerald City. You see Emerald City off in the, yeah. in the distance as they're, you know, kind of following this yellow brick road toward it. There was, a, there was a shot or two that uh, felt very reminiscent of that as they were, you know, walking on their way to the Ark there. And um, then when 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 they were in the uh, one thing I, a piece of uh, note that I wanted to mention too, where they were talking about the uh, you know the you, you were mentioning the the upscale yet seedy mm-hmm. feel of the bar they were in on the train. I had a note. Yeah. This is where Zemo's got to be hanging out. Like it, it totally <laughs> felt like a place where Baron Zemo, where where he would be. You know, like upscale. Totally, fancy but like you know i felt like if you'd walk around the corner he'd been sitting there like sipping a drink with someone you know um yeah yeah uh yeah this is fun man we keep we keep um having fun on this journey like i don't think between all of wanda and and falcon and and this like there hasn't been a bad you know that's what's funny because when we critique things Mm -hmm. at points it should it it's, it's going to come off more negative because there's been very little that we've been really negative about along this ride so far through the three of them. And I, I yeah. still can't think of like a, one episode that I thought was like, oh, that wasn't good or like I didn't get anything out of it. It's just mm-hmm. some some of these episodes feel like the actual like an actual hour long Marvel movie. Others mm-hmm. of them feel a little bit more like TV, which I'm totally yeah. fine with. Different medium and yeah. TV is going to be a little Slower and build and that's what we know It's just you, you can feel it with some of them You can definitely feel that contrast Yeah and I think it, it's the moments Where it's the TV uh, Aspects that that Feel related to the budget Or the time yes. that they had to, to yes. film it uh, I always I always think that like uh, you know what This is just where they maybe just didn't have Enough time to really choreograph This fight scene here to make it Really pop and have some standout moments and uh and that's what you get i think with with you know feature film level uh content uh and we're getting that in in places here and i felt like the first two episodes was was you know 90 plus percent that this episode was something in maybe 80 plus percent of if we're just you know putting a metric on it right there like i felt it was just a little bit of a dip there to where I thought I saw the the constraints of the budget. I Mm -hmm. saw the constraints of, you know, this was made for TV. So we're not going to go all out here. They definitely are going all out in some places though. Like the, the, the visual effects in terms of like the the CG development, you know, the actors are absolute grade a, you know, these are a list uh, type acting uh, here. And there's no complaints really ever for that. Every once in a while I'll see maybe, Maybe the seams start to show on like when there when there will be extras on screen, um, when there will be like a lot of characters, uh, it'll start to feel like oh this is a TV actor, this is a day player. Um, uh, th- just a few moments that kind of stand out to me like that. But uh, for for the most part, you know, we are watching TV and this is premium TV for sure. Um, it's head and shoulders above the the TV we grew up with. That's that's for sure. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. We've got three more episodes. We are halfway home, season one of Loki. And now Loki and Sylvie, they are stranded on Lamentus One in 2077. The world is about to end there. Moons colliding. What's going to happen? I'd imagine that uh, the TVA agents are going to have to have probably show up and help them get out of there. Or maybe they are able to find a way off themselves. But it seemed like they have exhausted 
all of their options So a good cliffhanger as we head to episode 4 And uh, the second half of this season Any uh, other final thoughts before we get out of here, TK? Uh, you know what? I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens, finding out a little bit more information and 100% seeing Mobius back in the mix. I need my Owen Wilson fix. And we're going to we're getting it now, <laughs> like now with the reveal that all of these yeah. TVA agents are, in fact, um, variants and they have been being manipulated, being possessed, being uh, they're under an illusion. They're being enchanted, whatever it is. Yeah, we're getting that Mobius on the damn jet ski. It's happening. Oh, like yeah. we are, I, we better get a Mobius and Loki on two jet skis next to each other. Scene like riding next to each now other. Now you're talking, Loki. Like, <laughs> so you know what? You are right. This is pretty fun. You know, like yeah. one of those, just like at the end. Like that's, <laughs> I need that. I want it injected into my veins, please. <laughs> as uh, yep. we finish up here with uh, episode three of Loki, but we will be back after episode four. And heck, a Black Widow just, uh, I think, a, like a week and a half or so away from now. Following that, more Marvel projects all throughout the year. We will be your home for all of those on That's What G Said with Tim Kelly. And a big happy belated birthday to you, TK. We're recording this the, the day after your birthday. I'd imagine now uh, it, it's so different when you have these uh, birthdays or holidays or big events in your life. When you're a father now, it's just a different yeah. dynamic, you know. Yeah, thank you so much for the for the happy birthday wishes there. Um, you're you're so right. Uh, this was my first uh, birthday as as a dad, and uh, funny enough, I found out uh, it was like a gift from my my wife last year on my birthday. She told me that uh, we were gonna have uh, have our baby, and awesome. uh, it's it just the best uh, present uh, I could ask for. Hey. Just spending the day with him in our backyard and just uh, just enjoying that time together. So. Um, I'm super stoked about that. And uh, now I get to be uh, 37 years old. That's a that's a number for me that always just takes me back to the movie Clerks. And uh, if you know, you know, if you know, you know. Hell yeah. All right. (laughs) I I actually somebody asked me the other day and I I had just, you know, I flipped from I'm 34 now, but it's like such a nondescript. One, like yeah. I always want, like wanted to stay at 33 because I was like, isn't that like Jesus's age? And like that's that was what I thought, right? You know, yeah. I was like, I would, that's like sort of exactly. like the age that I'm like, oh yeah. So like now that I've passed 33 and I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of these sort of like, oh yeah, 30. I had to sit and scratch my head for a minute, and the person was like, you don't know how old you are. I was like, no, <laughs> hold on. I- I'm fine. Well, well 34, you're, you're significant yeah. at 34 because you're the last year where you're relevant to like advertising agencies. They there you go. 18 to 34 30, demographic. Right. Then I become so irrelevant. I don't even matter as much anymore, right? I, I'm I'm in yeah. the old person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At 35, you're going to be uh, you're you're midway through your 30s, so that's kind of significant. Then 36 is the one that's really there's nothing to it. There's no. Nothing. Significance to that ever But then you gotta look forward to 37 Which is the clerk's birthday So uh, look into that if you don't know What I'm talking about So good, so good One day we may have to d- to jump into that world Of uh, clerks, yeah. Jay and Silent Bob And uh, uh, what chasing, universe. chasing Amy And Dogma And uh, all those ones Yeah, so yep. uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a lot of ground to cover Through the years here on That's What G Said With Tim Kelly TK, buddy, you have uh, a nice rest of your weekend And I look forward to, uh, to chatting with you About uh, Loki Episode 4 next week Thank you so much, I had a great time And I look forward to it too
Oh, let's give a uh, ice uh, ice cream fire. You can follow Tim as uh, Tim is not funny on Instagram and on Twitter, right? That's right. Beautiful. I'm starting to I'm starting to get it now. I mean, I figured I've, we've we've done it now 15 or 20 <laughs> times. I should I should freaking know this stuff. So, <laughs> Tim <laughs> Kelly, give him a follow and don't go anywhere, folks. We're gonna finish up this episode of That's What G Said. Three episodes of Loki in the books. We've don't forget we've got a uh, Wandavision. Uh, every episode of Wandavision. Recapped in detail for you. We've got every episode of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode uh, in recapped and reviewed in detail for you, and we've got all three episodes of Loki. We'll get you the next three episodes. You'll have a full library of all of these Marvel TV shows moving forward. And when we're gonna get to all the movies soon too, uh, we'll have a uh, one point where we start going back and watching all the old ones, and we'll definitely recap and review the new ones that come out as Black Widow in just a few weeks is coming out. Some of you who are fans of Marvel and of of fandom in general, and if you're a big fan of the MCU and everything they've done there, you're probably a Star Wars fan too in a lot of the fandom, and we are now on the road to recapping all the Star Wars episodes. Matt Velasco has been joining me to, uh, we we have uh, the Mandalorian episodes recapped from Season 2, and we just reviewed The Phantom Menace, Episode 1, Star Wars, and we discussed, uh, you know, the return after the first trilogy, what it was like coming back after all that time, and so we're going to be going in order. Next up is going to be Attack of the Clones. We're going to go uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way through, and then we'll do all the uh, Star Wars movies and TV shows and everything that start coming out again in the in that Star Wars world towards the end of this year, so... You name it, we've got it here for you on That's What G Said. And we are going to close this episode out with the old wrestling rewatch. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join as we head back to WWF Survivor Series 1996. The return of Bret Hart in an awesome, at least four and a half star match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. You've got maybe the best Psycho Sid match ever in a night when the crowd at, at Madison Square Garden is way, way, way behind Sid, and they are backing him. They are not a fan of Shawn Michaels. You get The Undertaker showing you that he's not the dead man anymore, not this zombie character. He can actually go in the ring with uh, Mankind, Mick Foley, just throwing his body all over. You get the debut of The Rock, Rocky Maivia, perhaps the biggest star in the history of wrestling. We see him debut on this show, and you hear Jim Ross right at the beginning say, this is the man right here, this is a blue chipper. I'll uh, talk about, a. remember sharing and watching that show with my dad, and uh, this was this was a lot of fun. This was a really good recap, a really good edition of the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali. I even made them laugh in the middle with a, a Manscaped ad, so you get a little bit of everything here on this edition. Enjoy. Oh yeah! Old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> This week, the old wrestling rewatch is going to head back to November 1996. We're going to head to Madison Square Garden. And I have to say, I can honestly remember sitting in my parents' room watching this pay-per-view live, being a Bret Hart fan. This was one of the most excited I what I can remember being leading into a WWF pay-per-view as uh, Bret had been gone since WrestleMania. 
I was pumped. I'll tell a couple cool stories. I even remember watching and uh, sharing this with my dad, which is really cool. Um, but great, great pick from DZ here. Not only is this show got some really good matches and some quality, it's it's overall pretty fun, pretty memorable. And there's not a whole heck of a lot of bad on this show. We get the return of Brett, that Brett Austin match, the debut of The Rock, a Sid win, the crowd loving him, maybe the best Sid match ever. Kane and Taker in a a, a barn burner, um, a fun opening Survivor Series match uh, to begin after some of the Godwins get out. I thought overall, top to bottom, pretty darn good show, DZ. Yeah, this is this is an underrated show that that doesn't get talked about. Uh, nearly as much as it should and probably because it's in between two really good survivor series 95 which of course was the brett diesel one and 97 of course being the screw job so it's kind of easy to see why this would get lost in the shuffle but you have a fun opening match you have the taker mankind match which is pretty cool there's a couple of cheesy things in here that we'll talk about of course but the brett austin match is in for my money it's a four-star match if not more And then the main event is really interesting for a lot of reasons because I, I, by the way, I was at, this was one of the last shows that I went to uh, at the garden in the the mid nineties when I had that run where I was seemingly at every pay-per-view either at the garden or at the Meadowlands. The crowd was very loud in the beginning upon the entrances for both wrestlers. Sean had the women in the crowd, had the young girls in the crowd. But that crowd was a very male-heavy crowd. And as that match went on, it was almost like watching Rocky IV with the crowd turning. And the, the shift and the dynamic. And I can't begin to tell you how loud things got for Sid during that match. And it, and it was almost like the attitude error was seemingly born throughout the arc of that match where it's the crowd rejecting the cheesy boyhood dream baby face with my trainer helping me get through all these big matches and switching to the big rude crass monster and 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 it's really an interesting dynamic and in person seeing the crowd react like that to sid being an anti-sean guy as i was but just seeing it was was really interesting and it was a lot of fun. So the dirty little secret about face Shawn Michaels, face Shawn Michaels has never drawn. And for as great a worker as he is, as Ric Flair says, he's the greatest worker that there ever has been. He's a fantastic worker. Bell to bell, as good as there has ever been. There's a reason that in 1996, WWF was in, big trouble and at some point there had to be a change made with the guy holding the belt now obviously the plan was sean loses it here they do the redemption storyline and sean gets it back at the alamo dome for the royal rumble in january they do the sean brett rematch at wrestlemania 13 hooray there's another five-star match and everything is awesome and then sean loses his smile <laughs> didn't want a job <laughs> yeah does anyone have a lozenge um, <laughs> at any rate though one thing i do want to touch on that dz mentioned was 
This crowd was insane for Sid. And we've mentioned this a little bit it's in cool. some of some of our past wrestling rewatches that have featured Sid. Watch when he comes out for yeah. the match with Sean and he's just standing in the aisle of Madison Square Garden looking at everyone around him going, "Who's the man? Who's the man?" And, and he high-fives the kids. He's fist-bumping the the fans on the way out there, like a babyface. Yeah, there's what? There's there's that, and then there are grown men, grown men our age, screaming yeah. at the top of their lungs, you are, you are, you are. Arn Anderson said this, and he's the guy that got stabbed by Sid. That if anyone <laughs> that just in funny the business... He just got stabbed by him. He just said yes. it so like, nonchalant. And just, so just... Oh, just, oh, by the way, Sid tried to murder him. <laughs> But to give you an idea, even Arn Anderson said, if anyone in the history of the business had a better pro wrestling look, I don't know who it was. Mm-hmm. That's illustrated here. Now, you also, of course, get the Bret Austin match. You get the Rocks debut. You get an opening match that is far better than I remembered mm-hmm. it. And you also get a couple of things that you can laugh at that we will have a lot of fun just bludgeoning and beating the crap out of. Uh, Sonny's (laughs) one of them. Uh, We get the fake Razor Ramon and fake Diesel stuff. Uh, You get Paul Bearer sounding a lot like Beaker from the Muppets Mm -hmm. in one particular instance. But this is a fun show. I'm really happy we got around to doing this one. Yeah, it is. And so this is November 1996. I'm coming up. Um, I'm nine and a half. So at this point, what's funny is, um, I had the, I, you know, I've told on a lot of these, I had the, uh, the black box probably from like, like the late eighties all the way up till, you know, like, like satellite TV and like digital started coming in. So, you know, a good decade run or so plus, you know, into, I think into the early two thousands at least. And I I remember you know being able to watch everything, and this was one like the box was in my parents' room. So the my dad, who was a wrestling coach and loved wrestling, like he didn't he would always kind of laugh at everything, and he would take he took me to a show or two. Um, but he and he would kind of w- walk through here and there and 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 check things out, but he very rarely like sat down and watched an entire show with me. And I remember at this particular time. I and uh, my dad were actually really close because I was wrestling myself a lot when I was eight, nine, and ten years old. I was um, actually I wrestled from like five to about fourteen. Right from when I got in, uh, into high school, I had to pick between soccer and wrestling. And um, my dad uh, coached wrestling, so I would go to practice with him when I was like three years old and learn how to wrestle and mess around with the high school guys and like really start to learn. So when I was eight, nine, and ten, it was really good. It was right in this range. We were close. I finished third in the state. Three years in a row, same damn two kids finished in front of me. Just couldn't beat the same two kids. We finished one, two, three, three years straight. And and so my dad and I, he was so, um, I remember he said something to me like, if you win one of these tournaments, I'll watch this show with you. And I was so pumped. I won the tournament. And so he sat down and watched this whole show because he knew how excited I was for Brett. to. to and I remember... Not it's funny because the more more than even remembering Brett returning because I, I didn't know if Brett was ever going to come back at this time. Remember, I'm nine. I'm not reading like what Internet's out there. I don't know any rumors or anything. I'm like, holy crap, Brett's back. I thought he was gone. And then oh, in 96, the Internet, you you know, you, you there's couldn't not find even, much. There's not even, yeah, like, say, there's not even versions of an Internet. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then 
I can remember my dad. One of the first things he said was, and you know, Jr. says it when The Rock comes out, and he says, um, "What I got? I got the quote. I think that he says exactly that's, a, here. that's blue chipper right there. Exactly. You know, and <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. you know the first thing that's ever said about The Rock on television from Jr. The first thing he ever says about him right away, you know." That this dude is the freaking man And my dad could kind of call it right away He's like oh this guy's got a little something And I remember my dad like, And I've always talked Like had a joke with him about that Like man you never watch wrestling with me But you watch the debut of The Rock Like he just kind of caught it In a random Survivor Series match And it's it's such not a big deal I know I've rambled for a few minutes But it was just It's something that I always remember Because my dad probably watched One or two Full pay-per-views with me in his entire life And this was one of them So I'll always remember this as being like One of those that I probably like a little bit more for that reason After every cool thing that happened I remember like looking and turning to him Dad did you see that dad what is that He he was kind of smiling like rolling his eyes a lot But just play like playing it You know he was he he had a good time with me So um, this one is always one that hits home Glad we get to talk about it DZ as the Big Apple Takes over New York City We get the video package to start We get the intro of I mean basically three Pretty big main events for for a pay-per-view show You know you got Sean Sid For the title You got the return of Brett versus Austin And the rise of Stone Cold You got Undertaker Mankind Who have had a really cool uh, brawl For a lot of this year And and Paul Bear in the mix there Then you get a couple Survivor Series matches It's Vince, it's JR And it's Jerry the King Lawler On commentary to start They welcome us in for the first Survivor Series match It's the Godwins with Hillbilly Jim And Furnace and LaFawn Versus Bulldog, Owen, Hart, Marty, Janetti, and Leaf Cassidy uh, At this point The Godwins were the baby faces With Hillbilly Jim Furnace and LaFawn are I think just making their debut here And Owen, Marty And uh, Leaf Cassidy The new rockers uh, Are Marty and Leaf Cassidy Anytime there's like a new you're dead, right? Like dead from the beginning When you're like <laughs> when, when you just put new in front of the old team name Like the new day, the new world order You're okay Because there was no just day <laughs> There was no just world order You're not doing a take on them But when you do a take on something And you put new, the new blackjacks The new rockers You're just, you're screwed You're D-O-A um, And Janetti. <laughs> Janetti's acting all goofy early on to start. He was on something here. Or so, like, JR even called him a geek, which is pretty funny. Uh, we got LaFawn and Marty to start. You know, it was about five or six minutes before any an elimination. And then we got a couple quick ones. Uh, Henry Godwin eliminates Marty with a slop drop. Owen eliminates Henry with the spinning heel kick. And Bulldog tags in, power slam to Phineas to eliminate him. We're down to three on two. And then the match really started to pick up. When uh, when it was just Furnace and Lafon in here uh, still left, um, I uh, kind of like what Andrew said. I was pleasantly surprised with this match overall. This is one that I wasn't necessarily expecting a whole ton out of, but we really did get to see the athleticism of Furnace and Lafon here. And you know, when Bulldog and Owen are in the mix, you're going to have uh, some really good ring work here. So um, this was a way for them to try to build up. Uh, a new team here I think we may have gotten like a Furnace and LaFon Appearance here or there maybe in 95 But it, this was it felt like I think like Them returning and trying to get behind them But a couple guys that you you Look at some of the work they've done around the world And just incredible ring work But just had some issues staying healthy And never really got a big run DZ In the WWF 
Yeah, and they were good workers too, like you said. But mm-hmm. yeah, for for sure, you know, they they get they put them in a couple of spots where they where they gave them a good look, and you know, they they end up you know going over here, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, I kept thinking watching this, I'm like, man, what is Marty Jannetty thinking in the opening right. match with Leaf Cassidy? You know, uh, just kind of looking a bit out of it while his former tag team partner is in the main event with the WWF Championship. Um, <laughs> you know, what, maybe, my, maybe how things have changed. My exactly, yeah. You know, oh how the mighty have fallen. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a weird spot with Janetti, like as a heel. Um, you know, I don't. It's almost like a time he's like yelling at the. Like at one point he gets up and he's like telling the crowd to calm down, but it it just it's so forced and it doesn't work. Let me ask you this: Was he legitimately hurt here, or was this just like a massive sell? On it's the a knee? massive sell. He it would is. have a couple more matches before he left the company a few months later. Yeah, because I mean, if you watch, because I I went back and I watched it again. This guy isn't only selling in the ring. When he gets eliminated and he's outside the yeah. ring, it takes him like two minutes to get up. And this guy takes, I swear to you, three minutes to walk from the ring to the back apron to the point where all you see is like the, his calf to his foot in, in the camera shot walking through the curtains. And the guy is like walking in agony. It's just, it, and, I'm, and I'm watching this and I'm like, this is either... Like the wildest sell of a, you know, at this point, just just has no purpose, like it, of no storyline that I've ever seen. Or the guy completely blew his knee out and and wrestled on on one knee. Um, but as Andrew says, I, I trust his knowledge that it's a massive sell, and that's that's what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it's a fun match. You know, you get you get Bulldog and Owen. They're doing their thing. You get the power of Bulldog. You get the slam on Phineas. You get Owen kind of flying around doing his kicks and stuff like that. These guys bounce around, you know, uh, Furnace and LaFon do a good job. The Godwins I was never, you know, a big fan of, obviously. Uh, but there's there's good moves in here. There's good suplexes. There's a nice spine buster mixed in. There's some good good wrestling maneuvers in here. There's uh, like this kind of – the Bulldog does that stall suplex where he holds the guy up. I always love mm-hmm. that move by him as well. You get a nice complement of some speed and some power. You get some big names. You get some guys that could really work. Uh, it's nothing over the top fantastic, but in terms of a opening Survivor Series elimination match, I thought it's a pretty fun match. So, since neither of you went here, I'll need to go here. Marty Janetti looking out of it. Let yep. me show you my big shocked face. You can't see it because we're on a podcast, but it's my normal face. Um, and Darren, the reason that I know that this was a sell as opposed to a, you know, a legitimate injury is because I thought the same thing. Um, I legitimately thought that the guy blew out his knee and needed to go home early. I thought that was not great, but as it turned out, it's still the fact that even while likely under the influence of something, Marty Giannetti could still work at this point. Now this match in particular, I think, would have been far better if they had just sent the Godwins back earlier. And instead right. of being 20 minutes, let it be 15 minutes. Yep. Condense the first eight minutes into like four. And mm-hmm. then just you know leave Furnace and Lafon out there to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Because they were in really good form here. And yes. we have espoused the virtues of Furnace and Lafon on this program a few different times. They were not the most charismatic guys. 
they didn't exactly set the world on fire with promos or anything like that. They were very, very good workers. Mm -hmm. They were guys that you could throw out there with pretty much anybody and you'd get a really good tag match. And this is absolutely no exception. So after the Godwins get knocked out, things pick up pretty considerably. The problem is the crowd is sort of dead because they Mm -hmm. have no reason to care about Furnace and LaFon. What wakes the crowd up is when LaFon hits this inverted superplex kind of thing on Al Snow. I know his name was Leaf Cassidy at this point. I'm calling him Al Snow. I don't care. It's how I know him. Now, so that happens. And all of a sudden, you can hear the crowd go, whoa. whoa. Yep. Oh, and, crap. And that's, that's always really cool to hear the crowd do that kind of reaction on the debut of somebody. Because especially in New York, which is known for some tougher crowds, DZ, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tougher, tougher would be an understatement, especially at this point. Indeed, right? Yep. So they do that. Owen comes in, throws a sweet belly to belly. Bulldog goes to the groin, and this was my favorite part of the match. Vince goes crazy, and everyone takes shots at Harvey Whippleman, the outside mm-hmm. official, who's just standing there, not really doing Dude, a whole heck of a lot. It's what are you great. doing, Whippleman? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's Jr. Is is Jr. like either just coming off of, or like still sort of in that heelish Jr. He's just mode? coming off of it. Yeah. yeah. So, because you could tell, there's still a little bit of it in him. You know, yep. he's still a little, a little feisty and a little sour at at some points. And um, yep. Yeah, Andrew, you hit it. Like right when when and then when Leaf gets eliminated, uh Leaf, <laughs> Al Snow gets eliminated, it really picks up, you know. Um you get the uh, belly to belly, you get a neck breaker, elbow drop off the middle, Insiguri from Owen. Um then you get the sunset flip uh to pin Bulldog. So uh Bulldog gets eliminated by Lafon and then you get uh Bulldog goes after the leg of Lafon. Owen um, is there against Furnace and LaFon by himself. He starts to work on that leg, sharpshooter, but Furnace comes in, makes the save. You get the spinning back kick by LaFon, and then a shoulder breaker, big drop kick. These guys get great air on the drop kicks. The suplexes are just picture perfect. They're money. You get a belly to belly, and then you get a release German that Owen did a really good job because it looks scary, but he he did a full revolution. In order, instead of land, he didn't land on his head. He was able to kind of use his hand to like briefly land back. I mean, it was scary looking, but you know, oh, and he he managed to get it to work here. Um, yeah, this thing went twenty minutes. I completely agree with Andrew's assessment. Cut it down fifteen, sixteen. Just cut four off the beginning and and get the Godwins out of there a little quicker. And not not even that. Like the Godwins never did anything for me. I don't mind them as a tag team in the division, but the point of this match anyways was to build up Furnace and LaFon. So make them struggle a little longer in the grand scheme of the match, and they end up winning here. And this was a big win for them to get by uh, Bulldog and Owen early on. So, yeah, pretty uh, pretty good start to the night after yep. uh, having to build up a little bit. One quick note here. So... We've mentioned the Godwins a couple of times, and there's something that I need to point out that I've pointed out on a couple of shows we've seen that they've been on. So the Godwins are supposed to be the baby faces, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the commentary team spends the first six minutes of this match just burying the Godwins 
for all of the token, you know, regional humor sort of things that you would think they would bury the Godwins for, that you'd expect from a heel commentator, but not from Vince and JR. And the more I look at the Godwins run in the mid-90s, I just think, who the hell is this supposed to help? I know that these guys were not seen as main eventers, and they were never going to be, but at the same time, why are you putting this artificial limit on them by casting them out as a joke. It just, it didn't quite work. There was mileage in these two big guys who could both work pretty stiff if they wanted to. And as you've mentioned on a couple of shows, Gino, eventually they repackaged the Godwins into a team called Southern Justice who were just these two big heavy guys that pounded people. And shocker, that worked. It was like they were like uh, bouncers, kind of. You know, that that kind of just like big, like heavy. And they were perfect to set up with someone. I think they were going to be, or they put them with Jarrett at one point, which was a very good packaging. For the three of them, you know, the yeah, this tag team, Jarrett was a good mid card titles kind of guy. You could put them together. It would, it really worked. Like you said, there's a place for them, but ah, this was just the slop and the the Henry O. Godwin, so you could call him Hog, and Phineas I. Godwin, so you could call him Pig. You know, it's like that was the thing that Vince is laughing at in the back. <laughs> Pig and Hog, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, um, NWO this I've got P.I.G (laughs) (laughs) So yeah I think A good choice for an opener In that they knew that they'd get A good uh, good ending here with Furnace and LaFawn They could have maybe cut a a couple minutes off But still not bad at all uh, When it was all said and done here Nice way to start As we get to Paul Bear and Mankind And this is uh oh the promo with Kevin Kelly and they're in the boiler room and Paul Bear I'm I'm not going in no cage I'm not an animal I'm not going in no cage because I'm Paul Bear and you're not he's just screaming he sounds like Baker from the Muppets like you know this is Percy Pringle playing a part and throwing his voice a little bit and that's accepted with Paul Bearer but in this particular instance it literally just <laughs> it sounds like me 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 me. It's funny And the noises that him and Mick make At this point are great too Foley makes some of those like squeals That sound like a greased pig It's like Like Some weird animal that you'd find And like Some crazy horror movie It just uh like Game of Thrones stuff It's just a, a Great, great You're Just adding and making these guys seem creepy um, And then Mick Like Mick's promos at this time were, were excellent I think people forget about how good he was Cutting these Mankind promos Making them seem serious, creepy, real We, you know, we all remember the sit-down one with JR But a lot of this stuff Even though it was just quick It's good um, He said uh, something like I'm gonna eat Undertaker alive like a cockroach And First out is Mankind And then we get Undertaker descending From the top of the of the building Very Batman look As he comes down And it, this is a, a match where Paul Bear is going to be Hung above the ring in a shark cage So he gets into the cage And right as Undertaker Walks in Paul kind of like locks himself in the cage And like pull me up Even though he didn't want to get in before So 
Taker never really gets his hands on him before the match Paul gets pulled up And uh, Mankind comes and attacks And this match starts Quick start, super intense After the bell rings, Paul's just screaming from above And these guys had really good chemistry And for the early part of the match It was a really good pace And I don't want to say Fast because it wasn't like they were Sprinting around but there were no Dead moments for probably the first 10 Ish minutes or so and then it Slows down for the final like third But these guys are moving one thing To the next just to the next pin up Cover boom, move back like really Good and the like The big story of this match was The Undertaker looking like a different wrestler Now keep in mind, throughout 96 This was quietly one of his better years He finally got dance partners That he could work with Brett early in the year uh, Him him and Nash you know, had some very good chemistry there And then when Mick came in He wasn't stuck with the Kamalas And Giant Gonzalez's uh, And Yokozuna's of the world anymore That he had been and, and been really handcuffed By what he could do over the last couple of years You could tell he was kind of excited To show off Taker dropped toe hold And uh, Andrew will mention Who Undertaker reminded him of But we get a little joint manipulation Working on the hand of Mick Foley here They battle into the crowd Taker with a back body drop over the barricade Into the outside of the ring Foley's in control now Some real hard Irish whips Big stiff blows from Taker Who's biting mankind's right hand um, Foley catches Taker with a pile driver Kind of out of nowhere and then Paul Bears is screaming from the cage. Yes, come on, come on. Foley goes for the mandible claw. No luck. Then he's able to lock it in. But a really cool move by Undertaker as Undertaker kind of runs and drops to the mat and he he lets his momentum take uh, mankind all the way outside of the ring in between the ropes. Taker climbs out uh, outside the ring. Um, he kicks Mick into the barricade. We get a walk in the ropes for old school top rope clothesline. Foley goes up to the top. Taker catches him with a choke. He sets up for a choke slam, but then Foley gets the mandible claw. This is where he's I put squealing like the greased pig. Uh, Taker down on the mat. He's almost out of it, but he battles up, and uh, we get a big choke slam. Taker sits up. Then he bounces off the ropes for a huge flying press onto Mankind But Mick ducks Taker goes flying over the top rope What's crazy about the setup at this time in Madison Square Garden Is how the walkway is so short And around the ring There's there's maybe five feet on the sides of the ring In between where the ring ends And the barricade starts and the fans are You couldn't even have a wrestler lay down Across the way there's not even that much Room and so some of these guys that Are going outside the ring they They're very close to just banging right Into the the the, uh, the barricade They really got to be careful here but it does Make for good sounds and good looks when they're Able to bang into it um, We get uh, You know Mick making just some of these Crazy noises he flings Himself at Taker outside of the ring But then Taker moves uh, we get a suplex from Undertaker And this is where JR and Vince are really Laying it on how much wrestling we're seeing From him Mankind um, then really uh, Starting to hit Taker in the head repeatedly Did they ever mention what this what, like Was that he had In his hand It almost looked tell, like a shiv I, I <laughs> yeah. can tell you what it looked like to me It looked like the thing that you put toilet paper on In the bathroom to keep right. it on our hole <laughs> It did it, it looked. I thought it was like a, like a plastic Knife or something yeah. or like a four it, it, I had no clue I kept trying to see it And they didn't really say what it was 
Um, but we get Mick. Um, ta- oh, this this was really cool. So Mick is on Taker's back, and he's using this shiv, <laughs> whatever, on his head, and. Taker kind of uses the corner where he is and he ducks under and he's able to counter Mick into a tombstone for mm-hmm. the win. This match was really, really good. Um, especially for Undertaker at this time. And and you know, the cage was involved, but there wasn't like a ton of gimmicks in this stuff. It was pretty much just a like a regular match for the most part. Um, cage lowers, Taker opens it up, but then the executioner runs in. To save uh, Paul Bear He comes in just really Just to get Paul and Mankind the time to get away One big jumping clothesline From Taker sends the executioner on his way And Vince and JR mention how Versatile, how different Taker looked in this match I thought this was pretty impressive I mean, I have this like I think at least three And I give it a, a Probably a higher grade for the time that it is And just you know what the story they were telling was wow look at this different version of Undertaker and I thought they really were able to tell that because he did pull some things out here that he didn't and he looked really smooth doing a lot of it. Yeah, you could tell that this is one of those moments in his career we talk about Taker would transition different, you know, his character into different things and mold and adapt and this is a different look Undertaker. This is the first time we've seen him without that kind of traditional look with the gloves and the very simple black with the high cutoff sleeves. This is a much different look that we're also getting with the Undertaker, and you and with the different look, you're getting a different skill set in the ring, which is probably something that he worked on, you know, in the few months since SummerSlam. It's also interesting that going to going into this match, Mankind had never lost against the Undertaker. He had been three and zero going into this match, including uh, the Boiler Room brawl at the previous SummerSlam, and it's amazing to think about. How long these guys would kind of, you know, keep circling back to one another because we're still a year and a half away from that Hell in a Cell match, the, the you know, the famous one where Mankind gets thrown off the cage uh, at King of the Ring in 1998. So we're still a year and a half away from that even taking place as Mankind and Undertaker kind of dance around and towards each other for the better part of two, two and a half years. Uh, yeah, you hit all, everything on the head in terms of the the work in the ring. Um, the Obviously... Taker has had conversations with the guys in 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 TV where, you know, the whole concept here is to get over this new version of The Undertaker and call out the different things that he's doing. And they do that. And like you said, you know, big difference working in the ring with guys that could actually work versus the, you know, Kamala's and Giant Gonzalez's of the world. You're 100% right about that. Uh, and Yokozuna's and so on and so forth. So, yeah, we definitely see that. It's it's this is kind of that first transition from the Undertaker going from the traditional slow, methodical, creepy Undertaker to this kind of new looking figure where, yeah, he still has that weird look to him and he's got that teardrop mole on his face and he's still dressed, you know, in black and it's cool and everything. But there's a little bit more of a human athletic element to him. That makes him rather interesting, and it kind of kicks things off for what would be and what is uh, a, kind of a, a weird title run that comes up for him in '97. But it's a different title run because of the work that he puts in and the guys that he works with. So there's a couple of really interesting things going on here. First of all, did you guys catch who was setting up the cage that Paul Bearer went into? No. That is Tony Schimmel. 
who would wind up being oh, Edge's nice. ring announcer. Yeah, he nice. was on the ring crew for a very long time, both before and after his ring announcer days came to a close. He was one of the casualties of the April 2020 layoffs slash furloughs slash whatever you want to call them. So this match, I'm watching, and the only thing I'm wondering is, what the heck is this? Because I remembered slow, lumbering Undertaker working with Giants. I remember work rate Undertaker of the 2000s, the mid-2000s onward, after he had reestablished himself after the ahem, booger red nonsense that they tried to get over. I didn't remember this Undertaker. Taker fires away with these stiff-looking shots to start. Then he gets a drop toehold. And then he starts doing the small joint manipulation stuff, targeting Foley's right hand so that Foley can't lock in the mandible claw. And I'm going, what the hell am I watching? He starts hitting these (laughs) backdrop suplexes. He starts just flying around like a completely different worker from the Undertaker that we're used to. And I finally figured it out. You know how there are people out there who are convinced we're all living in a simulation? (laughs) So this is what I'm thinking happened. I'm thinking that at some point, someone at WWE took out the original Taker Mankind match, made a video game, did a creator wrestler, created The Undertaker and did a great job, but gave The Undertaker Pete Dunne's moveset. (laughs) And if you watch this match with that kind of a slant to it, I understand it sounds nuts, but it kind of makes sense because this is a completely different Undertaker from the likes of which we had seen before and what we would see after that. When Mick Foley came in, it kick-started something in The Undertaker as far as changing the way that he worked. And the reason for that is he was working with a completely different cast of characters. WWF was trying to move to smaller guys, at least for a time. You'd wind up with The Undertaker going against guys like Mick Foley, who were big enough to present a threat, but could also sell for him. And that was the big difference. When you had guys like Kamala and Giant Gonzalez, of their skills, selling wasn't one of them. So you wind up with a completely different guy working a completely different match. This was fun. It's not one of their better matches, but it was fun. You get Taker winning clean, and then you get the bait and switch on the end because they had to feel like they you know, needed to drag this out further until Taker got his quote-unquote revenge on Paul Bearer or whatever you want to call that. But seeing Terry Gordy in this gimmick is always really sad. And I read up on this a little bit. So the story goes that the WWF hired Gordy as a favor to Michael Hayes, who, of course, was working as Doc Hendricks at the time. And they put him under a mask, according to a few sources that I read, because McMahon didn't want to embarrass Gordy if it turned out Gordy couldn't go anymore, which is just the saddest rationale you can expect out of a guy like Vince McMahon who put mankind yeah. under a mask for no good reason at all whatsoever. Like it, it, the, the contrast is, is just remarkable. It goes to show, A, how good Terry Gordy was when he was on his game clean and sober, and B, just how much he'd fallen. But from bell to bell, this is fine. I have no complaints with it. 
But if you go in with a predetermined notion of what to expect with The Undertaker, know that you're probably not going to get it. Yeah, and you're probably going to be pretty surprised, and in, in a in a pleasant surprised, right? This is this just is better than than it's, what we. I don't know if it's better, but it's different. Yeah, it's and yeah, it, it definitely different. I I sure sure liked it th- this better, and like you said, I think these two guys have. Maybe one or two better matches together, but anytime you give me them two for about fifteen, I think it's pretty good. Uh, towards the end, slowed down a little bit there, but um, still, I thought pretty solid and a, a nice two matches to kick off this show. As we get a look backstage at Furnace and Lafon on the WWF Hotline, and then Sunny, I know you want me, baby, joins the announced team. She, uh, may, may, I, may I pause you here? Okay. Yes. So. We know how easy Sonny is on the eyes. That is not at all in dispute here, okay? However, big however, for as hot as she is, she can't dance to save her life. Terrible, terrible dancer. Zero like, rhythm. This is like old white mom dance moves. Well, here. this is like a Miss Elizabeth, right? Sort like, <laughs> right? I would, would I'd, argue, I'd argue worse. Because at it least is when, when Miss Elizabeth came around in the late 80s, bad dancing was par for the course. I would have liked to have th- thought that the dance game evolved from the Miss Elizabeth days to the sunny days of the mid to late 90s. And, oh boy, just trying to see Sunny dance. I don't know if she was ribbing Vince, because we all know Vince can't dance. If you watch the stand back video, that's all the evidence you need. But... Oh boy, this was it, this was awkward in a really bad way. Um, so he, here's what I'll say about this, which I'm I kind of surprising when I when I watched it back. Now, um, she gets annoying a few times throughout this, and that's what she's supposed to do. She's actually like filling in the the king role because she's trying. So she's playing the heel here, and I, I'm sure there were probably some lines given to her in front um, to say. But I will say. There are a lot of people that sit down on a commentary desk and and aren't like quick enough, quick witted enough, and their mind moves quickly enough to keep up. She actually did better than I remember at keeping up. I don't think the, I, a lot of the things she said were swings and misses and were maybe cringy, but she did. She wasn't like overwhelmed there. Like you know, you see people that get put on the commentary sometimes, and you see a lot of times it's on more on TV on Raw or something or in a spot, and you either don't hear them at all, they don't say anything, they don't feel confident in saying anything, or um, just kind of comes off uh, weird. She, she did an okay job, and she's she, at, you know at this point she was still pretty quick. She had uh, all of her faculties going, you know. Um, you, want, trying- you want the best example? It's not a wrestling example. The, be- the best example of what you're describing with somebody being overwhelmed, go go and watch the 2003 American League Championship Series between the Yankees and the Red Sox and listen to Brett Boone as the third commentary guy in the booth <laughs> with Joe Buck and Tim McCarver. They keep teeing him up with softballs. And it, it it's like, like like they'll say something to him. It's like you know the eleventh inning of Game Seven, and these guys are just going back and forth about how wild this game has been, what's going on, and they uh, they you know McCarver tees him up with something, and he goes, "I'll tell you what, man, it's just fun to watch." <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
as bad as that is, and it's bad, there is a wrestling example of this. Um, and it's unfortunately a very embarrassing thing because this guy is hysterical and wrote one of my favorite sports books of all time. I'm referring to the one and only Art Donovan. What is that, King joined, of the Ring 95? Yes. How yes. much does this guy weigh? Yeah. It, got, it got to where even Gorilla Monsoon was just no-selling the guy halfway through. They just and stopped un- answering his, it's his questions. It's unfortunate because Art Donovan is a hoot. And if you haven't read his book, Fatso, if you see it somewhere, it's probably out of print now. But if you go to any independent bookstore that has it, just pick it up if you haven't read it. It's really, really funny. The guy was sharp as a tack. And it's unfortunate that his one exposure on WWE television went as poorly as it did. Yeah, I, I just kind of thought about all of the the women that would been that would have been in the same like sunny position through the years, you know, like um, Miss Elizabeth, for example, from way back then, or Sable then, or women later, a little bit later, she she did better than I can imagine any of them ever doing at something like this. I couldn't even imagine. Like Vince knew that she would be okay here. He wouldn't even have put her in this kind of a spot if she wouldn't. So yeah, I I, I just thought she pulled her weight pretty well, and she she's only, like she said. Well, I'll go through some of the things she said, but um, she did impress me as. Uh, we get the Doc Hendricks interview backstage. Triple H, Goldust, Jerry the King Lawler, and Crush. Jerry says, "No three men in the world could beat the four of us." <laughs> okay, um, nothing much. They each take a talk a line or two. N- nothing real special here. But uh, Jr. says as they uh, come down to the uh, the aisle and they they uh, enter, he says he expects the King to linger on the apron for a while, <laughs> which is good. And uh, they talk about Marlena Vince asks Sonny if she smokes Because Marlena's coming down the aisle with her big cigar there And Sonny says Oh no I'm allergic I'm asthmatic uh, It's horrible I'm as innocent and as pure as I look <laughs> And Vince says Whoa And JR says so much for truth and broadcasting The JR Sonny stuff was, was funny I, I did get like, like their little banter um, Triple H was out next He didn't have any valet Which uh they made a point of and, and JR said why would he want a woman With him at ringside anyways What purpose would it serve And Sunny gets mad she said She makes a living out of being ringside And telling men what to do um, She says if I feel like it I'll tell You what to do so just sit there you Chubby and be quiet And I was saying hey, she could tell me what to do uh, Right exactly <laughs> and, uh, No problem so that was Mark the thir- that was the thirteen year old of me coming out in nineteen ninety six. I know I was a few behind you here, so I was like <laughs> just starting to sprout a hair or two. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you you guys want to feel really old? Let's see. This was uh, November of nineteen ninety six. Uh, let's see. I would have just turned eight years old. Yeah. Wow. And you guys are you guys are old, and I bet you're telling people to get off your lawns right now. Except you, Gino. You live in California, so nobody can afford a lawn out here. That's <laughs> that's true. We all share a lawn here in this uh, <laughs> co- complex, and we um, all pay taxes on it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, fellas. So uh, we get uh, Mark Marrow and Sable next, to who Jr. says. She's the most beautiful woman in WWF. Sonny's offended. She says they both had a bikini spread in Raw. And in Raw Magazine And she blew Sunny away And so we get the Sunny Sable rivalry here She says she better watch out for those pyrotechnics With those things she implanted I hear they're flammable 
JR says you would not know. A bad line. Yeah, yeah. JR says you would know, right? And Sonny says, Excuse me. I am 100% natural all the way down to the roots of my hair. And uh, JR comes back quickly. Yeah, you and Darley Parton. Um, <laughs> next out, we get the stalker, Barry Windham. Um, how about the, the Windham and Gordy? Uh, showing up on this show, right, and just like the the weirdest gimmicks versions of themselves. Well, we get the music for the first time ever for Rocky Maivia, and the first thing Jr. ever says about him. Now there's going to be the man right there. That's a blue chipper. Vince and Jr. go through his family accomplishments. Mark Merrow grabs the mic. He introduces their surprise fourth teammate, Jake the Snake Roberts. King hates the snake. He's afraid of it. So does Snake. Sen- and I'll tell you, Jake, Jake has clearly been at the gym. Oh, working out hard for you know six months, um, getting ready for this. I mean, this was yes. bad, bad yes. time, right? The, oh. Yeah. And the thing is, this was the one thing that sat really bad with me about Sunny coming out because she did have a couple of good lines. You mentioned a couple of the ones that I had. She had one that I think. History has judged her for mm-hmm. and not in a good way. Um, she had the line about how Jake Roberts wanted to be a lawyer, but he couldn't pass the bar. Yeah. That, that, that was like a just, line that had to have been written for King that she just read, literally, probably. I don't know, but at any rate, whoever wrote that line, uh, just, oh boy. And it, seeing how bad Jake looked here, again, I have no idea how he is still alive, given everything he has been through. I am so grateful that he is, that he is clean. It, it's just, it, it's jarring here to see him in 96 and to think that a couple of years later, he'd be the heroes of wrestling guy looking terrible. He did a cameo for WWE to try to build up Randy Orton. He did this cameo out of nowhere where he just came in. Everybody was shocked and Orton RKO'd him. Um, and then Paige finds him, cleans him up. It's just, it, it's a remarkable story. Someone really should make a movie about this guy, given everything that he has been through, because it would be one of the most remarkable things ever produced. And, and on top of that, if you if you read the story... And the history of his father, Grizzly Smith. Yeah, and, that's part and, of it. Yeah, and and uh, they did a Dark Side of the Ring on it. it it's a it is a very very difficult watch. Um, I knew a lot of I knew yes. a lot of it. I didn't know it to the extent that they no went on. Either. Yeah, no I'm uh, essentially his father was a pedophile. Yeah, um, and father, he was basically born out of pedophilia. Yes, his mother. His mother was thirteen years old when she had him. Yeah. Um. It's it is a crazy story, and uh, you know, just starting. You talk about a guy. Forget about you know having your own demons. Listen, a lot of wrestlers have had issues and have experimented. There's with demons, illegal and then there's diddling kids. Well, and yeah. yeah, and there's demons, and there's being born into a an impossible no situation. Chance you had no situation chance. from day one. No chance. Um, and the, and the like, fact like, like yeah. he's still around even yeah. and that he's doing as well as he's doing right now, you know, and that's yeah. there's there's a few people to thank Diamond Dallas Page is one of them for sure who, you know, saved the guy's life, brought him in when a, when he burned a lot of bridges, helped him. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of footage about this with Jake out there, you know, beyond the math stuff, uh, the, there's a DDP doc itself. 
And then if you if you did watch the Vice uh, or you you haven't, you can check that out. And it's like, wow, yeah, uncomfortable, eye opening. And um, yeah, I remember his sister was Rock and Robin. Yep. Also, uh, his brother was Sam Houston. Yep. So they his and his dad was a big time wrestling star, a huge guy, and then was a booker, a road agent, worked for a couple different companies. Was like a very like cult classic figure character in in you know locally where they grew up, and so. Um, he was held very high regard, and that's generally what happens: is people hold the, them up, and they they can just get away with whatever they wanted. Uh, yeah, he had super- another sister that disappeared. Yeah, and they th- they they the family thinks that that the father was yeah. involved in murdering her. Yeah, it's just it, it's it, like if somebody didn't make a documentary about it, if I just listed these facts. You you would not believe that it's possible that that's a real life story. Yep. If you gave it to me as your script for a movie, I would tell you it was too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Too far fetched. Yep. Yeah. Right yeah. there, and this isn't gonna sell. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, there's too many. You like you, you laid it on too thick here. Now, if I may jump in here for anybody that's wondering, well, why aren't you talking about the match? It's because this is way more interesting than yeah. the match. Yeah, was. Yeah, I say. Like, let's just be real and throw that out there. I think I almost fell asleep because this is a 25 minute match that Wait, should have been 10. ten. Should have been ten. Because well, the, the highlight, the highlight of the match is what is what is what uh, the Rock's hair looks like in the last three oh minutes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it is it is unbelievable. <laughs> it's a, match, it, like like the match is in New York and part of Rock's hair is in Chicago. It, you have to go look at this and pull it up just to see the rock's hair and his look here, the tassels and everything as he comes out. Um, yeah, 25 minutes and it's an angle. And it's a yep. fun angle because they're building this guy and the crowd gets behind him and the announcers get behind him. And you can see he's got a little something there too, but yep. just too much. I mean, Mero and, and Jerry start. We get the Burger King chance. Uh, stalkers tagged in. I just, it's a few minutes. Um, of, of everybody just kind of taking turns getting in I thought there was a cool moment where uh, We have Triple H and The Rock Locking up for the first yeah, time yeah, yeah, that was cool. uh, yeah. Just kind of thinking about What was going to happen with them in the future And how about the fact that two years Exactly he He's winning the title Right? Uh, the Rock At the Survivor yeah. Series in 98 Deadliest game Like that's, that's pretty nuts um, From where he is now and you think wow Two years and he's going to be the man well, he'd, be, um, he'd be IC champ in just a few months right? In just a few months yeah. Like he wins it for my, is right off the bat um, And and it, it's You know Eliminations that are just You're kind of scratching your head and Like really Like Goldust eliminates the stalker You get the curtain call um, oh, Jake eliminates the king d- first with the DDT um, uh, Then Let's see We get uh, Mero With the Mero salt uh, Off the top rope with a, a distraction help from Jake He eliminates Triple H At one point Sonny says uh, She's got a pair of boots that need polishing She should send Sable And then uh, she said Mero has bad taste Look outside the ring And that she's not interested in used merchandise <laughs> Th- This point of the match though Was the one that really needed to be cut There's about a 5-6 to six minute stretch Of the heels just working on Mero And it's really slow And if you just eliminated that part of the match Boom we're down to like Closer to the 15 range Which would have been much better um, Crush comes in uh, Mero misses the dive over the top uh, But we get a heart punch by Crush To eliminate Mero The announcers didn't even realize that it happened Like oh wait Mero's been eliminated Oh okay so that just gives you an idea Of like how this part of the match Was it was just dying 
And Jake comes in He actually gets a heart punch and Crush eliminates him So now we're down to two on one And this is really what it was all about Like we could have gotten Similar to the, the opening match with Furness and Lafon, This is the point So if you want to get to the point Maybe get to this point quicker And then let this version of let This part of the match Like roll on a little longer It's Crush and Goldust versus Rocky Maivia JR says two men on one Sonny says two on one Sounds kind of good <laughs> Miss Innocent right Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the crowd starts to chant Rocky which is really cool Right off the bat JR says it won't be the last time Rock roll up for two uh, Body slam He fights off both men Who gain the advantage He ducks a double clothesline Then a flying cross body Takes both guys out Tosses gold up, uh, outside over the top rope But the heels are just working Two on one in front of the ref All throughout the night JR is calling out the horrible officiating And the Rock moves out of the way of a heart punch Crush nails Goldust And then a Rock cross body to eliminate Crush He picks up Goldust Shoulder breaker for the W Crowd loves this, they're pretty into it Sunny starts getting real into it She says her name should be Adrian And uh, Rock celebrates here And it looks like a star is born Right? Well not quite, remember uh, As he does win soon the IC title But then Die Rocky, die! Die Rocky, die! And the die Rocky, die chance for him to turn and really become himself. And uh, Sonny says, uh, Vince talks about how his family's so proud of him. And Sonny says, I'm proud of him too. And I haven't even had the chance to seduce him yet. What a great line. (laughs) What a great line. (laughs) So just great stuff. And Sonny hasn't had the chance to seduce him yet. But those of you out there, who are into seduction You might be into the lawnmower 4.0 From manscaped.com And support for this is brought to you Yeah I got an ad read in there boys How, how about that here we come wow. This is how we know you've made the big time com. Wow and, uh, When you use the promo code 2idiots T-W-O-I-D-I-O-T-S You get 20% off And free shipping Imagine shaving with a sleek well designed Optimized trimmer that makes shaving time Your favorite time in the bathroom In the bathroom I am very excited about the 4.0. I actually have personally tried it, fellas. I'm, I'm not lying. The craftsmanship, the details. Think about it. Gino Nicola Bacola, as much hair as you see, 10 times more. I, I mean, Italian guy, I need help here with the lawnmower 4.0. The groin body trimmer focusing on intelligent functionality, incredible, comfortable grooming experience, a fourth-generation trimmer. And it's upgraded with an on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. It gives you an LED spotlight. Everything you need for a precise shave. It allows you to customize your trim through different lengths. Did I mention wireless charging? If you've been shaving with that same nut trimmer on your face, guys, you've been doing it wrong. Nobody wants to do that. Get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped. Make that me time the best time. 20% off. Free shipping with the promo code 2idiots at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you, and so will Sonny. Can it do an uptown fade? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can see whatever the rock is rocking here. You can you can get that going. You can get 96 Rock Survivor Series, uh, the do looking here with uh, the lawnmower 4.0. Don't forget about that promo code 2 Idiots gets you twenty percent off and free shipping. I was looking at so that. So I, I just need to I need to jump in here because to those of you that just listened to that reader, 
Gino didn't tell us he was going to do that. No. And I had to mute myself to avoid <laughs> busting up on camera uh, or on a microphone, it. rather. I was trying. That, 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 that was well done, man. That's what they teach you in podcasting school right there. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to get the surprise on there, and I, I was laugh, watching the show, and it was the most perfect moment. When I heard Sonny on there start talking about seduction, I was like, oh, right after the end of the match, this is the perfect time to slide this right on in. So uh, we now get to the second half of the show and the big match, uh, the one that I was the most excited for coming in, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. We get the the build-up video package for Bret's return and the rise of Austin. Remember, it was... 96 when he won Stone uh, when he won King of the Ring and that was really when Stone Cold was born Austin 316 said I just whooped your ass to Jake and uh, he was off and running if you think what what's really cool and like what I thought about at this moment this final Brett run is only a year and think about how much happens between right now and the screw job in 97 they cover a lot of ground that's for right? darn sure you get you get both you get those Austin matches the Austin feud you get um, stuff with Sid Taker WWF title stuff Vader the Hart Foundation Brett gets injured he even has a little run with the Patriot he gets the Rumble where he gets screwed over they have that final four matchup there's a lot in the one year that he gets done before he leaves and it's a well, lot of the best work of his career let's let's touch on that for a minute because th- yeah. there is a weird irony in that so you get a year stretch here where brett seemingly is put in a program with austin where i know austin 316 has already happened but austin has even come out and said that the run between him and brett is what made steve austin uh starting with this match culminating with the wrestlemania match you know austin has said that time and time again that his run is not the same if not for that those two Bret Hart matches, especially the one at WrestleMania. You have him in programs with Sid on a championship program, Taker on a championship program, Sean on a championship program. And yet Vince came to the conclusion that the guy who has basically been your best in-ring worker for five years, who you've put into every marquee angle, for a year, that guy you can no longer afford to have on your roster. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> Go ahead, Andrew. I'll let you. I'll let you say it. So, earlier this week, I stumbled upon a tweet by Mr. Darren Zocali, and it was a tweet that was a quote tweet of someone else saying, "Name one conspiracy theory you believe." And Darren's response, of course, was that the Montreal screw job was a work. Now, I've got a question for you because I've seen this, okay? I understand Brett was hurt. I understand he would wind up having a stroke in the early 2000s. I get that. And I understand that that's the easy response to this. But let's just assume that the Montreal screw job was a work. Let's assume that they did that on the understanding Vince was betting WCW would implode. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Why didn't we get Brett, Mr. McMahon, sooner than we did? It's a fair question. Um, it, it could have it could have been related to Brett's issues physically. I mean, I know that's the easy answer, but it's entirely possible. I mean, if you remember, after he had a stroke, Brett had to like learn how to talk again. Yes. 
Yeah, so it's not, I don't know how long that took, and I don't know what doctors told him what he could and could not do. I know it, listen, I know it took a very long time. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's possible that, that you know, Brett was afraid to come back for, for physical reasons and mental reasons. The guy had been through a lot, for sure. You know, maybe there was also some animosity because of what happened with Owen. Um, maybe that added some fuel to the fire where he didn't even want to, you know, come back. Uh, maybe he blamed Vince for a part of that. You know, there, there's a lot, a lot of stuff happened between the screw job and, and Brett coming back in Brett's life. That was really, really difficult. Um, and, and that all could have played a factor in that being pushed off down the line. But, you know, look, am I wrong? Look, I'm probably wrong. I'm probably wrong. But again, there's, there's just enough a there. Lot, there's a yeah. lot of things that just if you connect the dots, you, you know, can have some you, fun with it. You could have some fun with it. And look, I'll admit, if it's a work, it's the best kept secret in wrestling history because everybody who was involved in it has maintained its uh, authenticity till this day. And I give them credit for that because if it is a work, it is the best kept secret in the history of wrestling. But if it's not a work, it just has an awful lot of coincidences that line up that if it were a work, it would make it a brilliant maneuver on McMahon's part. Yeah, I mean, my thinking is nobody in wrestling can keep a secret mm-hmm. at all. And I think if it was a work, we'd have heard it by now from at least someone because there's no reason in marketing it as something other than a work if it was a work. There's, there, just, there's no reason to do that. There is one guy who is close to a couple of the people involved in this who to this day maintains it's a work. And I don't know if he's doing that on his own accord or if he knows something and likes to be the guy who in the long run, when it eventually comes out, if it ever does, is going to look smart. But for the last 20 years, Scott Hall has maintained that this is a work. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. Before he said it before on interviews, on WWF interviews, and they, it's has. funny that they've actually let him say that on a WWF interview, right? That they that they would not cut that out of something. Yep. Like he said it on, I don't know if it was a table for three or something that you know recently, recent years on the network. Um, but and yeah. look, he he outlined. I mean, look, the other stuff, the the fact that Brett has this this one year long run with every top person in the company, and then is told we can't afford you is is another added layer to that storyline. Now, that makes it, 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 yeah. there's one thing here, because WWE recently just told one of its biggest stars they couldn't afford him, despite record profits. They did. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm yeah. not saying... I'm not, I'm not putting Strowman on the same line as no, Brett No, Hart. no, 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 no. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not either. I'm just saying there are the money, parallels here. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, from a money perspective, we're, as well as they're doing right now, yeah, it, it it feels like, yeah, you, you have enough money now. You can't take care of Braun, one of your top stars. And then how could this guy be the one that you were kind of saying, yeah, this is the one draining us? Um, especially right. when Andrew mentioned that, you know, Brett got a lot of crap for not being a, a, a champ that drew. But was Yoko drawing? Was Diesel drawing right after in 95? Nope. And then was Sean drawing right after in 96? Nope. It was a time period thing. I, I don't think, I think it. 
Hogan wasn't drawing in WCW at that time until he turned in the NWO. Everything was a little flat from about really when the steroid stuff w- went on. When mm-hmm. all when all that stuff and all the negative and the bad publicity for a little while there was just a bad stigma around wrestling after the boom period. And I'm, so yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna lay this out one more time quickly so that the it. people listening can draw their own conclusion. And we do everything we do for the people. Let's we make do no we do it for that. the people. Gotta the, give the people what they want. Gotta give the people what they want. And and people love conspiracy theories. Uh, and I'm not a huge conspiracy theory guy. But I, I but you know it's like it's like from the movie The American President. You hear one thing, you dismiss it. You hear two things, you dismiss it. But when these things start to add up, Brett comes back, has a one-year run with every top person in the company, makes Austin who he is, is in programs with Taker, with Sid, with Sean. Huge, huge star power for the better part of the year. The Canadian Stampede pay-per-view, the Canada versus U.S. angle, all of that happens in a one-year period. Then you have the screw job happen. Everybody involved in that program makes out. Brett goes to WCW and gets paid a fortune. Sean gets heat, gets the title, and, and is off to the races. Of course, he gets injured, but that's you know that has nothing to do with it. The really Mr. quick, really quick, really Go quick. Ahead. Can we agree that Shawn Michaels missing most of the Attitude Era was an appropriate punishment for him being an insufferable <laughs> jerk for so long? Yes, yes it yes, was. Absolutely. Yes, it was. Continue. Yes, it was. Mr. McMahon, arguably, other than Hulk Hogan, the most important character in wrestling history, is born on that night. And the Mr. McMahon character is really at the core of what would save WWE in terms of their battle with WCW with the whole McMahon-Austin storyline and where that goes from there. So, yeah, not only does Brett get paid, but everybody involved in that program does well, is set up to do well, barring injury going forward. Now, that's either an incredible stroke of luck or it is the genius of Vince McMahon at the height of his intellect. You decide. Now, the one thing I will say, and we can go into the one conspiracy theories we believe, and then we get back to this particular match, which is an all-time match that if you haven't seen, you absolutely should. The root of your conspiracy theory that you believe is the same as the conspiracy theory that I believe, which is that the Kanye West Taylor Swift feud was a complete <laughs> was a and total inside job that everyone involved was in on. Could Taylor be. Swift Taylor Swift gets to look like America's sweetheart and make 11 billion dollars. Yeah. Kanye West gets to look like a bad boy and make 11 billion dollars. By the way, for as much idiotic stuff as Kanye West has said and done, has anyone ever stopped listening to his music over it? No. no. Okay. So, spoiler alert, he's a freaking genius, an evil genius, but certainly a genius nevertheless. And also he was with a Kardashian for a couple of years, so he's doing just fine. And then you get Beyonce making things right by the end of the evening, so she gets to be queen of all music, and everybody wins. Follow the money, people. There you go. <laughs> Gino, so, your turn. 
There we go. Uh, see, this is one of my favorite parts of the show is the tangents like that, which are, which are fun. Like, that's why we're here to go through the histories, things that we remember about all these guys, these events, the events uh, around them as uh, we get the, uh, yeah, the video package where Brett's calling Austin the best wrestler in the WWF. And earlier today, uh, they made this a number one contenders match. Austin cuts a promo backstage with Todd Pettengill. He says he's not intimidated. The best there is, the best there was. God, great, great promo. This great was promo. Yeah. best there is, best there was. All that crap, excellence of execution. Well, cliches are cliches, and an ass whooping is an ass whooping. The great that's line. exactly <laughs> what you're going to get tonight at the hands of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that's the bottom line. Gimmick, son of a bitch. Stone, but, nah, but yeah, that was, it was quick. It was good. Stone Cold, he looked good tonight. From the beginning, from this, it was like this was the biggest moment of his life. And he knew from, from he from when he cut the the first word of that promo, and it was like a, a person that had been waiting their entire life for that opportunity, and they were just about to kick the damn door in. I mean, it, he looked the way he walked out to the ring from the very beginning in his eyes. He just had a look in his eyes, like I'm I'm supposed to be here. Uh, you know, I belong here. You know, I, I'm in here with Bret Hart, one of the best freaking wrestlers, you know, ever, and one of the best in the world at this time, especially of the last five years or so. Um, great stuff. Bret cuts his little promo before. Um, says MSG is holy ground. Fans all over for Bret. He's ready for this moment. He is greedy for respect. And I mean, maybe. Canadian Stampede is this the biggest Ovation that Brett gets in his entire Career DZ Um it was it's, good the WrestleMania, WrestleMania 10, 10 was, when he was, wins really, after. was really really big uh, WrestleMania 8 Was really was a big one too for Piper This yeah. is it's, it's big Though it's big it was it's, it was loud And and it's you know You can tell when the announcers can barely Like get their words out and they're not like Faking that they really can you know You can't really hear much uh, really good stuff. JR getting lots of digs in at um, the past years of the WWF and at WCW throughout the night. He says, he ain't no clown. He ain't no trash man. He is a wrestler. And we get the face off in the ring. Uh, Austin with the double middle fingers to Brett. He paces around the ring and they lock up. JR says, what's great is that these guys are in their prime. We're going to see the best of them. Another shot at WCW. Neither man has submitted in a match in their entire career. Which seems wrong. Just throwing yeah. that out there. Wrong it, it fake like at, news. At least Austin, you would have thought at some point would have in WCW. And also, Brett was a mid card guy tag. for so long. Like, yeah, I'm trying to think me... like in the tags, but but I'm trying to think of like who you subs it, for Brett. I in my head, I was going through it. And Tibiasi. didn't he tap out to the Bulldogs to lose the title? Brett could have. There you go. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty you know, it, sure. I'm pretty sure that match ended with some kind of a submission on Brett. Yeah, and it could have been early. Yeah, it could have been early on. So, um, it's weird that Jr. to say something like that. He was usually not the one when it comes to like some stats and facts. He was a little, usually a little more uh, reliable. But um, yeah, th- that was just one that I, I noted because I was, it's kind of scratching my head wondering about that one. Um, you know, if it get, didn't happen on TV or it didn't happen in the last two years, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, right? <laughs> it didn't happen. It, when Stone, it didn't happen for Stone Cold, and it didn't happen for Brett since he's returned at this event. 
in yep. Survivor Series. Yep. Um, we get a Brett wastelock early. Austin works on Brett's arm. Brett reverses and does the same. Hammerlocks. Let's go, Brett. Chance. Austin reverses. Um, then Brett back and forth. We get a drop toe hold from Austin. Brett back into the hammerlock. Kind of a slow feeling out process early on. Uh, lots of hold, focusing on the arm of Austin. Uh, they're even mentioning Brett's not really dishing out a ton of offense, but he's not like defensive. He's just kind of playing a little coy. Um, Austin catches Brett with a stun gun across the top rope, which used to be his finisher in WCW. And uh, then a quick elbow. Austin was great with those short little elbows and just driving, driving them. And they were driven in with such force and intensity. He's working on the chest and the neck of Brett. He puts Brett under the bottom rope and then he slingshots him into the bottom rope, like right into his neck, elbows to the throat of Brett, neck breaker over the top rope. Um, like draping him across the top uh, Then an Austin headlock Now Brett fights back uh, He's up on his feet, they exchange big punches Brett gets knocked down into the corner Then an Irish whip And uh, an inverted atomic drop that Vince calls a pile driver And JR actually says what it is afterwards uh, Brett goes to work Side rush and leg sweep But he doesn't hook the leg on a pin And JR says, this is funny Again, another little JR flub He says that doesn't happen too often with Brett not hooking the leg in a pin predicament. This is one thing that we've talked about. One of the things that only thing that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for Brett is he doesn't ever hook the leg. I mean, in fact, I can only remember a few times when they were big guys, Yoko and maybe like a Vader situation when he would hook the leg and try to roll them all the way back and maybe use their weight against them. But Brett was very rarely ever hooked the leg, especially in his setup. Pins throughout the match So uh, he actually does it at one point In this match after a roll up which I think Actually might have supposed to have been um, Like a Like a backslide almost yeah, Or, or a cross wing kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, but, but, and, but again it, it, It's a little awkward And it's probably not the cover that it was supposed To be but Brett in the Middle of it of the move and realizes that It's not going to where it should have gone Adjusts and turns into a pin with a Leg hook and it doesn't look all that terrible no, yeah, he, he makes the, the best out of it um, So uh, Brett goes for the bulldog uh, But Austin shoves no, Goes for a bulldog, not a British bulldog Austin shoves him into the turnbuckle Chest first, Brett style uh, Austin steps up or Austin sets up Brett for a superplex Brett counters, tosses Austin face first And then an elbow off the top rope For Brett, Brett rarely goes off the top With the elbow, that was kind of new You know, he's a second rope elbow guy so uh, he was just up there, and I was like, "Whoa, that's a little higher than normal for Brett." You just don't see him up on the top rope. Well, he hadn't often. worked since March, so you know he was full of vim and vigor. Exactly, <laughs> uh, bouncing in his step. Uh, two count here. Austin rakes the eyes, and then he throws Brett through the ropes into the barricades, which are very close to the ring. Uh, and Austin goes to work outside on Brett. He throws him into the ring post. Then Brett tackles Austin into the railing and into the crowd. They are just beating the crap out of each other. It's really intense. They're laying it on thick, but not like hurting each other. It just looks good and nice and snug. Uh, Brett slams Austin face first into the barricade. And they're outside the ring. Austin slingshots Brett into the Spanish announce table. And then he jumps on him and wails on him. And JR with one of my favorite lines of the night. Why does this always happen to the Spanish <laughs> It seems like this always happens to the Spanish guys. <laughs> and uh, he drapes, uh, Austin drapes Brett on the table, and then you get a jumping elbow from the ring apron. 
Austin's in complete control now And Brett makes it back towards the ring Austin suplexes him inside uh, Then a big elbow from the second rope For two, another elbow for two We get abdominal stretch Austin using the ropes for leverage But he gets caught after a few uh, Trying to do it a few times by referee Tim White Um, Then he pushes the referee Gives Tim White a couple birds Middle fingers here Big rights and lefts, all out blows for Brett and Austin At this point, Brett gets the advantage here And the crowd is really getting into this Uh, JR and Vince are, are really getting into it too You could tell Brett hits a stun gun on Austin and this is the, the point where Brett gets that roll up Where it's a little sloppy, not smooth But he still gets a two count here Brett hits a pile driver to Austin Kind of crazy to think about with uh, what happens with Owen uh, in, uh, in just a few months uh, Backbreaker by Brett He goes up to the top Austin catches him And Brett's sitting on the top turnbuckle He steps up And Austin, standing on the top rope Nails a nasty, huge superplex And both men are like folded up and Brett reaches his legs back and locks Austin's legs for a cradle that is just too just yep. great spot. I mean, awesome stuff here. They both had to be like, like pinned up, like roly poly style with their legs in the air. And Brett hooks him. Like this was as much on Austin having to just sit there too. Like this was just great. Um, let's see, uh, Austin. Where are we now? Yeah, uh, um, we get a uh, what a maneuver from Vince here. Uh, crowd's loving it. Austin hits a stunner, but just for two. He tries another cover, just for two. He's just getting pissed. He keeps trying to cover Brett, but only two counts. He's just punching the hell out of Brett. Frustration. He locks in a Texas Cloverleaf. He's not really able to sit back on it. You could tell he's getting tired now. Brett gets to the ropes. Irish whip from. Uh, Austin and Brett slides under the ropes and into the ring post. Another cool spot where JR says his knee gave way. Like just a unique bump instead of the normal just toss him right into the corner again. Um, Austin locks in a bow and arrow submission. Brett fights out of it. He goes for the sharpshooter, but he can't get it in. Brett punches Austin. Then he locks in the sleeper. Austin sits down and hits a jawbreaker. And then he hits, uh, he locks in the million dollar dream. And the finish, Brett kicks off the top turnbuckle But Austin won't let go And it's just like WrestleMania 8 with Rowdy yep. Roddy Piper Austin ends up on his back Brett's got Brett's kind of flipped over on top of him in the pinning position Brett gets the W so, so good um, I've got this as an at least four and a half um, the, I, I like the Brett-Austin mania I had that as five If you thought this was as good as five I wouldn't talk you off of it There are a couple flubs And maybe just a, the, the beginning Is a little slow And it's, it's, it builds and it tells an incredible story um, There were maybe just a few Nitpicks I have it to where I didn't have it As a five but um, I mean I think this is at least a four and a half here DZ and this is a I mean, Again I forgot how good Austin was here This thing almost went 30 minutes and uh, these dudes tore the house down This was Austin's moment He now belongs in the main event He showed he can be here With these guys And one of the biggest stars in wrestling history Was was really born on this night Because this was the biggest match Of his career at the time It's a hugely important match uh, For the, the history of wrestling Moving forward it, It's a cool match because It, it it, it does have some brawling elements to it. 
but the match is so much in contrast to the WrestleMania match, and yet they're both spectacular in completely different ways. This is a wrestling match with some brawl. The WrestleMania match is an all-out brawl with some wrestling, and they're both high four to five-star matches. Um, it's so wild to think about the story. These two guys were so good, not just at the wrestling part, but the storytelling part, in that it was so believable that these two guys flat-out hated each other on camera. And simultaneously, they really, really liked each other backstage. Uh, Brett recognized the talents of Austin. He handpicked Austin as a guy that he wanted to work with in his next run. He thought the Survivor, Survivor Series match was a little bit quick to pull the trigger, but it worked out okay, obviously. Uh, but you look, at, you look at what transpired in this match the submission moves that Austin used on Brett, the Texas Cloverleaf, the kind of, you know, stretch move on, on the on the apron that he gave him. Uh, you talk about the, the the sheer wrestling that we really didn't see that much of from like Austin at its peak because he was already a little bit banged up. And that that stone cold was more about, you know, the high impact moves and the great microphone work. But this was the Austin that we could see who could actually, you know, really go in the ring. And obviously everybody looks good with Brett, but you could tell that Brett made it a point to make him look good because Brett is selling every single thing to the nth degree, including the stunner where it's like his jaw was removed from his face and he's down on the ground clenching at his jaw. Uh, it, it tells a great story. It tells an unfinished story. You can tell the way that this is set up at the end of the match that there's more to come from these two guys. It's incredibly well done. Yeah, are there a couple of little hiccups here and there? Yeah. But how many matches do you go 30 minutes from start to finish that are completely flawless? Uh, it's as good as it gets. It is a, the crowd was insane for this match live. Uh, they go home happy because at this point it's still a, it's still a Brett crowd. It's Brett's return. He's got this kind of cool new look with almost like this, orange gold outline on his attire that we haven't seen before that was kind of a cool element as well there's a lot of really interesting things that are going on with this match but it is an enormously important match for stone cold going forward and you had a feel as he went back through the curtains that you know maybe he had arrived but this was the match that i think cemented him as a main again main event guy moving forward and brett did a lot of work to get him over uh yeah for me I gave it four and three quarters stars. It's as close to perfect a match as you can get. See, I went four and a half because I thought it was a little long, but not outrageously so. I thought they could have condensed maybe the first five or six minutes in, but I understand why they didn't go that route because they needed to have that feeling out process there. And it's a great match. I can't believe I'm going to be the one to bring up the commentary here because even in Brett's book, he says, huh, looking back, there are some really curious lines here. Like, for instance, how ironic would it be if Steve Austin placed the sharpshooter on Brett and yeah, won right. by submission? Yeah. Also, midway through the match, when Austin has the upper hand and Brett looks completely washed up, which, by the way, is a credit to the storytelling of these two guys, Jim Ross goes, 
Brett's got to realize this isn't 1991 or even 1994. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why? Yeah. Why is that? Um, I'm not going so far as to give Darren's theory about this being a work some credibility, but you look and you see how things wound up. It's mm-hmm. curious. It is. It's um, very curious. Now, then, at, 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 by the way, at the end of the, after the match is over, JR makes a comment that I think Vince got a little bit annoyed with because what are you not, what are you not supposed to do when you're on commentary at a wrestling match in a pay-per-view is you're not supposed to put down your main event. And JR makes the comment based on how Brett performed tonight, regardless of what we see in the championship match, I don't think either Shawn Michaels or Sid could beat a could have beaten Bret Hart tonight. <laughs> and he gets pissed, oh, right? He does. He does get mad. Well, I completely is, disagree. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. That is wrestling 101 no-no. You do not put down your championship main event. <laughs> and uh um yeah, just a great throwback to the Piper match. Uh, Brett celebrates. He shakes hands all around the ring with the fans. He shakes hands with Vince. He is now the number one contender. And just to kind of, you know, remember what Andrew was saying earlier, they had plans for the plan was supposed to be Brett wins the title. I think either in the next month against Sid, and then you're going to have either Brett lose it to Sean in San Antonio and then Brett wins it back at WrestleMania against Sean he gets he puts him back over and then these guys just continue to put each other over and go back and forth and and have this feud for years to come that's what Brett was sort of led to believe you can tell because Vince even says after the match oh next month it could be a very early merry christmas for the hitman december the 15th the number one contender so you know, in his head, he's probably saying, okay, yeah, Brett, this is great. He looked great. Look at the crowd response. They were hot. Boom, we go back to Brett. And then Sean takes it off him in San Antonio. We got Brett and Sean again in Mania. He's The wheels are spinning in his head. Everything is perfect. And we know that's not quite how things went. But Psycho Sid had something to say about it. He has an interview backstage with Doc Hendricks. He says he knows he is the better man. He will do anything it takes to walk out the WWE champion. This was pretty quick. It was intense. It's funny because Sid has a backwards hat on. Shout out a pretty fantastic softball player from uh, all reports. But (laughs) there are some angles where it almost looks like he's wearing a yarmulke. I started laughing. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. And I wrote, oh, yeah, his hat. It's a backwards hat. But it was was pretty funny there. Um, And... uh, That'll be the main event, but we have one match first. Uh, Captain Lou Albano comes out to the ring. Let's make this review quick. Right? This this one, we won't go uh, long, I promise. The one thing I will say is Jim Jim Cornette steals the show. He is good. Can I just ask a question? Please. Does it... Is it just me, or does it sound like somebody is squeezing his balls for 10 straight minutes when he's on commentary? Oh, unquestionably. Oh, yeah. And it certainly seems like someone has a gun to his head saying, make this interesting, pal. Because (laughs) if I I may jump in, and I know this is a little bit out of turn. So Jim Cornette joins for commentary. Yoko comes out, and he's as big as a house. Uh, Let's just throw that out there. Um, So they debut Flash Funk here. Flash too cold Funk Scorpio. Is too cold Scorpio, yes. And I got to tell you, 
I was excited for this because I had seen some of Two Cold Scorpio's work. He and could go. Yeah, oh, early yeah. to mid-90s, Scorpio was one of the guys that was ahead of his time. He goes to WWF, he takes the money, he's flash funk, and he goes nowhere, which is unfortunate. But they advertised this mystery partner, hmm. and I know where they were going. I understand the appeal, but they bring out way past his prime Jimmy Snuka. Who apparently and, scares the hell out of Cornette. Well, yeah. yes. So... I understand they did that as like a historical type nod. I get it. It's the garden. This is where Snooker jumped off the cage. And I think the night before he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. So it was yep. like on the weekend or, you know, the year of they'll put someone in the rumble yes. or they'll get him in the gimmick battle royal or something yeah. like that. But and yeah. That's, and that's fine, except Jim Cornette has to act like he just saw the boogeyman coming yeah. right at him. Because mm-hmm. he says, and I'm going to try to get into my Jim Cornette voice here. Okay. This oh, is going to take me a minute, and it is going to um, make me use, my use your ma- Use your manscape and make it like you caught something wrong. <laughs> what was that promo code? <laughs> two idiots? There, two idiots. Two idiots. There we go, fellas. Thank All you. Right. <laughs> Check some <clears> mail. <throat> Where's Funk and Jimmy Snooker on the same night? <laughs> I, I feel like Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. The horror. The horror. When in fact, the only horror was for anyone that had to watch this 10 minute abomination of a match that was stuck between the two matches everyone was looking forward to. Yeah, this, this can, was. Pre- can, I, can I give my favorite Please. commentary line of this match? Please. Andrew has to know what it is. I know he heard it. He has uh, to know what it is. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jim Ross, as Flash Funk is in the ring, says, Flash Funk is the best thing in red and yellow the garden has ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so that's was... actually my second favorite commentary exchange of the match. <laughs> um, so they bring up the fact that Jim Ross brought in fake Razor and fake Diesel. First yeah. of all, when I heard Razor's music, I popped for just a minute, and then I remembered what was going on. Um, secondly, so the match is going on in the ring, and Jim Ross is going, if I was managing these guys, they'd be doing a lot better. Yeah. And Jim Cornette, right off the rip, goes, you couldn't manage a Wendy's. Yeah. <laughs> and I was waiting for a Dairy Queen line because of the infamous video, but... Uh, YouTube wasn't really a thing yet, and that wasn't really the most popular thing in in wrestling circles. So, but still, that was funny. I don't know why these guys are booing him. This guy's it... younger than the last guy that had the name. He's bigger. <laughs> why are so many people booing this kid? He's bigger, uh, younger, stronger, he, better know, looking. Be, because than the first. he can't he he can't wrestle a goddamn pillow, Jr. <laughs> He's got just as much right to be called Razor Ramon as anybody else does. Oh, I don't understand. Oh, this he did uh, he he did that um he did that fall away slam it was awful oh like savio savio almost landed on his feet you so know bad by the way the a... other the other terrible move yokozuna was in the match for two moves he had to do like a an urinagi on vader he just he like he just fell down <laughs> i can't even pick him up off the ground he how literally many, went and fell down. <laughs> how many times do we see Yoko after this? Not it's many. not many. Yeah, we, not I, many. I don't even because this is as big as he gets at the WWF ring yeah. until that Heroes of Wrestling thing that Andrew has, has mentioned before. But um, yeah, we get the Nation of Domination music. I gotta say, um, the early Nation 
whatever you feel like the gimmick, you know, if you like it, the presentation of it, I was a fan of. It did feel like a cool, like Farouk felt very badass when they would have the entourage and even and some of the people coming in with them. We are the nation of domination and Clarence yeah. Mason with them too. I I did like it. It did feel um, important when they came out. Um, we get fake Razor talked about all the things that Jr. says. Um, Jr. tries to sell him, and then uh, fake Diesel comes out. Jr. calls him money in the bank. How about that? He was actually right because this is Kane here. Um, And Kane did win the money in the bank and cash in years later. So well done, JR, here. Uh, More foreshadowing from Jim Ross. Vader's out next with Jim Cornette, who's Andrews mentioned. Uh, We're going to join, he's going to join the commentary table. Then we get the good guys, Savio Vega, Yoko, Flash Funk with the Funkettes. Looking very uh, much like a pimp here uh, Wearing his yellow and red That's when JR says I've never seen the yellow and red look so good in the garden Darren's favorite line of the love night it. Love it And uh, the mystery partner is Jimmy Snuka New Hall of Famer uh, We get Vader Funk They're going at it early A little back and forth Vader bumps before Flash Bump even hits him with a spinning heel kick at one point And then Vince tries to kind of save it Oh I think he kind of got out of the way of that one <laughs> um, Vader gets to the floor Cornette's going crazy whining uh, Vader drops Funk with a power bomb. Yoko comes in without a tag Just attacks Vader JR keeps mentioning how bad the officiating has been all night Savio comes in without a tag uh, Farouk tags in He works on Savio Razor comes in JR and Jim Cornette are just screaming at each other Fake Razor with that awful fallaway slam. Uh, Diesel tags in. He works on Funk. Quick tags back and forth. Big spine buster by Farouk. Vader squashes Funk. Savio gets back in. Diesel gets back in. Snuka gets in there. Big headbutt. Some chops. He gets caught by a knee. Snuka hits some offense on Vader. Slams him. Uh, so that was kind of an impressive spot. Slam from from Snuka onto Vader. Uh, Savio and D- Diesel tag back in again. Savio gets... Uh, uh, goes flying over the top rope Vader pulls the rope down And then Farouk works on Savio outside We get a diesel jackknife powerbomb To eliminate Savio Snuka comes in, he hits the flying superfly splash On fake Razor uh, Diesel comes in with a chair And then everybody comes in, all hell breaks loose Multiple guys with chairs The ref DQs everyone It's a no contest uh, Full on no result with no survivors It almost felt like uh oh, time's running long, guys. I we gotta just, just cut this match. I was just gonna ask, did you get the idea that that Vince just pulled the plug on this and said, "Ah, oh, that's it. Just help the, you know, figure something out and go home." We need thirty for the for the setup and everything involving the main event. And if you look at the clock, I wonder if they were like on pay per view and Vince is looking up, going, "We've got a thirty minute window left." I think yep. this show runs two hours fifty four, and right around this time we're at like two hours twenty two. 23 he might have looked up and said We need that 30 minutes end this because This thing ends And we go immediately To the video package for Sean Sid instantly right Away you have to wonder If something else went long maybe Maybe you know I I don't know Exactly what it would have been one of the matches If it was the Brent match or If it was the other you know the other survivor Series match that went 23 minutes um, but yeah, you, it, the way that this ended, it just, it just seemed like it wasn't the way that it was originally drawn up on paper and that there were some audibles called to get this train wreck of a match done so we can move on to something more meaningful. Yeah, that's for sure. This was, um, 
this was rotten to put it mildly. And this is a case where I think everyone was just like, yeah, we're doing what we can. We're doing what we can, but everything was falling flat and it's, Oh boy. And it just, the finish here did reek of, okay, go home. Let's get the main event out here. This is horrible. Um, but at a minimum, we get that video package with Sean and Sid, and this is another example of the WWE always doing this stuff really, really well. We see some of Sean's uh, rise over the year, uh, showing him beating Vader, Bulldog, Mankind, Sid and Sean, who were once friends. Now they're against each other, and the bell. Uh, we get. I love the the backstage uh, walking. You know, we see. Uh, for Sid yeah. walking backstage This is before, remember, before We would get Goldberg doing it or we'd see it in WCW a whole heck of a lot I liked when they would do this um, And uh, So the, we see Sid on his walk Backstage, he comes out And the crowd is instantly Receptive to Sid And JR mentions it and Vince agrees Sid fist bumps a couple fans High fives them on the way to the ring Sean oh, Who's right, the, yeah. You are, you are, you he's, he's are breathing it all in. Drink it in, man. You know, you can just see him out there. Um, and think about it, you know, like Sid's never really been like this is like comparable to the moment of like him posing with Hogan in freaking 91 SummerSlam kind of and, thing, and, right? And like, I'll tell you, in, in the in the arena from the from the minute he came out, that there, there was a like Going into that night, I certainly did not expect Shawn Michaels to lose this match. But the way the crowd was and the way things were progressing, the way it felt in the air, you started to think that something might be going on here. And again, I hated Shawn Michaels, especially this version of Shawn Michaels. But I hated Shawn Michaels. So for me and the other people there who were strongly behind Sid in this match, Things were getting really interesting, like there was an aura to it. And that's why as things were happening, like just the smallest moves, like miss, you know, missing a super kick and turning into a choke slam, the place would go insane. Nice. And it's because it you just got this feeling like, wait, it's starting to feel like something might be happening here. Mm-hmm. And you started to get a little bit excited and the reactions became louder and louder. Yeah, uh, the one thing that I will say before we start diving into this match, which is a very, very good match and probably the best match of Sid's career, you guys know who Sid probably has to thank for this one? Vader? Nope. (laughs) Go ahead. Warrior. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're right. Monday Night Raw, six-man tag, yeah. So earlier in 96, Warrior comes back. He does the squash with Triple H at WrestleMania, and he launches into a series of lesser programs that all go very quickly. He works with Goldust a couple of times. He works with, I think, Lawler a couple of times. They do the bit with the baseball hat on Raw, whatever. So Warrior starts no-showing house shows, and this is a problem, of course. So naturally, Warrior doesn't just burn the bridge. He napalms it. Uh, <laughs> And as a result, he gets pulled from a six-man match. It wasn't at Raw. It was at In Your House International Incident, where it was supposed to be Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, and the Warrior against three guys whose names escape me at the moment. That's how bad the match wound up being. Well, Warrior goes AWOL and wouldn't be seen in the company until just before he died. Um, Sid gets put into service. And Sid 
as I recall, I don't even think he was really in the company. At he, was, that no, he was still working in USWA in the title picture with Waller, I think. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. they brought Sid in and there were rumblings that this was supposed to be Sean against the warrior, mm-hmm. but warrior is of course nowhere to be found. MIA. So they need another guy. They bring Sid in and like Sid did everywhere he went, he got really over really, really fast. So it's one of those situations where the stars just aligned for Sid. And what we got was probably Sid's best match ever. Mm-hmm. And remember, this was a guy that Vince wanted to be the next Hulk Hogan. Yep. He, Vince has always loved this guy. He always had big plans for him. And for, for whatever reason, this was actually the moment where, spoiler alert, well, we're going to get into it, Sid finally wins the title. He's finally able to put it on him. And it, you could tell Vince is kind of excited about it. You know, you can hear him on commentary. Like, he's excited about this. I don't, I don't think he's expecting Sid to be the long-term champ, but I think he's kind of like, hey, you know, the fans are behind him. Let's give him this little run for a bit. And um, we get the uh, Sean entrance now. He's backstage, and he walks uh, from backstage with Jose Lothario. He's got a sparkly outfit with, like, mirrors all over it. Hang on a second. Ah! Manipulating the, the crowd. The, the women and the children yes. are uh, very much into Sean. Uh, looks a little out of it, like Sean tends to around this time period when you look in his eyes. But damn, he was good in this match. He gets grabbed by a fan on the way out because uh, the 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 entrance has got a grip too, right? The entranceway is so sh- small and and narrow that it's it's very much like WrestleMania four and five at at the Trump Plaza where. The people on the sides are like trying to grab at Miss Elizabeth and Pat Patterson's like sho- shooing him off from behind. So uh, Sean walks uh, up to the ring. He's got the sequin mesh sequin vest as he dances all around and the bell rings. I think this is Vader's best match or Vader uh, Sid's best match. I really do. I can't remember him going 20 minutes like this. He's got this bounce. I mean, he's working like a guy that knows he's winning the title. Right, like this is the best he's ever putting in because this is his moment. And I, there's a lot of Sid matches that I don't mind. Um, this thing is good. They stare across the ring at each other right away. Sid using his power, crowd responding well. Big strikes by Sid. Huge wind up. Big like roundhouse overhead blows. Uh, Sean slaps him. Uh, Sean baseball slide under the Sid's leg. Short rights and a cross body headlock. Uh, slaps back and forth, punches back and forth. Sid wins. Then uh, that that little exchange, and then uh, that then lifts Sean up, but Sean slips out. Um, goes for the power bomb. Sean slips out again. Sid chases Sean around. He and then Sean starts working on the legs of Sid. Tries to take the big man down. Figure four. Uh, Sean pounds on the knees of Sid. Crowd really mixed. They're not. Completely booing Sean but as Darren said You're getting the women and the children Andrew gave us the impersonation there They're And I'm not doing that again One more time please and, uh, <laughs> There we go Yes 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 <laughs> Nice um, The uh, Sean then goes For a shoulder uh, Oh, Sean then goes shoulder first into the ring post And Sid gains control Big boots to Sean And Sid bumps into a cameraman who is a little too close to the ring and he pushes this guy down kind of plays into the the story a little later i think my only gripe with this match i honestly have this thing 
pretty damn close to four stars And I'm, I'm going to end up going at four Because I'm going to give Sid a little bump Because I thought this was his best match ever I thought he really performed And I thought the guys, yeah, the crowd loved it And was really into it um, Sean uh, uh, Yeah, Sean is down when Sid bumps into that cameraman uh, And then he pushes the cameraman uh, Sid selling a knee injury Sean with a cool drop kick to Sid's knee Coming off the ropes Sid fights back Sean skins the cat But a big clothesline by uh, Sid knocks Sean outside the ring Sid goes into the aisleway Then he Irish whips Sean into the uh, the ring And he drops him on the barricade They are back inside the ring Sid's in control Big back body drop Sean uh, goes into the turnbuckle He does the up and over and then Sid, uh, and then he had actually catches Sid with a neck breaker across the top rope, which was a cool spot. Sid again catches Sean with a back breaker. He just starts flinging Sean into the turnbuckle, and then Sean laying down on the ground. He motions for Sid to bring it. Big rights from Sid. Sean's basically out on his feet at this point, but he fights back. Big rights. Then a body slam. Sean off the top rope, but Sid catches him with a big boot. And Sid locks in the million dollar dream Again we see this tonight um, Sean starts to fade He's laying on his back now He almost gets pinned Sid goes for the choke slam, But Sean uh, with a poke to the eyes and uh, He goes for sweet chin music But Sid catches his foot Tosses it to side Hits him with a one arm choke slam Place goes sequence, nuts. That <laughs> sequence was awesome yep. And the crowd goes ballistic for Sid, as Darren said, you could start to feel it now. You could feel something was happening here. And so he sets up for a power bomb, but Sean playing a little possum, small package just for two. Uh, Sid quickly up with a boot and then a big power slam by Sid. That looked good. We get a flying forearm by Sean, then the kip up, but he runs into a big right clothesline by Sid. We get a cover for two. Sid then grabs the camera from the cameraman outside. And he looks like he's going to go and hit Sean. And JR's like, what is he doing? He's stupid. And from behind, Jose Lothario grabs a hold of the cord of the camera. And he's standing up on the apron. Sid can see him. So he, you know, Jose's trying to prevent Sid from using the camera to hit Sean. Sid turns around and just nails Lothario in the throat. But can the we just stop here really quick? Please. Sid commits sanctioned murder. On pay-per-view. He does. Okay? We're just throwing this out there. This is what Clubber Lang did to Mickey Goldmill in Rocky Three to get over as a bad guy. And the crowd loves him. They oh, love yeah. him. Well, I, I, listen, I, I was my, – my spot at the Garden for these shows was right above, like, the where the, where the wrestlers come out. Yeah. A little bit to the right. So I, I had a really good view of it. And do you know what I was yelling at, at at Jose Lothario when he was mimicking, like clutching at his chest like he was dying? Right from the Karate Kid. Put him in a body bag! <laughs> <laughs> what a great movie. What a great movie. <laughs> so good. Um, so yeah, we're, we're getting towards the end of the match here. And from behind, Sean nails a super kick. Um, and Sid is laying out. Sean realizes that Jose is out cold outside the ring And so he goes to check on Jose He's calling for help from the back Sid comes down and he gets Sean from behind And he throws Sean back inside Now keep in mind uh, We get a Sean cross body off the top ropes Sid ducks and then we get a ref bump So Sean nails the ref Takes out Hebner 
Um, Sean then goes back outside while Sid is down. He's checking on uh, Jose Lothario again. He's asking for help. JR says, uh, I hope he's not having a heart attack as Jose cloches his chest. It's like, oh, God. Yeah, that, that wouldn't be great here. And <laughs> Sid grabs the camera. He nails Sean from behind. He rolls him back in the ring, and the crowd is really sensing what's about to happen now. They can feel it. The ref starts to stir. Sid hits the power bomb for the one, the two, the three, and your new WWF champion. Big reaction for Sid. And the officials and the medics come out to the aid of Jose as Sid celebrates. Sean kind of stumbles out to follow the stretchered out Jose. And we now know that this sets up Sid versus Brett. I thought a cool line from JR at the end is he said, Psycho Sid rules the World Wrestling Federation on November 17th, 1996. Yeah. It's a it, it's a really good match. It's, you know, like you said, it is it is probably Sid's best match. Um, you know, I remember the atmosphere that night. It was a lot of fun. The crowd for this match was extremely hot. Um, and uh, I went home happy. A lot of the men went home happy. I could tell you that much. Uh, but I remember people walking out there. You, there was a lot of high fives and stuff because that that baby face boyhood dream. You know, working out with my trainer version of Shawn Michaels. A lot of us could not stand. And uh, you know, to have this kind of go down the way it went down and stuff, and to have that reaction for Sid, it, it was really really cool. Uh, and like you said. You know, Sid is just one of those guys in wrestling where he had he had a few really big moments. But you look back at him and you said, man, what could have been if this guy had just, you know, stayed in one place? You know, if, if this guy had stayed in the WWE from like 91 to 2000 and had a 10-year run as this big monster, I mean, he'd probably be—he'd probably be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know, he'd be remembered completely differently. And I get it. There's a lot of other stuff going on with Sid, and we can get into that another time. But if you put a pin in that, and you talk about the look, you talk about the reaction, you talk about some of the moments and some of the matches he had, you can't help and look back and wonder, like, what the WWE could have had with this guy. Had he actually had one good long run? So I would argue that he should be a Hall of Famer now for one reason. The guy closed two WrestleManias. How many yeah. people can say that? He's a multiple-time world champion. That's a good point. Yep. That's for sure. Now, there were a lot of things with Sid's career that were undesirable. That incident with Arn Anderson that we hinted at was pretty terrible. Uh his gruesome injury in WCW, which if you are of the faint of heart, just don't watch it. Trust me, just don't. You really don't want to see that stuff. You just don't. Um, Several of his blunders uh, on the microphone. Mm -hmm. Can we start over? We're live, buddy. And of course, I have half the brain that you do. (laughs) But lost in all of that is a guy that was over everywhere he went without having to say a word and you can count on one hand the number of guys that are like that that have shown up in the last 30 years you get guys that 
captivate people when they walk into a room after they've walked into a room and started talking. Sid had the woe factor. He kind of reminds me of he came out of someone you're just talking about a minute ago, kind of Stromany, you know, like someone that is a main eventer guy that you look at. He kind of you, you're drawn to him. He kind of had some magnetism at the very beginning. They didn't really use him well, but he he just reminds me a little in that sense. I've we've always been pretty big fans of Sid here in in his ring stuff, his character stuff. He he felt like a guy that I always took serious in his role as a guy who could beat the hell out of really anyone that he was positioned against. Yes, and you understood that there was some element of mental instability with him just judging by the way he talked in promos. And that's not a knock on the guy. That's just, it made certain elements of his style very believable. But he didn't stay in one place too long. When he got hurt, it was ugly. There were times where he passed up being a wrestling star because he wanted to go play softball. And you know what? If Sid's happy somewhere, more power to him. But I remember in the lead-up to, I believe it was Raw 1000, maybe I'm wrong, where Heath Slater was doing this thing where he would get interrupted by a different legend each week, and one of the legends wound up being Sid. Mm -hmm. And Sid Sid was still over 10 years after he retired. Yeah, he looked great um, too. He was in great yeah. shape for for a guy in his early fifties. Absolutely. Yeah. Now this match, as it was, first of all, Darren mentioned the whole boyhood dream, working out with his trainer kind of thing. That was bad enough. You add in quite possibly a male stripper, and <laughs> you just have something that's so no weird box. though. Like the no dynamic, box. like that's the the costume you're wearing when you're playing this like m- white meat baby face. Like it doesn't, it just like didn't add up. No. And you get even early in the match, what Darren was talking about. Sean escapes both a press slam and a power bomb. He takes Sid down and he starts working the knee. The crowd starts booing like crazy. It's bizarro world as WWE likes to put it now, but the crowd hated Sean Michaels more and more as this match went on. Sean goes for a super kick. Sid catches him in a choke slam back when not a lot of people were doing choke slams. It wasn't a cliche transition move at that point. It was an impact power move and the place goes berserk. It's one of those things where Sid didn't have to do a whole heck of a lot because Sean was bumping his ass off for him. And this is curious because Sean spent several parts of 1996 actively burying guys guys who threatened to take his spot and Vader you get stuff like this and what I think it is is it's an indication of them saying look Sean we haven't given up on you as a main event guy numbers are down we need to make changes but the Royal Rumble is in your hometown you're gonna win the title back that night we don't know if it's from Sid or Brett you're gonna win the title back that night put Sid over tonight he did. Yeah. With by all accounts very little, you know, resistance from the Shawn Michaels temper that would come out even after he found Christianity. See also SummerSlam Hulk Hogan. And by the way, we need to do that match at some point. That's on the list, but it's yep. not going to be what we do next week. It's on the list, however. Now, this match, we've said it. It's probably Sid's best match ever. He'd have a couple of good ones with Shawn he had one decent one with he who shall not be named at WCW. the end of WCW. 
Yeah. Yes, it was the match where Hugh shall not be named won the title. Yeah, but, it wasn't bad. Yeah, he did some okay work at the end too. Even some stuff with Goldberg that was better than you would think with yeah. those two guys involved with it. The thing with his WCW run is, unlike a lot of other guys at that level, he was at least trying. It wasn't always mm-hmm. pretty, but he was at least trying. And, and he showed least- up. He showed up and gave an honest day's work, which is all and you he, can ask as somebody. He was a guy like the thing about Sid is he always felt like a main eventer. Any any time. Like, honestly, from about 91 on, right when he showed up, he always, there were some times in 95 and 96 here on where he was more of a sidekick and in tags and million dollar corporation and stuff. But anytime you put him in a main event spot situation angle, he felt right at home there. Always felt like he belonged. And that that was what was nice. Even at the end of WCW, when they had a lot of, of guys that were low on the card or mid card guys that didn't feel like main eventers. He actually felt like he was still a main eventer and he felt even more of like a big deal compared to a lot of them. So uh, yeah, that's for darn sure. Yeah. Yeah. See? It's a good, it's a great match. What did I you have it at Andrew? I had it at three and three quarters. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's above it's, three and a half. If you want to say four, because you're a fan of either one of them, I would not talk you off it. And I, I can't even believe I'm saying that with the Sid match. Yeah, that's for sure. It's uh, it's a really, really cool thing. And it's one of those things where it's a great match to end a really fun show. I enjoyed this show, guys. Me too. I forgot how much I did. Great call here, DZ, on Survivor Series 1996. So, uh, DZ... Is uh, gonna head to the Bahamas for a little bit. How that? How about that? Awesome stuff. The long overdue, well deserved vacation after the crazy year <laughs> and a half. And uh, I gotta give you guys both a shout out. And I, I texted you earlier. Both this it, that we just recorded is actually the fiftieth ever edition of the old wrestling rewatch. We started this. In late March of 2020, I asked the two of you for help because when all of the sports stopped, I didn't have anything to talk. I had current wrestling, a few tra- racetracks that were still open, a bunch of them closed Will, down. There Will Rogers no- Downs. There was yeah, Fauner <laughs> Park. Fauner. We were, Sam Houston was rolling for a little bit, and then Oakland had some good weekends. Gulfstream extended. I remember we had a, talked about one of their cards with Darren on Florida Derby, and Darren was like, we may not know yeah. how long it is till we have another card like this. Yeah. You know, right, like yeah. Gulfstream kept pushing the limit and they kept telling them to close and they were like, nope, screw it. We're going to stay open for just one more to like till, till the big one. So, um, you guys, man, I can't even thank you so much. How many hours, uh, how much content you helped the fans out there, how many laughs I've gotten such great feedback from people. I believe uh, in the 50, there have been about 45 with the both of you. I did four of those um, early on when Jason Beam was helping me out with a few of them. Danny Kovalov joined me, and uh, and wow, we've had a blast. And that and that's 50 weeks, and that doesn't count the times that you guys have helped out previewing all the Triple Crown races or a big racing weekend or previewing WrestleMania or the Rumble or one of the big events coming up or just the top 20 Kentucky Derby points list or uh, Darren helped me with NFL, Andrew with Indiana and Sam Houston. I mean, we have... I cannot thank you guys enough for all the time and effort. And it, it was pretty cool that I just like, randomly started counting and it happened to be, oh, tonight's going to be the number 50. So uh, a pretty <laughs> cool milestone as we just hit episode 200 of That's What G Said. And a quarter of them 
have been uh, with with you guys given at least in these old wrestling rewatches. We're not talking fifteen minute segments here. We're talking hour and a half at the least. Some of them up to three hours. This one's going to be up over two hours. So first, Darren, and then Andrew, you're picking for next week. Thank you both so much. This has been a blast. Well, I mean, it's you know things are better now, obviously, but when this pandemic started. Uh, it, it gave us, you know, something to look forward to. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed, you know, going back and watching these things. I mean, you know, there were, there were times where you just couldn't figure out, you, you couldn't fill the day with things to do. And even yeah. from a work standpoint, you know, yeah, you know, our business where, where I work, things were still moving, but you know, it slowed down dramatically for a lot of reasons. And it was hard to fill the hours in the day, you know, couldn't take the kids to parks and you couldn't, you know, go play basketball in the, in, in the you know, the basketball courts down the block and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, for me, I, I it, it just it, it gave me something to do, it gave me something to look forward to. I love, you know, watching these things back from the years gone by and certainly love talking about it with you guys. And it, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. And I'm glad that the listeners have enjoyed it and that, uh, you know, it's something that we can continue to do even as we uh, return to normalcy. Yeah, it, this has been a blast and it's been some of my favorite parts of some really strange weeks that I think all of us can relate to what with the pandemic and all there was, I think a lot of things that all of us took for granted and I'm not even going to get remotely political here. So if you're worried about that, don't be, but it's a case where I think we all took certain things for granted and this made a lot of people appreciate some of the really important things in life, that being friends and family and whatnot. And this has been a lot of fun for me. Really happy to be part of this. And if you think this is like some sort of series finale, teary goodbye kind of thing, I I got bad news for you. We're still going to be doing this for as long as y'all will listen to it. So with with, with the like macho man, I'm just getting started. (laughs) (laughs) This is, yeah, I, I just, uh, it makes me smile, man. It's been it's been uh, so great from uh, from the both of you. Thank you. I, I thought maybe a week or two. I think the first one we did was Mania three because it was coming right up around WrestleMania season, yep. and we did a few of the Manias right off the top. And um, when we like look through the list with the the Rumble Survivor Series, we've got WCW, NWA, AWA stuff in there. We've got some ECW stuff uh, in there. I think just WWE, ECW. We're going to have to get into a, an ECW show or two, some of their early stuff. I mean, we've got a, a couple years in like, it looks like like 92, 93, where we've basically, you know, got like everything you know, finished up. Um, really, really cool. Ninety four, I think, is one of them that's in there too. Where we've, you know, we've got Rumble and uh, WrestleMania and King of the Ring, and we've got Survivor, and we've got. Uh, I, don't Summer- think, I don't think we do. I don't. Did we do that SummerSlam? We didn't with the, do- with the balloons for Luger. We did. Oh, we did ninety three with the balloons. We did ninety three. We did yeah. the celebration. We, we did, did ninety four yeah. with the cage. Um, just uh, so much fun, and so many more shows for us to uh unlock. One one thing that was really cool was uh. Uh, Andrew and I did the um, it's about two hours. We did the the WrestleManias one through thirty six, where we spent about five minutes or so on each one of those, kind of like a trip through history. Um, there have been a few that I did with just Andrew, a few did with just Darren. So uh, just 
you know, I'll, I'll continue to kiss your guys' butt more and more after the recording. It's not necessary. I know. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, uh, Darren's going to go out of town for a few weeks. I think we can let him go to the Bahamas, so that's okay. Um, you and I are going to do one of these, and then we may take a break um, and then uh, and then ramp back up in uh, in uh, just a few weeks. But where are we going to be heading for our next one? So I've got a list of a couple of ones that I want to take a look at for various different reasons. Had it been all three of us, I would have asked for something we have not done yet, which is not only asking for the one I'm doing next, but the one after that one, after we had gone through the rotation again. I'll save that one for a later time. That's called foreshadowing, kids. But for next week, we're going to go to an interesting concept that I don't that I think was ahead of its time a little bit. We're going to go to one of WWE's pay-per-views where fans had a hand in how certain matches were booked. We are going to go back to 2006. This has sort of been a blind spot for us, mid to late 2000s WWE, and for good reason, because some of those pay-per-views were sort of hot garbage. But this one was fun. This one had two of the most memorable backstage segments in the history of WWE, It also had some pretty entertaining matches with some names you'd recognize. I am referring to Cyber Sunday 2006. Um, One of the backstage segments involved uh, someone named Stan and a whole bunch of super kicks. The other backstage segment involved Booker T bartering for an alliance with John Cena as the doctor of thugonomics and potentially using his wife as leverage. It's a fun show. There are some decent matches on that show. It's a really easy watch, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Cyber Sunday 2006 is where we head. DZ heads to the Bahamas. We head to Cyber Sunday. It seems like it's pretty even even match there. Is, uh, that, is that the one where the Miz like completely botches... No, no, this oh. is bef- it's before The Miz, I think. Oh, is it? Oh, I thought it was okay. the one where The Miz was, like, on the microphone. Like, just trying to... Can't trying remember to, his lines. Can't remember <laughs> anything where he's, like, trying to talk about, like, the internet or something with polling. I thought that was the same show. If, uh, I, I think that's either the next year or the following year, but Miz is nowhere to be found on this show gotcha. in, uh, in anywhere. But, uh, no, this show is headlined by a triple threat match between King Booker, John Cena, and Big Show... And on the undercard, it features rated RKO against Degeneration X. It's that show. There you go. Fun show. Uh, we'll head to Cyber Sunday next. Uh, Darren, I hope you have a blast and uh, a great time there with your family, man. Uh, I know you guys had to cancel a couple vacays last year, and you guys love uh, making trips like that. So we'll be living vicariously through you and uh, and what you're posting on social media and your pictures. So please, uh, please do so there, and please give Darren a follow. At the track seven, and uh, and if you like anything for sports betting, let me know because I always usually after we put the women and children to bed, we usually mysteriously find our way to the sports book in the Atlantis. So uh, <laughs> funny you, how things work out. Funny how that happens. But if you like anything, it's I've been down there a couple of times in the summer, and the only thing that's really been gone on since we've been down there would have been uh, Major League Baseball, but. With the uh, you know with the European soccer tournament going on and with the NBA 
the the conference finals will be ending while we're there and the finals will be starting so if anybody has a strong opinion about something that i should bet hit me up on twitter and we'll see if we can uh you know work out a parlay and maybe find a way to pay for the trip there we go <laughs> Andrew Champagne make sure to give him A follow there on social media Check out his podcast Champagne and JD I'm not sure exactly this might come out A little late so we don't have to necessarily plug Something because it might be a be uh, A little time sensitive just but follow My Twitter for a whole go. bunch of racing Stuff we got Pleasanton going on Saratoga will be starting in a few Weeks and there's going to be some auxiliary stuff Going on too pretty Absolutely. soon the maiden special Weights at Saratoga and be going for $400,000 yeah. My, yeah. my god Oh. And, at some at some point, there's going to be no incentive to run in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Just win uh, one race at Saratoga and get I, retired. I was I was on the phone with my partner with the ownership group today, and I said, "Can we just find a race somewhere to just send a horse to Saratoga? Just there's got to be some race in this condition book somewhere." Where we have something that fits one of our horses. <laughs> this uh, this money is up for grabs, big money, and we are. Uh... We're excited. We're going to be really ramping up during that summer racing at Del Mar and at Saratoga. You'll hear a lot from these guys. Make sure to give them a follow on social media. Thanks so much, fellas. Have a great night. Safe travels and enjoy your trip, DZ. We look forward to talking to you back in a few weeks here. And a big thank you again to every one of you for listening out there. So crazy that we're up over 200 episodes, and this is 50 on the old wrestling rewatch. Don't worry, folks. we got 500 more to come in the future. Plenty more on That's What G Said. A lot of fun catching up with the guys uh, heading back to 1996 talking about the uh, Survivor Series and the return of Bret Hart. We're going to head to Cyber Sunday next. That one will probably just be uh, me and Andrew as Darren heads to the Bahamas for a few weeks. So big thank you to Andrew. Big thank you to Darren for helping out. Big thank you to TK Tim Kelly for recapping episode three of Loki with us. And hope you enjoyed uh, some of our quick hits on everything going on in baseball, basketball, and Wimbledon. Uh, racing for Tuesday and Wednesday. Don't forget, if you can, give me a follow on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. If you can, subscribe to the show, rate, review it. Uh, whatever platform you're listening, share it around with your friends. It always helps us quite a bit. Uh, I love having the That's What G Said be free, so I need all of your guys' help and gals out there to help us share the show around. We got the great sponsors that always help us out so we can keep everything free for you and just continue to pump out as much content as possible. Have a great uh, early part to your week, and we'll be back later on this week with another episode of That's What G Said. Joey's coming up. I think I'm going to get Joey to uh, start to work on uh, tweaking the song a little bit too, adding to it. Joey does such a great job, so it might be time for a little freshening up coming soon. Here are the soothing sounds of Joey Cleveland. <laughs>